Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Hello, hello, Pastor Rowan. Hello, Jeannie. It's me again, back you're in back. the seat, yes. After our marathon effort last time, you're back for That's a right. somewhat shorter episode, one we, would we hope. hope. Yes. yes, yeah. Although I did want to r- run away after that one. That was did so you? long. That was a long one, wasn't it? Was good it? fun, though. This is it the best fun. learning that I'm doing. It's been good for you to, to force yourself to have to do some learning, hey? Yes. Yeah, That's, right. That's good. Now, it's great to be able to sit across from different people and see the work they're putting in, and then I just rock up and just have a go. That's what I do, but you've put a lot of work in ahead of time. Sometimes. Mm. Sometimes. sometimes, yes, oh, okay. yeah. But this week I was really distracted. Well, yeah? Yes, because yeah. the Bible, wait, what, has a new Instagram page. It does. Yes, yes. it does have an Instagram I kept Instagram. watching it. You kept watching it. Yes, <laughs> yes, it has an Instagram page and a Facebook page. And yeah. Yes, I guess, yes, we decided we'd put one of our own up there. What's the actual handle for it? I think, off the top of my head, it's just the Bible, wait, what? All one word, I think. All right. So I think that's it. Go find that. Go find that. Just yeah, search the Bible, wait, follow. what? And follow the Instagram page. Yeah. Yes. And send some good. comments too. You know, yeah, we'd love to hear and from questions. you. And um, questions. We're still looking for questions. More we are. questions for an upcoming episode. We are. We, we've got a couple of questions coming in, but not enough to really warrant a whole episode yet. So we'll do that. Yeah, well, I wonder why. Why aren't people asking questions? Maybe, well, they are, but maybe it's because we're talking so much, we'd just out-question them. We could. We could. Maybe, maybe we just answer all your questions, folks, because we talk for so long. I don't know. I don't know. But yes, by all means, um, jump on to uh, there and ask questions there or follow the link to the website and there's a question and answer section there. So you can do that. We'd yeah. love to hear from you. And today we are, we're in a new series, aren't we? We're third, we're third week into this series into now. This yes, series, we've had sorry. An, episode with, uh, an episode with Jimmy and an episode with Phil, both from Camden. It was good fun. <gasps> Camden people. Had some Camden folk yeah. on, the, on, uh, on board and that was great. Here's the shout out to Picton. Come on. Come on, Picton. When, when are you going to get on here? Yeah, ready for you. Do you dare? Do you dare? <laughs> You're welcome to join us. Sit here. <laughs> it's quite scary, actually. Are you scared? So I'm sniffling a little bit because, you know, I think last time I was sitting here with you, I had a cold too. That was a month ago, but uh, I was just experiencing my fourth cold of the winter. 
thanks to my grandchildren. So a bit sniffly, but gives me a voice for radio, folks. Yes. <laughs> and and you, I love how you're not afraid to pass it on to me. Everyone else, you'd be like, don't worry. Don't about worry about it. Virginia's got four kids of her own. Yeah. She'll be right. She gets them all. I'm yeah. always sick. Though, yeah. You know, <laughs> I probably gave you them, this one. Who knows? No, definitely from my little grandson, Luca. No doubt about that. All right. Okay. So we are talking about, we're in the book of Samuel and we're in the book of Acts. Yes. We've been working our way through both those over the, the course of the month. Yep. And today we're doing 1 Samuel 26 to Samuel 30 26. and cool. then Acts 16 to 20. Okay. So we're following through on uh, 1 Samuel and on Acts. And the series is mission. Yeah. So I chose these these chapters, Samuel and, Samuel and Acts, obviously, because that's the mission of the early church. We see the outworking of that um, and how they did mission in the early stages. And one Samuel, I really felt like the story of David, it's kind of like David's mission to bring the kingdom, to establish God's kingdom on earth in Israel. So I thought it was just good to focus through and do a good extensive character study on the life of David as well. How extensive is this going to be? Well, I don't know. We, we, we dug into it a little bit with Jimmy and, and uh, with Phil, so we'll see where we go today. Yeah. And, you know, I'd, I want to point out where the two differences between – well, not two differences between the men because there's a lot of differences between David and Saul slash Paul. Yes. But I really picked up on the natural man versus the spiritual man. Okay. Tell me more. The natural man is the man who lives in his flesh mm-hmm. and who is uh, living for his own self, I mm-hmm. suppose. Yep. And the spiritual man is one who is connected to God, who is seeking God. Yep. And I've just noticed how they how it plays out. Yeah, okay. So yeah. I'm going to um, pick that up. Pick that up as we go through. If, if I remember. If you remember. All right, that, let's go good. straight in. Straight in to 1 Samuel 26. Yep. Is it just me or is that music in between loud? Oh, it is. I'm going to have to manually turn it down, I think. Let me let me turn it down for the next one. Folks, you can tell us and hopefully the next time around it'll be quieter. Yeah, let us know in the comments on the yeah. Instagram. Oh, that a few people loud. say to me. Phil told me the music, the bell in the music sounds like it just grates on him in the car, he was telling me. So anyway, we'll have some more music. We'll perse- persevere with this music this year and we'll get some. We'll get Kenny, like Kenny to no. record something fresh for next ah, year, I think. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. So here we are, 1 Samuel 26, and just before this chapter, Samuel, the namesake of the book, he's just died. He has, yeah, just prior to this, yep. He's the prophet. He is the prophet that anointed David, yep. He anointed was the last, David. the last judge of Israel. And he anointed David when he was young. Yes. Did he anoint him twice? Yes, I think he did. Because he David is actually anointed three times. Yes, yes, I think that's right. He's anointed, let me get... You've done the research. He's anointed as a young boy, and then he has all that time in the desert, and then he's anointed when he becomes king uh, of Judah, and then he's anointed when he becomes king of all Israel. Is that the three you're going to talk about? Yeah, I, I'm not so sure on the second one, but okay. yeah. Anyway. Right. Off the top of okay. my head, that's that's me without any study. I may be wrong there. All right, so David is in the wilderness here, yes. and he's been pursued by Saul, who has tried multiple times to kill him already. Yep. And he's a group of maybe 600 or so outcast men who yep. are with him and they're hiding where they can. Yeah, running around all over the southern parts of Israel trying to hide from Saul. I wonder what it felt like for David. He's been anointed and here he is in the wilderness, mm. far from promise. Yeah, well, I think you get a good insight in some of the Psalms as to what David was going through during this time. There are Psalms that he wrote and specifically say during this time, while he was in the wilderness, 
running away from Saul. So you, you see that this was not an easy time for David. Between the Psalms and some, even just some of the narrative that we have read and will read in these passages, uh, this, was a, this was a significant trial, trusting in the promises of God, saying, well, Lord God, you've got to come through for me here because you promised this, but I'm not seeing it. Now, I think it wasn't an easy time by any stretch of the imagination. And I have a confession. Yes, what's the confession? It starts off early with, I, I've grown up thinking that David was this huge hero, like Braveheart, you know, right. Mel Gibson in Braveheart, and he's he's that character yeah, in right. all the stories. And I know mm. that I've been meant to think of him like that, right? But when I read this, there's a lot of cracks in that character. Oh yes, for sure. Yeah, David's yeah. not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. No, but I was always sort of told to believe oh, yes. David, and when I when I've read things that he has done in, in these chapters. I never questioned whether it was right or wrong. Okay, gotcha. I always just said it was. There was this it was assumption right. that it must be right because it was David. Well, it's God's word; it must be yeah. right. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean by that's why David is such a great character study because you see some times when he does things well, and you see some times when he does things poorly. Um, so that's why it's great. I think part part of that too comes from I mean, we're doing second, First Samuel here, but when you look at David in the Book of Chronicles, which was the last book. Of, it's not the last book in our Old Testament, but it was the last. It is the last book in the Jew, the Jewish Tanakh, the way it's written there. And the Chronicles was a retelling of this same account, and uh, it comes well. The kings it comes from the retelling of David and and, uh, and the kings of Israel, uh, kings of Judah, but it was written in the post-exilic period, and they really do whitewash David. So they really want to when they when they write Chronicles, you'll see a lot of the character flaws are taken out because they want to set him up as the ideal messianic king for the future. Um, but when you get kings, you get the rawness of it. You get David's flaws. Yeah, you do. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. I just want to point that out. When you're reading Samuel, you're also reading Chronicles as yes, what you're saying. Yes, correct, yes. So you're reading almost two books of the Bible at once. Yeah, that are telling the it's same story but yeah. written. Slightly uh, differently. Uh, written slightly differently and written about 400 plus years apart. And for a different agenda. Plus, for a different agenda, yeah. Yeah. Probably 600 years apart, really, these books are probably written, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're crossing off the Bible as you read it, you can almost cross off Chronicles you, I well. wouldn't do that. I no. wouldn't recommend it because Chronicles cheating. is telling a different story. Yeah. So we probably, the way I've set this up this year, we probably won't do much double up, just simply so we can cover more overall stories in the scripture. But Chronicles is written for a different purpose to a different congregation. And as I say, it does whitewash these stories significantly. Okay. I'm going to stop talking about Chronicles because we're talking, we're talking about, about 1 Samuel. Samuel at the moment. Yep. Yeah. And I do want to say as well that I'm when I read the Bible, I like to look for the story within the story. Yep. But I haven't really done that in this because okay. I just wanted to see the text, yep. to read it firsthand, and then I want to go back not in this podcast, but, but go back go and back actually study and, it in more depth. Study it in more depth. Well, the beautiful thing about doing that with this, if you haven't, folks, if you haven't read these stories in one Samuel and, and Kings especially, it's just straight narrative. So it's actually really an enjoyable read just to read it way through. You don't you can get a good overview by doing what you're saying, Jenny. You just read the story and let it speak to you. Yeah. And then you can go back and study it. Yeah. In fact, I think it's good and it's healthy to actually have a bit of an overview of it before you get bogged down in in the intricacies of the story, which are, they're there and the, the, the writers want, there's all kinds of remezes and revelations hidden in the text and all that yep. kind of stuff. But the you just, mysteries within. The mysteries within, yeah. But for now, just begin with the overall narrative. It's a great way to start. Yeah. All right. Okay. So in this, uh, David, he has, where's my notes? He's been, we just said he's been anointed king twice, but also want to show you, um, say that he's, he's actually married. 
He's been married. At He's this been point. married by this point. And his wife, who was Saul's daughter, has been taken from him. That's correct. Yep. And he's actually he's probably married a second time by now because he's married Abigail as well, hasn't he? In the previous chapter, yeah. I think. Yes. Nabal's wife that, um, yeah, chapter 25, that, that Nabal angers yeah, definitely. David. Yeah, definitely. And he yeah. married Abigail as well. And neither of, oh, no, sorry, that she is not Jewish. She's not an Israelite. Who? Um, Abigail. News to me. Isn't she? I don't I know. I don't know. I've never, that could be, that could be so. Nabal is a, verse 20, uh, chapter 25, the chapter before, it says Nabal is a descendant of Caleb. So he's definitely an Israelite. All right. Okay. So I'm assuming Abigail would have been, but maybe that's an assumption. Maybe Abigail, Nabal's wife is not. I don't know. I've never heard that. All right. I'm going to check that and go check back that to and get back to you. One. You can check that one yourselves, right. folks. <laughs> okay. So in this story here, uh, David is... Which chapter? I just almost skipped a chapter. We're in 26. 26. David spares Saul again for the second time. Second time, time. yep. I'll just read a little bit. So so um, listen to my voice. I sound really funny. I haven't done this for a while. <laughs> now, some men from Ziph came to Saul and they say that David's hiding on the hill. So Saul took 3,000 of Israel's elite troops and went to hunt him down in the wilderness to kill him. Right. Yes, so yep. He's he's, he's, Saul he's hell bent wants to kill literally on killing David. David. Saul knows that David is the appointed king. Yes. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Well, he knows that David. He he knows that David is his biggest threat to the kingdom, and Saul is. I've talked about this with Phil. I think like it was about a month ago we recorded it. Um, that yes, he he knows that Saul is his greatest. David is his greatest threat, and he's really selfish. In fact, he even tries to kill his own son Jonathan, because he thinks that Jonathan. Um, you know, Jonathan is going to shame him by not being the king. So Saul's not really interested in his son, Jonathan. He's just interested in his own heritage and losing everything. And so he's just hell-bent, completely insecure by this point. He has lost it and just um, going after David with everything he's got, deeply insecure. Where once he was close to God, yes, Saul, he's yes. no longer close no, to God. He lost his way by this point drastically. Doesn't it say somewhere that God had left him? Yes, but By the, his own fault. Though. Yes, yeah, because, because of his own giving in to his brokenness. We were all broken, but Saul had opportunity after opportunity to turn to God. He started well, but he did not finish well. He ended up just um, giving himself over to his own insecurity, and it became a horrible uh, downward spiral from that moment on. And he directly disobeyed God as well. Yes. Yep. Okay. Repeatedly. All right. So here, um, Saul is camped out. And then David, in verse 5, it says, David slipped over to Saul's camp one night to look around. Saul and Abner, Abner the son of Ner. Now, Abner is his commander. He's Saul's of, commander of okay. his army. Yep. And remember that name. He, he will come back. back. He will he come back in the back. story. Yeah. And Tragically. In, in 2 Samuel 2, right? Yeah. Yeah, at some point in the future, he'll come back. I yes. Can't remember. He probably is. Yes, it's 2 Samuel. You're right. So they go and they find them asleep. And David... Um, he he goes and he's standing around the the camp. The camp. Right. They're all the picture is they're all asleep on the ground, and David and a couple of his guys are there walking around the camp, and they're not being and everyone's put sound asleep. All the right, Lord's put him in a deep sleep. So he and it's Abishai goes is in this, and Abishai is his nephew. Yes, correct. Okay, so I'll go with you, Abishai replied in verse six. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found. I should him say asleep. Abishai is Joab's brother. 
So Joab and Abishai and Asahel are three brothers. They're all David's nephews. Yes, which is important. Yes, it's important because these three guys, the sons of Zeruiah, come up over and over again. But they ended up, later on, they end up uh, being killed and Joab kills. uh, Yeah, it's a messed up situation. It's a messed up family. In fact, Abner will kill Asahel and that's what sets the whole process. The youngest brother is Asahel who get killed and then uh, Joab and Abishai want to kill Abner then. It's a messed up process. It is a me- yeah. messed up. And it's also from um, the child from David's eldest brother. Correct. All right. Yep. Look at that, just off the top of my head. Well done. You, that one. Yep, you did that one. Yeah. So Abishai, who um, is a warrior. Yes. And he's a, he's a- One of David's mighty men, it says. Mighty men. So they go in, they find Saul was asleep and with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head, Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around Saul. So Saul is in the middle being protected. Yes. This is actually a common way to sleep yeah, totally. at the time. Yeah, you protect the king yeah, at all but, costs. But God had put them into a deep sleep yes. for this specific moment. Yep. And Abishai says to David, Let God me has, pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike twice. That is so creepy. That's but exactly yes. what it was like. It says he whispered it to David. Yeah. Hey, Dave. Get that spear. Let's kill him. Oh, look at the temptation there. Absolutely. That evil little voice mm. whispering in the night, kill him yeah. and take what is yours. Yep, that's right. Take it. You deserve this. You're the anointed king. So you have to see that the voice of Abishai is the, is the voice of the enemy, very much the same as Jesus being tempted. You know, I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth if you just bow down and worship me. Do it my way. I'll give you a shortcut. Mm. That's what David's being offered here, a shortcut to the promises of God. And at this point, David remains close to God. Yes, he does. And he's yeah. able to say to Abishai, no, don't kill him for who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one. Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday or he will die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed, but take his spear and jug and that jug of water beside his head and then let's get out of here. Yep. I love here that David is so committed to um, honouring the Lord's anointed. Yeah. And he's so, he, he believes the promise. He trusts the promise, he trusts but he trusts promise. God's timing for the promise. Because later on, in actually the very next chapter, we see that that switches for David. Switches? How? Well, in the next chapter, he says, someday Saul's going to get me. Oh, yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah. He, he shoots through and runs off. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But at this point, David remains close and yep. he's acting in God's plan. Yes. And I find it so, (laughs) this is so strange. So they're asleep and then David takes the spear up onto one side of the valley and he shouts down, like, Saul, Saul, wake up, wake up. Or Abner, wake up. Abner, wake up. Yeah. And You didn't do a very good job, did you, Abner? I've been over there. You're not protecting your king. That's right. That's basically what he's doing. Why haven't you guarded your master, the king, when someone came to kill him? This isn't good at all. And I swear by the Lord that you and your Men deserve to die because you failed to protect your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around, where's the king's spear and the jug of water that were beside his head? And then Saul recognises David's voice. Mm. David, who had spoken to him, if you've read, in, read any of this, the other chapters, David, who had sung to him, who'd played yep. music to him, who'd soothed him, who had yep. been his son-in-law. Mm. They had this close they relationship. They had a beautiful relationship there for a while. And now Saul is who wants to kill him. Mm. He's driven mad by the fact mm. he wants to kill his own yes. son. Yes, uh, son in son-in-law, law. Son-in-law, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And Saul's, um, Saul recognises his voice and called out, is that you, my son, David? Yes. So at this point, he's his son again. Yes, that's right. Yeah. This is actually a really interesting, this is why it's such a beautiful character study because you, 
you realize how screwed up Saul is. Jill and I were talking about this based on a television show we've been watching that's got issues of domestic violence in it. And you see you see the man who's the perpetrator of domestic violence. One minute he's he's violent towards the girl he's with and then the next minute he's repentant and he's crying and he's going, I can't help myself. And we were talking about how much of that is is genuine because no doubt at times that's manipulative, you know, that no, no doubt at times that's fake and that's narcissism and it's just using. But I think oftentimes when, when people like this are obsessed and they're insecure and it leads to domestic violence or it leads to situations like this, there are moments where there's a chink in the armor and they feel like they just fall apart and they go, I'm a mess, which is what I think is going on with Saul here. He, he does break down and he realizes the, the error of his ways for a moment, mm. but he, there's no lasting change. He, you're going to see he goes on and says, I'm not going to kill you and all that, but it doesn't take long for it to happen all over again. And that's the story of brokenness in our lives. We can't often break out of those destructive character patterns without confession of it, acknowledgement of it, but then accountability and support and, and people around us who will help us. We, you know, otherwise the proverb says a pig returns to its vomit. Pig returns to the mud, a dog returns to its vomit. We end up going back. And that's what you see Saul doing. He just, he wants to break out and you think, oh, come on Saul. And then no, back into the mess again. Yeah, I wonder it's when he when he's confronted with the truth of David and it's almost like the Lord reveals to him this is you you have to um repent Saul. And in that moment he does, but then when he goes into the the darkness of his bedroom, you know, in the middle yes. of the night, then he starts to be controlled by controlled his darker by thoughts. By his darker thoughts yeah. all over again. Yeah, that's that's exactly what's going on, I think. And this um is exactly shows to me the, when I mentioned the natural man and the spiritual man, you can see here, can, can you see what I'm yes, saying? Yes, I can, yeah. So yeah. Um, Saul is very much in his natural self. Yep. And yep. David is very much in his spiritual self. Yes, David's operating out self. of, more often than not here, he's operating out of his his revelation of who he is in Christ or who, who he is in re- relationship with the Lord, yes. Yeah, I should say spiritual person, yes. natural person. Yeah, I know what you meant. Yeah, okay. Yep. So this is what it really illustrated to me in this chapter, the natural person versus the spiritual person. Yes. That's first three. That's, yeah, that's what great. I see. Good. I like yeah. it. And I've written in these notes here, the natural ma- person, I'll just say natural man, it's easier, a uh, helpless but willing tool of evil. A helpless but willing tool of evil. Yep. And Saul knows that God has chosen David, but he sets out time and time again to kill him. He strives to hinder, uh, like, Jesus as the son because the promises. Sure. Right. And um, and the king and the descendant of David. It's almost like, da- like Satan is working his way here yep. through the natural yes. man. Yes, yes, I think so. He is. And that's the picture of what is the same as what happens through, with all humans. You'll see it. You'll see the serpent's voice through Saul. You'll see it through all the kings of Israel. You actually see it. You'll see it in David's life later on too. That's yeah. exactly right. When he operates in the natural, when we operate in the natural, the, we listen to the serpent's voice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I've got here the spiritual person, and I mustn't have written this because I would never use this language, so it's come from somebody else, but I can't remember where. The kind of person never who never accustoms themselves to evil, never accustoms themselves yeah. to evil. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I think, I think of that, I think of the Apostle Paul saying, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So the more we are in tune with spirit, we're living spirit-led life, those voices, that voice of the serpent, that voice of darkness, that voice of take for yourself, that will be um, silenced to the degree that we're able to do what David does, which is choose God's way, not his own vengeance, his own way. 
because David could have killed Saul right here and he could have become king, but it would, in the process of becoming king, he probably would have lost everything because he he gave in to the voice of the serpent to do yeah. it that way. And going back to our sin discussion, uh, I, this points to when Paul says, I know what I should be doing, but I keep doing yes, wrong. Yeah. This is Saul is doing this is, that. This, this is, is Saul, Saul continually giving in to yeah. the flesh. To the what did you call the the the, flat, the man the natural man I think you said yeah, did you? natural man spiritual natural man. man yep that's right this is why this study is so good the study of David and Saul because uh, it is like it's like, it's like psychologist dream it's just right there right before you you can see played out in black and white the ups and downs of human behavior and life yeah and that word accustoms that I use then it's like the natural man accustoms himself to evil like at first. Yep. Saul would never have imagined nope. that he yep. would go against David. Yep. But little by little, yeah, good. He changes. It gets more. It gets more. Yep. Yeah. And so by the end, he's he's just controlled mm. by yeah. this. It takes over. It takes it's, over. It's like that yeah. sin that grows, and we talked about it in the sin one. It grows and eventually it consumes us. Yeah. This we, blackness we start, consumes yeah. us. Yeah. When we fail to be shocked. Yep. Then we start. Then later we, we sort of we give way to doing yes, it. Yes, that's right. You know, James says what was it? we talked about it in the sin one as well. It starts with yeah, you know, a little bit of giving into temptation, and it gives birth to sin, which fully grown gives birth to death. That's what we see happening in Saul's life. He didn't set out to destroy David. He just gave in to those insecure voices when they came home and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And he started to feel, hang on a second, they've credited David with more than me. Such a taunting And so began with that, exactly. And it just spiraled down as he gave in to those negative rejection voices. Oh, you're not worth it. And deep insecurity settled in his heart. And to be honest, I think most people who are abusive, I don't want to be, I'm not presuming to be a psychologist here, but I think most people who are abusive towards others, it's deeply rooted in insecurity. That's one of the major causes for this. Yeah, definitely this is what Saul is experiencing. He's insecure. He's deeply insecure. And it's been, you know, his kingdom replaced by this guy. His sons aren't going to be the kings. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the difference with the spiritual man is that David here, he refuses to act independently of God. Yeah, good. And he puts himself in God's himself yeah. in God's hands. He says, look, I, I, I had a chance to kill you. The Lord gave me a chance, but I refused to do it, he says to Saul. Yep. Yeah. A little bit arrogant in that moment. <laughs> yeah, well, he says, I refused the- to kill you even when you <laughs> placed you in my power for the Lord's and you are the Lord's anointed one. Now may the Lord value my life even as I have valued yours today. May he rescue me from all my troubles. Saul said to David, blessings on you, my son, David. You will do many heroic deeds and you will succeed. David went away. Saul returned home. Yeah. So there's a little chink in Saul's armor, but it doesn't last. No, it doesn't last. But th- um, this is what he says here to David. Oh, sorry, not to David. Um, when David replies, yes, my Lord, why are you chasing me? What have I done? What is my crime? Yes. Now, my, now but let my... What am I reading? My Lord, the King, listen to his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me. So David is allowing, if there is any sin yes. to be found in him, yep. he's saying, can you find it in yes. this moment? He's saying, if, if this is really, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand back. If this is really the Lord doing this, then yep. let him judge me. Sin meaning against Saul. Saul, yeah. Has he done anything I, against Saul? Right. And then he says something like, should we do a sin offering? Could a sin offering cover it? That's what I read it as. Versus that. 
but let him accept my offering. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. He's saying, yes, if I've done anything wrong, I'm offering to repent of it and do a sin offering, which invariably involved offering an animal sacrifice plus also making restitution. So, yes, he was offering to do that. But if this is simply a human scheme, he says, then may those involved be cursed by the Lord. Yeah. So there's a difference there. There's the human scheme and then there is something that somebody has done wrong in the sight of the Lord. No, wait, what am I saying? I've just gone down to my own rabbit hole. It's not going to make sense to anybody. I apologize. I'll pull back, pull back, pull back. Rewind. Beep, beep, beep. I don't know where I was going. I don't know where that. you were going either. No, I just thought. Um, It'll probably dawn on you in a minute. Yeah, it might. It might come back. I don't know. I feel a bit sleepy today. Oh, that's all right. Well, yeah. I've got a head cold, so I'm not really with it either. But we'll get through this, Jenny. All right, we will. Anything else you want to do on second, First Samuel 26? Got yes. Thoughts? Yes. Yes. What For they have driven me from my home so uh, I can yes. no longer live among the Lord's people. He is no longer in Israel at yep. this time, or Judah, rather. Yep. What do you think that felt like for him being God's anointed and he is driven from his home? How far does he think he is from God's promise? How far does he think he is from God's promise? I, I don't know. I don't know if I could comment on how far he thinks. I think the ba- I'd say, I think it'd be fair to say that that's the battle he's facing is, did God really say because that's he's had this prophetic word. He's been anointed by Samuel. But now this period of testing is being away from the promised land and being away from, it seems like there's no chance he could be the king and all this sort of stuff. I think that's his time of testing. That's his, do you, are you going to believe the promise? So I don't he's know how. about to be. In this moment, I don't actually think he feels that. I think in this moment, he's deeply connected to his spiritual self. Right. Okay. So it was a backward yes, twisted I, question for yes, you. Yes, I do, but I think that he will have to journey through oh, he that. Does. Yes, that's right. And I think everyone yeah. will have to journey through that did God really say moment. Joseph had to do it in the dungeon. Did God really say? So I think that is the making of all of us is that moment when it seems like we are driven out of our land. It seems like the promise that we had, the dream we had, the prophetic word we had, the hope we had is just dead. It just seems like there's no possible way when that thing's going to come to pass. And I think that's the process that we all go through because it's in those moments when we truly put God first and not the gift. We put the giver before the gift. It's the same as Abraham having to offer his son, Isaac, the promised son, back to God. It's it's that whole moment of lay everything down. And I don't think any of us will ever escape that. This is David's desert moment coming up here. I mean, it hasn't been easy for him. He's in tune, tune with the Lord, but he's already had he's already been running all over the countryside. Uh, like when previously this one was talking about it with Phil, he'd been in Engedi and and it, the, the last time he had the chance to kill Saul, this is the second time. So it's not an easy time for him. But he's about to head off and and uh, end up in the desert and end up in all over the place trying to stay away. So it's, right. a, it's a tough time for him. I don't know how well he did it. I, I think he probably did it pretty well based on his Psalms. But he had a lot of whinging and complaining to God about, Lord, kill my enemies. So I think, yeah, it was obviously heartfelt and it was it yeah. was, it was was hard for him. I think he feels that at this point in the story, the Lord is with him. He's, on, he's yeah, literally on a mountaintop almost celebrating the fact yep. that he is righteous. Yes, I think you're right. That, and he yeah. feels God's presence. But the question is, and what you're just talking about there, is how he reacts when he doesn't feel God's presence. Yes, and yes. that's in the next chapter. That's going to come up. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and that's that journey. It's all well and good to feel close to God, but what about when we can't feel God? How are we going to li- walk out the life of faith when we don't feel, quote, unquote, God's presence in our life? 
And that's when, that's when character is forged, not when everything's easy. Yeah. Yeah. And Saul, who does not feel God in his life, is behaving very badly. Yep. Yep. And David, has, David will have the chance to go down the same path as Saul. He doesn't go down that path. He, you know, he's able to wrestle with that and, and come back to, as you said, not operating solely out of the, the fleshly man, but out of the spiritual man. Yeah. So we have the the idea here of the new nature, the spiritual man, we yep. could say that, and the old nature. Yes. And here at the end of it, um, they go different directions, even though Saul says, come with me, right? Come. Yep. Come back. Come back, come back, come back. Come back, goes, come nah. back, <laughs> David. He goes, once bitten, twice yeah. shy. Yeah. No boss. <laughs> no. <laughs> so the new nature can never trust the old nature. Yeah, okay, great. You got that out of your own personal reading? That's good. Yes, that's great. yeah, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. I, sometimes I do. Yeah, that's know? great. Yeah, the new nature cannot abide with the old nature, definitely. Mm. And you can see they're actually here separated yes. by a valley. There's yep. the new nature on one side, yep. the spiritual on one side, and the good old – and the valley in between, yeah. the, the divided, separate world. inseparable. Yeah. yeah, and you can even look at that between, you know, God and human, the uh, the chasm, the, the chasm valley, between, yep. sure. the need, somebody, the yep. mediator. A bridge, yeah, mediator, yeah. yep. There's yeah. all these themes. Yeah, yeah, Once you start right. to yep. uncover it, good, you find it. But that's I, that's as far as I want to go with that chapter. With 1 Samuel 26. Yes, but I'm going to come back We're in a few con- years, maybe, and redo and it. redo it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I did. I did the David stuff way back, like in the late '90s. I did a series of Bible studies on it, and I've continued to go back and visit David's life many times since then. Yes, because I think we've just talked about the surface stuff. There's a story yes, within uh, there's the story. There's a story. With, oh, definitely in the stories of David, definitely. But this is good stuff. So we're going to go. We're actually going to skip to Acts now. Is that right? That's correct. What chapter in Acts are we going Acts to? Acts 16. Acts 16. Meet you there. Here we are, Acts 16, which is Paul's second missionary journey. Yep, he begins his second trip. Oh, good for him. He does three. He does three, yes, he does. And so this is, he first went to Derby mm-hmm. and then to Lystra. Where's Derby and where's Lystra? Uh, they are both in modern day Turkey. Turkey, that's Most right. Most of Paul's yep. stuff is Turkey and then across to Greece, yep. Okay, so here there's a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek Timothy was well thought of by the believers in these areas, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. Mm-hmm. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky, mm-hmm. a little bit weird, and some people might say um, contradictory. Okay, because Paul's anti. I know what you're going to say. You yeah. go ahead. I won't cut you in off. Deference for the, of, <coughs> in deference to sorry, the, the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town. Possibly he was in a bit of pain, bit of pain for, for a while. while. <laughs> Honestly, he's lucky he survived it, to be honest, <laughs> at that age. yeah. Instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. This is a, a chapter that throws people. Why would Paul say that this guy should be circumcised and then make such an effort to say later on or in well, other actually, parts? Well, actually, immediately before this 
is Acts 15, which before this, which is, is the it? Council of Jerusalem, the chapter immediately before. Okay, where he says you don't have to be circumcised to be a follower. Well, he goes to Jerusalem to have a big argument about it, and they said, yeah, you don't have to be circumcised. He argues with the disciples. Yeah, yep, they have. And a he big, has to win Paul around. Peter he has to around, win. Right? Yeah, that's right. They have to get to. Well, James is actually the James, the Lord's brother, is actually the head of the church at the time, and they have to issue this. They issue this letter to go back to Antioch and say. The Jews, we're not expecting the Gentiles to do anything other than these four things. Abstain from blood, food, sac- meat sacrificed to idols, sexual immorality, and um, what's the fourth one? Gone blank. Uh, my head, we were just saying our heads are not quite in it because my head's in it from a head cold. From uh, Yeah, so they immediately before this, it was... Uh, we let me go. For instance, where, where is it? The four things. I could just turn the page. You could just turn your page. You probably find it quicker than I could. Um, it's a big moment oh, in Paul's I mean, ministry I mean, actually when he argues with them. He he does. He has he goes there. Paul and Barnabas go there, and they they sorry yes they go there and they have a, a conversation and they say we don't want you to we want you to abstain from eating food sacrificed to idols consuming blood the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality no mention of circumcision so basically they have this issue that's they agree with Paul that the Jews don't need to be circumcised to be part of God's family i've just found it verse yeah. 4 in 15 is that what you're about to read uh, i've already it's already it's further down it's mentioned a couple of times okay what, what have you got verse 4 Verse four uh, is the Gentile converts must be circumcised Correct. and required to follow the law of Moses. And, and that's it says this what Paul brought Paul into sharp dispute with them. Yes. Yes. So they sent a council down to Jerusalem to discuss it, and they came up with this letter and said, "No, circumcision is not required." And that what you're about to say is why then in the very next chapter does Paul encourage Timothy to be circumcised? Yeah. What you want me to answer that? Well, I have my answer, but what's your answer? Oh, my, my answer is is that Paul is chosen to do that, not because he has to, but it says in deference to the Jews, Paul wants to avoid putting any stumbling blocks in the way of the Jews before they hear the gospel. So he is prepared to encourage Timothy to get circumcised so that he, he gets gets him in the door, basically, so that he could at least begin a conversation. So Paul saying, Tim, you don't need to be circumcised to be a believer, However, would you be willing to get the snip so that you can uh, get a, a foot in and we can actually reach? So Paul is showing that um, even though he's very strong and incredibly strong in the book of Galatians on this issue of circumcision, he, t- he says in Galatians, those who are of the circumcision sect who say we need to get circumcised, he said, I wish they'd just go and cut the whole thing off is what he says. He's pretty furious about it, but he's still willing to lay down his rights and encourage Timothy to lay down his rights so they can reach people. That's my answer. What's your answer, Jeannie? Well, I was going to say or point out, he is Jewish. Paul is Jewish, yes. No. Uh, so Timothy, Timothy is half Jewish. He's half. His mother is Jewish, Jewish. and his father is yes. Greek. Now, I do remember. That does not make him Jewish. Well, actually, it does for these purposes that he is going to go preach to the Jews and as a passage of right, a rite of passage, he has to be circumcised. Correct. Yes. So really this is more about, yes, it is what you're saying, but he also has the father, they have failed to abide by the law when he was correct. young. Correct. Yeah, correct. But what I was saying is he isn't Jewish in the sense that he's not a pure, purebred Jew because his father is Greek. He's, he's half Gentile, half Jewish. Now you ask any Jew in the first first century, is an uncircumcised half Jew, half Greek a Jew? They will tell you, no, they're not. They're a Gentile because they're not pure blood. But because he goes and gets circumcised, 
they, he can be acknowledged and accepted as a Jew, just like any Gentile. Correct. Could. Yes. Yes, correct. That was where we were heading. That's where we were headed, yeah. Yes. Because later on, Titus, who is also yeah. brought in. He doesn't he, get circumcised. He is a Gentile and he has no moral or biblical obligation. Correct. Where Timothy had some moral and biblical obligation. Moral and biblical. Yeah, to be able to speak to the Jews. Yes. To be able to be one of them, he had to meet that. Yes. My snip. point is that he, he was prepared to do that. Not that he had to, but that he was prepared to do that in order to be of benefit to others. He was prepared to give up his rights to uncircumcision so that he could reach those who were of the circumcision. I think that's more the point. So strange. <laughs> Yes. It plays across into all areas. About what rights yeah. are we prepared to give up in order to build a, build a bridge to somebody else? Yeah. I think that's the moral of the story for us, and that and that's what Timothy he had. You know, when you say he had a biblical or a moral obligation, I don't think he he maybe had a moral moral or an ethical obligation, but he didn't have a biblical author because circumcision was not going to win him any favor with Christ. He was already accepted um, because of his faith in Christ. I meant from the Jewish perspective. From a Jewish perspective, to yes. be able to hang out with yes. these. Jews yes. uh, who often or sometimes did become converts. Yes. He had to meet that requirement. Yes, correct. And he was willing to do that. Yeah. yeah. Whereas later on, Titus does not have to speak to the Jewish people. No. So he does not have to be. He's, his job when he comes into Jerusalem later on, is, Paul says, Titus wasn't even, didn't even feel compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek, because he wasn't trying. He wasn't in Jerusalem to reach the Jews at the time. He was just so hanging out with this Paul. Is, yeah, this is not a contradiction then. No, it's not a contradiction. Some people would read it. Yeah. Just want to point that out. Yes, it's not a contradiction. I think once you understand the, the reason behind it was Paul was willing to give up some rights and encourage him to do the same, give up some of his freedoms for the benefit of others. That's the key. Because Paul is actually spending a lot of time in synagogues. Yes. Spending a lot of time preaching and trying to reason that Christ is the Messiah with yep. the Jewish people. Yep. Paul would often go to the synagogue first and he'd win a few converts and then he'd head to the Gentiles after that. You'll see that pattern throughout the rest of the book of Acts as he goes on his missionary journeys. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And I, I do, um, just before this happened, the point... Um, we see the Holy Spirit moving here. We see the Holy Spirit as part of this story mm-hmm. already, that Timothy is elected by the Holy Spirit to be part of Paul's journey. Sure. Yep. Just throwing that in there because yep. like, the Holy Spirit is very active in this kingdom building where in David's, the building of David's kingdom, you don't read about the Holy Spirit. You read about the Holy Spirit here. Okay. Okay. Do you think that the king, that the Holy Spirit was still working behind the scenes oh, yeah. in David's kingdom? Yes. It's just less aware of it or it's not in the narrative is what you mean. Yes, it's not in the narrative, yeah. but it's also David wasn't uh, asking the Holy Spirit, I suppose, to come into their lives and be baptised into the Holy Spirit. Gotcha. Yes, This I is see. a different this ministry, is, different, is a different way time. to build. Yep, different way of doing yeah. it. Yep. Yeah, and we read here, you know, the Holy Spirit directly tells them to change direction yes. or go this way. Yep, we'll see that when, when the Spirit calls Paul to leave Turkey and head over to Macedonia, which is in this chapter. Yeah, there is, yeah. verse 6, yeah. Whereas before it would be, and God said through the prophets, or through the prophets or through the Urim and Thummim, through the priest, David inquiring the priest. of the, the priest, with through the Urim and Thummim, that now they're hearing through the Spirit. In dreams, dreams and visions. And c- collectively in community, which is what Acts 15 is all about, the Council of Jerusalem. It's like... We think we can hear from the Lord, but we believe we can hear from the Lord, but we also believe in the value of community and working things out and thrashing things out together. Yeah, all of those things seem to be 
the New Testament way to hear the voice of the Lord and act on it. And I can see just off this first read how the Holy Spirit enables the spiritual man in such a way because Paul is so conscious of the Holy Spirit being in his life, whereas David is not so conscious of that. David still has his priests. He still has uh, – he has to mm-hmm. seek with those urim and thurim. Yep. <laughs> yeah, those things. But um, whereas David connects with God like that, Paul is connected every moment. Right. Through the yes. Holy Spirit. The spiritual the man inner, is – The inner awareness of the Holy Spirit, yeah. Yeah. I would think that – I would think Psalm 51, David says – you know, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. I, th- I still think he has an awareness of God's presence in his world, but the outworking of that is through this um, outward focus through the priests and and all of those different aspects. So there's def- David's a little bit of a glim- glimmer of this, um, but not to the same degree that we get from the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Who, yeah. And David isn't giving the whole like, – he isn't baptizing in the Holy Spirit. Yes. The Holy Spirit is working within yes. David. Yep. Um, but the Holy Spirit is now expanding, exactly. growing, yep. expanding, change. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the scholars will say that, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon people in the, I think we've talked about this in the podcast earlier in the year. In the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon people for specific times at specific places for specific purposes. Yep. But in these new days, Joel says, and then Peter quotes it, in the last days, God will pour out his Spirit on all flesh. And so there's this constant awareness of God's presence in our lives. Yeah. And that's what Paul is living out of. Yeah. Yes. See, so you can see already the spiritual man, spiritual man. is on the move here. Yes, he is. I like yeah. that. I like the way you're putting that. Yeah, because yeah. that's what Paul's language is. The spirit in the flesh, the, the spiritual man versus the man of the flesh. Yes, he uses that language all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's good. I like it. Oh, well, that's good. Verse 5, I like here, they were strengthened in their faith. Mm. This sort of, it suggests me to me that faith is something that needs to be tended to. Yes. That it, it's something that can grow. Do you think that faith is a gift? Yes, Ephesians will tell us that faith is a gift, but then we, um, then we are expected to work at our faith um, so that it does grow larger every day. So yes, faith. Ephesians says um, we are ex- saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself; it's a gift of God. So, and and First Corinthians twelve will tell us that faith is a spiritual gift. But then it's not just enough for us to be passive in our faith. We are to work it out. And in this context here, how is it being worked out? Well, it's being worked out in community. It's being worked out by Paul coming back to these churches and revisiting these churches that he's been to previously and and sowing into them and uh, instructing them. It says instructing them to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. Follow the stuff of Acts 15 immediately before and, and be strengthened in the process of doing that. We strengthen and grow our faith. Yes, it's a gift but then it's not just a passive response to the gift. It has to be active. And when we do that, it says here, they grow larger every day. Yep. So should we expect to see churches growing larger if we're acting in our faith? Oh, that's yes, with some caveats. (laughs) I love that response. Yes, yes, with some caveats. That tells me you've been... Pre, uh, a pastor for a, a long pastor time. For a long Sound time. like a politician, didn't I? Yeah. Sound like a politician more than a pastor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I think that it'd be to oversimplify and say that every church that um, is going to, you know, is 
acting out faith is automatically going to grow. There are all kinds of external factors in, throughout history and church history as to why some churches grow larger and some don't. Um, but I think there should be this concept of growth. We should be always looking for growth and we should be expectant that new people will join the house of God, that new people will come to faith and people will grow in their faith. I think that we don't want to dismiss that, but we don't want to formularize it to the point where um, we think that, you know, that churches will go through pruning, churches will have hardship, churches will have persecution and numbers will drop and COVID has affected that. So there's all kinds of external factors there as well. But that doesn't let us off the hook. We should be wanting to grow in our faith and grow and, and encourage as a church. All of us should be thinking, who are we, who in our world are we supposed to be sharing the gospel with the good news of Jesus? I like your answer because it's so easy to read and they grew larger every day in verse five and think, oh, well, this was just the beginning of the church. It had to grow larger. Otherwise we weren't, right. we weren't here, you know, and you think, oh, of course the Holy Spirit's moving because this was the this beginning. This was the early stages yeah, of the church. this was the early stage. It was all alive. And, and questions naturally arise from that. If what, what we read then, yes. what happened then, should it be happening now? Yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think it's it's all pretty and perfect in the New Testament church either. When you look through the New Testament and all the letters that Paul's writing to, to these very churches, it's amazing you realize that it lasted. It's amazing that it lasted because <laughs> yes. there's all kind of screwed up messes yeah. in the churches as well. So it's we, we shouldn't try to whitewash it all. It was it was it was a beautiful time and it was growing. Um, you know, we could do with a few more Pauls going around doing that kind of thing. Uh, but at the same time, it wasn't without its hardships as well. It would have been extremely difficult mm. to do what he is doing here. Yes. And, I mean, they're travelling through Turkey and yep. then um, in verse 6 they – this is Galatia. Where's Galatia? Galatia is also in Turkey. So it that's southeast. And that's different. the book of Galatians? Yes. Galatia is a region. It's a province, a Roman pro- – it's not a town. It's a Ro- Roman province. So Galatia is written to the churches in Galatia. So this, it's, a, it's, a ho- it's a region. Okay. And then the, this is what we sort of mentioned before. The Holy Spirit prevents them yep. from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Asia at that time. So they then move on, but in his change of language, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Yep. So we've got the Holy Spirit, spirit, spirit of, of Jesus, Jesus interchangeable there. Yeah. Yep. And so instead they go through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. Yep. And that night Paul had a vision and a man appears from, uh, from Macedonia and says, come over to us and help yep. us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Yep. So if you look at a map, Paul had spent his first missionary journey with Barnabas traveling around what is modern day Turkey. And then he's intending, Barnabas doesn't go with him. They fell out, didn't they? They had a falling out, yeah. yeah. Had a falling out over John Mark, actually. But then he yeah. picks up Silas and Timothy and they go and they start with the intention of continuing through there. And they don't get, they get through some of Turkish churches, but then they get this call. They, the spirit seems to be saying, look, I want you to go beyond Turkey. So they get this call. And they head north to northern, northeastern Turkey. Troas is Troy, the ancient city of Troy, mm-hmm. um, just down from the Dardanelles. And from there, it's a short cruise across to um, to Europe. Europe across to Europe, to, and that's where they're headed. Paul is about to take the gospel, the gospel to, Europe. to Europe. Yep, the first time yep. goes to Europe. Yep, and and incredibly, the first people that are converts and that he preaches to are. Women. Come on. Yeah. Lydia gets the Guernsey for being the first recorded woman in Europe, the first European to receive the gospel. Yeah. And here, verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank 
where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. It sort of suggests there's no synagogue here. Remember he would go to the synagogue, yep. he goes to the synagogues, there's no synagogue here. Let's assume that there's not because they go to this place. And he, he sits. I've never thought about that actually. I've been to Philippi, but I've never thought about the fact that. Well, there was a. There was a it's si- not Philip. Oh, yeah. It's Philippi. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Can't remember. There is a Philip. I went to the synagogue Possibly. in Philippi. Yeah, but yes, y- but this is thousands of years later. You yeah, yeah, no, the ruins of Philippi. <laughs> the, ruin, the ruins yes, of ancient I know Philippi. Ruins, yes, but yes, let's just, because but it's there's not no mentioned. mention of the. Phil- that's right. There's no mention of a synagogue here. Definitely, instead, he it goes out. to where yep. they a place where they pray. Yes, correct. Yep. And who's there praying? One, he sits down to speak with some women who had gathered there, and one of them was Lydia, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God, and as she listened to us, the Lord, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptised along with other members of her household and she invited them to come stay with her. Yep. Right? Yep, absolutely. And she was not European, actually. Thyatira was actually in Turkey, I think, so she'd travelled across, but she was she she was a wealthy affluent woman who was a businesswoman travelling probably. So uh, she... Maybe she maybe she was living here. I think she. I think now that I think about it, she was probably probably was living in Philippi because it was known for its purple cloth. But she didn't originally come from Philippi. Okay, so she's there. She's got this great business, and then she seems to be the leader of her house. Yes, she does. And she by converting, that is almost like a household. Like when she converts, her household very much the case. Fair, and she baptizes. <laughs> the household is baptized in the name of the Lord, yep. right? Yep. You see this repeatedly and, and evangelical Christians have to wrestle, Christians have to wrestle with this because we have this personal That's what I was faith, just about to ask. Is, okay. Yeah. When did that start? When did the idea of personal um, salvation start? Oh, I think it was probably always there. If you read the church fathers, I think there would always, it, it would always be there, but I think it was probably became hyper emphasized in the Protestant Reformation. And I don't think that that's wrong. I think there is always a sense in which we should have a personal um, understanding. That's the personal invitation that Paul's trying to do. However, we've de-emphasized the household conversion. So in these days when when the matriarch or the patriarch of the family would convert, yes, the whole family would convert. And that included slaves and everybody in the family, children. Now, how many of those personally converted or didn't convert? You have to think of it more like the nation of Israel. You know, the whole nation followed the Lord when the king was a Christian, when the king was a God follower? Probably not. There was always some that didn't. Just like when there were wicked kings, there were some who did. There was always a remnant. So I think that the scriptures allow for both, um, personal and family and household. I don't think we should see them as mutually exclusive. When I think of household conversion or household protection in a way, yes, um, because when she just when she becomes a believer, everybody becomes a believer and they're all protected by the Holy Spirit of God, right? That's yep. the idea. So I rec- remember it in the sense of the Passover. Yes, that's the, a good example. The blood goes over the door and, and the, everyone, in, the everyone in the house is yeah. saved. Now, Protestants have de-emphasized that completely and I think that's probably wrong to de-emphasize it completely. I know why they did that because there was very little em- emphasis throughout a lot of church history on people having to have take personal responsibility for their relationship, but I think we may have swung the pendulum too far the other way. Why do you think it's too far? What do you mean? Um, what I mean is I, I think there has to be a place, clearly there is a place for um, for households to – this was clearly happening in the New Testament. The church was being built by people, entire households coming to Christ. 
And I don't know whether or not every person in that household had a quote unquote yes, personal yep, relationship with Jesus. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. Yep. But I think the Bible seems to advocate for the fact that it's, that there is still a value to be placed upon a household following Christ. And I'm sure that if the leader of that household did, then it would be easier for those underneath in that household to make that decision to serve the Lord as well. But same with same with our children, you know, all our children have to make their own decisions. You can The parents of a household can be Christians, but it doesn't automatically mean that every child in that household is Christian, is a, has made a personal relationship. And yet Paul would seem to indicate that he mentions it elsewhere where he says that if there's an unbelieving husband and a believing wife, then the children are sanctified. Paul seems to be having some sense in which there is a covering, a protection there if one member of the home is yeah, Christian. That's what I was um, wanted to ask. There seems to be a um, – Paul's thought on this seems to be – What's the word? It, developing? Developing. Yes. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah, because the household, because in these other chapters we read, there is another household that is saved. For, uh, coming up, the, the Philippian jailer's yeah. household, coming up probably the rest of this chapter. Yeah, yeah. but where these where it becomes weird is that if that is indeed the truth, that your household is saved, and what you sort of said before, why then the personal salvation. Yeah, why why are personal we so salvation? pushed on that yeah. in these day, in this day and time? And why we seem in the households that I know where some are Christians and some are not, there seems to be such a division of thought between the two. But is not Christ still the head of that household if the pair if the parents are? I, I think if you asked Paul no, it's a tricky it's no tricky. it is tricky and I, but I think yeah. if you asked Paul Paul would Paul would lean towards yes um, and I think it warrants some further thought for us Protestant evangelicals who think through we, we we place such an emphasis on personal salvation and I'm I'm not trying to diminish that I think that at some point I do think we ultimately need to wrestle for ourselves with our own relationship with God we can't the famous saying is you can't live secondhand Christianity through your parents or your grandparents or whatever. I think there is a sense in which the, the scriptures do demand of us that we have a and we have some kind of personal revelation with God. But I think Paul would say that it's not exclusively that he he for whatever reason whether he's right or wrong it, in his worldview there is this corporatized family household perspective that he definitely brings to the table. Yeah, and yesterday in the church service that we had, we talked about judgment and there was a panel on that and the question was raised, what about children? Mm -hmm. And you said certainly up to a point the children are... That's my perspective. Yes, your perspective are covered, I suppose, by the blood, by the believers in that and then when they become adults, they step out At some point they have to make a choice. They have to make a choice. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There's a lot in this that I'm only scratching the surface yeah. of because on reading it here, I can't really see the personal salvation. Paul doesn't seem to be preaching that in in this part, but yes, in his mm. letters there is. You need to be the idea. Yes. You need to connect with God. It's up yeah. to you. But That's isn't what that about going deeper though, rather than then first salvation? Um, Oh, I want to give that some thought, Jeannie, because that's that's a possibility. I, I would, because I, what I'm saying here is I agree. I think that we need to wrestle with Paul has some kind of corporate sense of faith here, 
Um, and have we emphasized personal too far? Um, I don't want to say we haven't because I can think of a whole bunch of things that would seem to indicate that it is important, but I also like to argue the other perspective. So if to, to myself, so if I would have to then go back and look at some of those New Testament scriptures and see whether or not they are intentionally personal or whether I've just overemphasized the personal aspect on them. But it does seem here Paul is preaching to leaders of households and uh, trying then to get the household converted seems to be the case. And if it was always households and Paul is developing this idea of personal salvation, should I connect this with the idea or with rather the evidence of Paul's new gospel that he create he like he has he's received this mystery yeah. is this part of the new of the mystery that's unveiled that personal salvation is the way it's going to be um man yes and no yes <laughs> yeah, oh, yes and, so yes tricky. and no yeah this is tricky um and I don't presume to have thought about it that much other than to say that I think to think that Paul is only talking personal is definitely not right. Paul, to him, the gospel is God calling people to be a part of a new community. So a new Israel, a new the church is people being called into be part of that church. And the question church historians and church fathers argue with is what is the entry point into the church? At what point does a person become part of the, the family of God? I think what Paul would say is he's calling them out of the world into the new ecclesia, the new called out the church ones. And as a microcosm of that, individual households. Paul is up against the household codes, the Greco-Roman household codes, and he's trying to reverse that and set up new households that live by a different standard to the Greco-Roman one, one where there's equality, one where there's servanthood, one where the patriarchy is pushed aside for, for equality and so on. So he's trying to set up a new household code and then groups of these households would often become churches. They would be, you know, people would gather in these homes and they would be house churches and others would be welcomed in. So Paul has this vision for all these little church communities to go around. Now, throughout church history, they've gone, well, what includes, what what qualifies me to be in that? And different churches and denominations and church fathers have had different beliefs about that. Some have said, well, they need to be baptized. You know, if they get baptized into the house of God. Protestants would say, well, you become part of the church when you um, when you get saved. Well, I would say to that, what about a person sitting in our congregation out here, right where we're sitting right now, who hasn't made a personal relationship with God? Does that mean they're not part of the church community? What about um, What about someone who is a spouse of someone who's in this community? Does that mean they're not part of the church community? Or should we see them as part of the family of God? And I think Paul would want to say that we should see them and treat them that way. But I don't think he would say that at the expense of not encouraging them to choose for themselves to be part of the family of God as well, rather than do it under sufferance. I'm going to throw another thing in here. And then later, so we have household, personal, and then later on you have nations becoming Christians. Like when uh, Rome become eventually becomes a Christian ah, nation, then you right. have the nation of believers yeah. You know, America, the nation of believers. Well, don't get me started on Christian nationalism. So, uh, uh, no, it's, well, I actually think that's that was never Paul's intention. I think when it gets to the empire being Romanized, when Americans go around waving a flag saying – Christianized. Christianized. Yeah. What did I say? Romanized. Romanized. When, yeah. when the Roman Empire becomes Christianized, um, when, uh, when the Americans go around saying we're a Christian nation, I don't think that 
was ever in Paul's mind. I don't think it could have possibly been in his mind because they were such a minority. Um, but history has shown us that whenever the empire, whenever a nation claims to be Christian, it usually goes off the rails in its Christian life. It doesn't look anything like the New Testament church. So that's throwing a spanner in the works, but I, I would say that was never part of Paul's vision. Paul's vision was that these microcosms of churches would be around and people would be attracted to those. And I guess eventually it would grow and fill the earth. That was what their vision, the Jews' vision was. But I don't yeah. think that the well, it might not have been part of Paul's vision, but it certainly pushed Christianity it throughout did, the world. It did until it didn't. Yes. Okay. It still grew and grew and grew and grew. Yes. And it grew and grew and grew until it became the predominant view, and then selfishness took over, and instead of um, Christianity being the lay down your life for others, it became give up your life, become a, become a believer or give up your life. It turned and um, power corrupted. But you can also see if you're in a Christian nation, you can also see the idea of personal salvation is needed to to actually live out yeah. the work, um, your faith and yes. to be Christ-like. And to be fair, so I think can, that's, say, say, say American Christian nationalism at the moment, I think that's what the problem I have with it is that they're claiming that the whole nation is Christian and it's not. It's not living by Christian standards or anything else like that, but because it's God's Christian nation, they can get away with whatever they want. I think that's where the power has, and that's where the church is doing itself a a disservice in America right now, rather than going, hey, how do we lay down our lives for others? I will let you have your opinions on that. Cool. (laughs) I'm not stepping anywhere into that. But I do want to point this out that here you're having the origins of the church. Yes. You're also, it's also mixing in with the origins of Western civilization. Correct. Once we hit Europe, we start to get a predominant Greco-Roman thought. Yes. Which then grows, grows and Christianity grows with it. Yes. So prior to this very moment, prior to Acts 16, the bulk of Judeo, Judaism and Christianity has been in the Eastern world throughout the Mesopotamian era, Babylon, Persia, and all that. This is the point at which it shifts its focus to the West. So from this moment on, Christianity will now, it enters into more of the Roman Empire. It will now become Western in its focus, which means it will become Greek, Greek thinking in its focus. It'll become more like the Christianity we have today. And it's worth, yeah, it's worth noting because in our last podcast, we talked a lot about the Jewish thought behind the scriptures. Now we're, we're switching gears, switching, focusing on those Western thoughts on, um, you know, the Greek philosophy and how this. That'll come into it more. Platonism and all that will come into it. Yeah. And the letters are written differently. Yep. That's right. Okay. Yep. Exactly. It's important to know that difference. Yeah, it actually is because it, yeah. it helps you understand it yes, all. Yes, de- definitely. All right, well, back to the book. Back to the story. Where, where did we go on that? I can't remember. We haven't got to Paul and Silas in prison. I think that's where we, we're about to go. Oh, I think. yes. And this is in- interesting. They go into this marketplace and they meet a demon-possessed slave. And she was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters in verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. And this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and instantly it left her. Why did he wait days? I don't know. I think it's interesting, isn't it, that we think of, oh, you've got to kick that demon out straight away. He definitely just persevered for a period of time. Or is it if he had turned around and said to her, yes, yes. You are right. Is that him then agreeing with 
than yeah, I don't evil know. spirits. I'm, I'm baffled by this one. This is a baffling chapter, this is a, part of the chapter. Yeah, that, that I don't know the answer to that because I would have thought get rid of the demon straight away. But Jesus did this. Remember there were people that would go around shouting the same things and he, he didn't do anything. He walked away. Uh, I can't remember any of those stories, Jeannie. Really? Yes, he did. Oh, maybe I'm confusing too. but Maybe, but I can't think of any. There were definitely – and he would silence them. He yeah, would yeah, silence say, them. That's right. Yeah. He'd say, shh, don't say don't, anything. Don't say who I am. Yes. That's what I meant. Yes, he would say that to them. But yeah. did he rebuke – did he – I don't know. I can't remember to... off the top of my head. How can you not remember? I think he probably did. Probably kicked them out. But here, Paul lets it go on for a few days. Days definitely. and days. Yep. To the point where it just goes, enough's enough. So is this the natural man in, in him? Giving up, you mean? Or I don't not? know. Or maybe not seeing that she needed help or the natural uh, man. Maybe yeah, I, I think we're, we're, beyond the, we're beyond the realms of speculation here. I, I'm sure that church historians and theologians have wrestled with it, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'd have to do more research into why he let it go on so long. In the end, he does free this girl from this torture. Um, but she was a slave. She was she'd been she was a slave girl. So she had been abused. She had been controlled. And she was being used to tell the future by her by her slave masters. So maybe that's part of it. As Paul's going, I'm going to set you free. Well, he does. But why did he take so long? Is <laughs> your question? So I don't know the answer. Yeah, and interesting here that the demon within her is proclaiming the way of salvation. What do you yes, think? Yes, I'm confused meant? by that too. Do you have an answer? Yeah. I've no, never studied it. Um, <laughs> I, I, the, all I think is how to be saved. All I think is that she's being disruptive. That's how I view it, because it, it seems to be saying the right thing. She followed Paul around, shouting, "These men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved." That sounds like a good thing to be shouting, well, declaring. But saved from what? What would they be thinking? They'd be thinking, "What's she talking about?" Yeah. Yeah, true. They would not have had this idea of salvation. Well, salva- well they did. Salvation to them was Caesar was their saviour. So uh, that, that Caesar, especially in Philippi, a Roman colony, that Caesar was their saviour, that he was, the, he was the one who would offer them salvation. That was very common thought. Okay. They saw Caesar as saviour. So these people, these men are coming Military saviour. Uh, and social saviour. Yes, okay. yeah, that Caesar, Caesar was saviour and definitely it's all written all over their literature. He's the, the son of God. He's the saviour. He's the one who, who would protect them uh, socially, politically, economically, all of those things. So wouldn't that have been antagonistic then in the eyes of Caesar, what she is saying here? These guys have come it, to possibly, tell you how to be yeah. saved? That's why I think I wonder if it's just more a disruptive thing. I wonder if it's all, it could even be a sarcastic thing that they're being sarcastic in the way that they're saying it, that she's saying it. Um, oh, yeah, these men, they're telling you how to be saved. What a load of nonsense. It could be like that, but it doesn't say that. <coughs> Excuse me. So I don't know what's going on. It seems counterintuitive for a demon to be going around behind a preacher telling them, telling the people to listen. It sounds like he's, she's saying, listen to these guys. She's giving testimony. She's giving testimony. It sounds like it, doesn't it? So it's got to be. So this is an invitation into the text. There's got to be more going on here than meets the eye. Yes, and maybe Paul liked it. it for a while. Maybe he did. <laughs> maybe it was working for a while, and then yeah. And look, oh, we're I not going to get any deeper because we don't know the text here. We can dig around. This is a good example of when it would be worth doing some study. 
looking at some scholars, looking at some commentaries, because scholars will have thought about this. And I've never thought about it. I've, th- I've thought about it. I thought about it when I was just standing in Philippi. And I, was pr- I wrote a sermon. I preached a sermon via camera when I was standing yes, in this did. very place. And I thought about it, but I've never dug into it other than to go, it seems weird. And I've just gone, oh, I think she's just been disruptive. Um, but I reckon there's more to it than that now, the more we talk about it. I think there is a lot to <laughs> Yeah. A lot to this bit. Yeah. This is first read. We need to go back with a fine tooth yeah, comb and go it. through. Yep. So Paul ends up setting her free, and this causes a huge problem. Yep. Uh, the people they were making money. They off were making her. money off her. They were using her. She was a slave. Yep. But she was spiritual. Yes. She wasn't just a. Sl- she was um, speaking things about yes. them, right? Like like well, a medium. basically using like a medium. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yep. her, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. And then a mob forms and they are severely beaten and they're thrown into jail. Yep. And they are put into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Yep. Do you know that often this was done, they were upside down? Doesn't surprise me. I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise their, me. So the floor was cold. Yes. So they've already, they've been scourged, yep. basically. Yep. So they're bleeding and... Cut. Cut to bleeding, the piece. Yep. And then they're put on the cold, damp floor, often with their feet up in the air in stocks. My goodness. It doesn't surprise me, but I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the, Romans, the Romans were masters at cruelty when it came to... Um, that's to how they got their order torture. and control. That's exactly how they got their order and control, by fear. Yep, that's right. They were severely beaten, it says that. This is the first of Paul's beatings, is it not? Uh, yeah, I think it probably is. I can't He ends uh, up being scourged yeah, three times. Three times, yep. It, you know, mostly people didn't even survive one. No, he three times he received the 40 lashes minus one, I think he says. Yeah, and I and I've you've got we've gone through this crazy moment with this woman, this girl, I suppose, yep. screaming these things. And then the next thing, we're in they're in prison. It's such a contrast. Mm. And they they would have been faint in there, sick, yep. feeling awful. Yeah, especially if they're hanging upside down. And doubting, you think Well, I would think so, but that doesn't seem point? to be the case for these guys, does it? Not yet. Not, I mean yeah. it, it's a they're about to start singing, but yes. in this moment, have they given in to their natural self? How do they think they're going to progress the word of God while they're stuck in this uh, prison? Okay. Paul will often face that challenge. Yes. What? Does he? Yes. Are you kidding? Have I missed it, God? Yeah. I think in Ephesus, I think in, yes, in, he writes to the Philippians. I think, yes, I think he'll often face that challenge of have I missed it? And then they start singing around midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. And that made me think of, um, there's a verse, I've written it down here, in Job 35.10. I wonder if Paul was thinking in this where it says, where is God my creator, the one who gives songs in the night? Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Is that singing Job, in the night? Job saying that? Job that. It actually is Job's. No, it's that? actually not Job. It's one of Job's friends, is yeah, it? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Where is he would have known this. Yeah, he would have known. Would have oh, known totally, he would have known that. Yeah. Giving songs yeah, in the night. Songs in the night. Yeah. There you go. I would <laughs> never put the two together. And from this song, there's an earthquake. Yes. Now earthquakes were common in these areas. Very right? common. Very so this, common. This wouldn't have surprised anybody. No, no. Well, it says it was a massive earthquake, but yes, earthquakes in this part of the world are, are common. And they don't escape. They are unchained in this moment. Yep. The earthquake 
knocks them off the wall. Yep. I guess, and they are not covered in rubble. Yep. And the jailer comes looking for them. Yep. And when he finds them, what does he do? Well, he's about to kill himself because. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm skipping him. Heaven myself. forbid that a jailer would let a, any of their victims go free because they would any of their ja- people in their charge go free because they would cop it pretty bad. So he was ready to kill himself. Yeah, and look what the jailer's just done to them. Scourged them. Scourged them. Hung yeah. them up. Well, assuming, yes, he's, down, well, whether he's done it or whether them. he's been put in, it's been done and then he's been put in charge of them. We don't really know whether he's done it himself. I've never thought about the fact that he did it. I think, I think it was probably the authorities that did it, but then they handed him over to the jailer and said, he's your responsibility now. But you I think maybe, he just would have led them in? You think he wouldn't have yeah, laid I, a few look, kicks I don't, in? I don't know. I've never thought about the fact that the jailer himself might have been charged with the scourging. It's possible. I've just never thought of that. Don't know if he did or not. Maybe he was. Nice I like thought. to think about the bad in people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't. <laughs> no, I know, I hear you. I know, I've never thought about that. I always thought of the authorities doing that and then handing him over and putting him in prison. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, the, so the jailer comes and he's about to kill himself and Paul says, hey, don't worry about it. So we're all still here. We're all still here. And that act yeah. transforms this guy from within. Yes. It's not the earthquake. No. The miracle of God setting them free. It's the fact they stayed when it's they the could fact have left. They stayed. Yes. And they presented Christ yes. to him. Yep. That's right. They, That's amazing in itself. They loved this guy. Yep. They didn't want this guy to die. They yep. stayed and yeah. his household is converted. Yes, his household is converted. And get baptized that very night. And then they washed Paul's wounds and Barnabas and Silas's wounds. And this is Paul here is acting very much in the spiritual yes. world because yeah. Paul knows if he runs away, the jailer and possibly others all would have been killed. All would have been killed. So he stays. He's still bleeding. Yep. He's still scourged. And then this jailer, so shocked, converts, and then he washes Paul's wounds. Yes, yes. So he then turns into an act of service. Yeah, so Paul chose to lay down his rights at this point to run away so that he could win this family. And this is household number two in Europe yeah. to be saved. Yes. Mm. Absolutely. And I love Paul's sense of right and wrong here. Um, was wrong to run away. Mm-hmm. Was right to stay and yep. be Christ. Yep, absolutely. And he had justice and compassion on others. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is extraordinary. This is such a glimpse into Paul's character. It is. Yeah, this is Paul laying down his rights. Which you just said, yeah, I'm just going over it again yep. because I think it's just so important to yep. notice this bro- beaten, broken us. man yep. yeah, and what he does. Yep. Now, in a moment, he's going to claim his rights. Yes, that's true. But in a different kind of way. So what's going to happen is he's laid down his rights to get this guy saved when he could have left. But now when they're coming to say time to go, he goes, hey, we're Roman citizens. He claims he's right as a Roman citizen now. Yeah, he does. And says, no, 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 let them come and escort yep. us out of town. This is probably why I wrote the right and wrong here because he knows what they had done and was, was wrong. wrong. Yep. They had, you weren't just allowed to go around scourging, whipping no. Roman citizens. Correct. They didn't ask. They just assumed they both just of assumed them. assumed that both of them weren't Roman yeah. citizens and they were. And in this act by scourging Roman citizens, that act was punishable by death Absolutely. That was a crime in itself. It was a yeah, capital crime. So not only does he save the jailer's life, he Correct. saves these guys' lives yep. because he actually ends up giving giving up, giving or not 
not pursuing yes, justice. Yes, what you're saying is he could have then said, not only does he say they scourged us, they didn't put us on trial, we're Roman citizens, I'm calling them on account and they're going to die. He gives up his right to justice for them too. And I think even when Paul says, let them come and escort us out of town, he's not trying to um, do that proud thing that you were saying David might have been trying to do. I don't think he's trying to say, hey, we showed them. I actually think he's trying to reach as many people in town. He's, he's, he's been publicly escorted out of town as a means to reach people so that they would know, they everyone would know that Paul and Silas had given up their rights to retribution against the authorities. So that is in the same way that they leaving not leaving the jail was a sign of giving up their rights to the Philippian jailer. I think this walking out of town publicly and saying we could have these jail we could have these authorities executed for not checking if we were Roman citizens, but we're not doing that. That becomes also a um, a witness. Yeah. To the rest of the Philippians. Yeah. Would you agree with me that this is a wise and dignified and calculated Yes, all three. Way of spreading the gospel. Yes. It was intentional. Absolutely. Wise, calculated and dignified. I like it. That's what Paul was doing. It, this wasn't emotionally driven. This was always for the intention of furthering the gospel. I've just written some notes to myself. I've been trying to read them here. They're in green. But this whole chapter, there is, um, there is this spiritual moment in the beginning and then there's a problem mm-hmm. and then there's prison. Mm-hmm. And then there's a miracle mm-hmm. and then there's the salvation of others. Yep. And then there's freedom and then the gospel is spread. Yeah. There seems to be a pattern. I've seen that it happens in other, yep. in other <laughs> stories of Paul. Usually involves hardship somewhere hardship, along the way. Yeah. yeah. It's a scourging. Yeah. The way up. that Paul handles persecution and hardship is often – the catalyst for the gospel to go forward because people then they see oh this actually works it's not just the, it's not just empty words this is you actually giving up rights which is what Christ calls us to do take up our cross and follow him to give up our rights so Paul is living out the gospel here yeah and the action or the lack of action when he could take action is actually what is um, attractive to others he could have given in to his natural self. Yes, he could have. But instead he, he continued continues with to his use spiritual that spiritual self. self. Yep, that's right. And yeah. progress the gospel. Yep, in the process of doing that. Yep, totally. I think that's a great way to put it, Jeannie. I like that. Oh, well, thanks. Let's move on. All right. We're going to back to 1 Samuel. 27. One Samuel twenty-seven, we see here that David doubts God's promises. Yes, yeah, he starts to now question, doesn't he? he gets he into this tension. Yep. Yeah. So there's about two years between the last chapter and this chapter. Is there? Yeah. Okay. Good. Didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah, there is some time that passes here. Yeah. Good. At least okay. that's what I've read. I, oh, maybe no, the other commentaries yeah. say others. Yep. No, I've yeah. never looked at it. Yeah. It's good. So in verse... Yes, we, we do think this is all happening in a slow, very quick procession, but it's not. That's no, right. it's not. <laughs> time is passing. Enough time is passing for um, somebody to start to doubt what God has said about mm-hmm. their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so many years wandering, so many... Yeah, so he many He doesn't years. have a home. Yep. yep. He... He does. He's missing his first wife. Well, he might be missing his first wife. Well, he is. We find out later. He wants Mikhail back, but 
Yes. And so here he is in verse one, but David kept thinking to himself, David kept thinking to himself, someday Saul is going to get me. The best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. Then Saul will stop hunting for me in Israel, Israelite territory, and I will finally be safe. Finally be safe, yeah. not finally be king. Ah, uh, yes. So what you're saying is his mindset shift now is of one of survival. Survival. Yeah, okay, that's a good thought. Yeah, and I like that. And that he's never going to be king. I think yeah, I wonder if he's wrestling with this thing of, yeah, or he's at least wrestling with this thing of I'm just going to have to stay hidden until Saul dies, you know, which is could be it, you know, maybe one day, but I'm just going to have to well, get away in the meantime. No, someday Saul is going to get me. He thinks he's going to Yes, that's someday right. That's what I mean. Will. Someday he will, so I'm going to get away because. Get away. Yes, so he's taking it into, matters into his own hands rather than trusting God. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, yeah think I think this is a, the, a pretty low point. Yes. And, I, and his life actually gets lower. It does, yeah. Uh, and he goes to the Philistines. The second time he goes to the Philistines, and actually. The best friends, right? Well, he's not, not really best friends, no. Last time he was there, he was drooling and carrying on like a crazy man. So That's right. The, the second, I don't know why he thought he'd go back again, but he did. He went back for another go some the years Philistines. later. Philistines. And if you do know anything about David, they uh, have been at war. Yeah. This is the, and this David is, killed Goliath. Yeah, and Goliath was from Gath. Yes. Which is the very town he's going to show up to. You know yeah. you're in a bad place when you any place yeah. you feel safe is Goliath's hometown. Yeah, so if he can forget his promised his promises, then he believes they can forget what he did to yes. them. Yes, yes, that's right. We have short memories, we humans. Do. Yep, that's a good point. So David takes his 600 men and goes to the king of Gath mm. and joins them. And they settled there. And David brought, oh, he does have another wife. He brought his two he, wives. His two so wives, he's had yeah. Three, this is his, his third. Third wife. Yeah, Abigail's his third, I think. That's right. All right, so this, reading this, as a child or something, you just read it and you think, oh, it's, you know, David has three wives. That's okay. But it's actually not okay. You're looking at me like, what do you mean? Well, well you're the last one who told me it was culturally okay. We had this conversation last time. Yes, but not okay in the, in the, um, the eyes of the Lord. No, no. No, this was a concession. Okay. Culturally okay. I think yes. we were on the opposite. Last time we were talking yeah. about this, I was arguing it wasn't okay and you were going it was culturally acceptable. It's cult- it is culture, and it yes. is culturally yeah. acceptable, but. It doesn't make it so okay. Much, I heard someone say recently, much of the Old Testament is triage. God's, tri- <laughs> God's triaging human behavior and letting us, you know, he's basically minimizing the harm that we do to ourselves. So he allows, when Jesus says, um, Moses permitted you to divorce because your hearts were hard. It's like, it's not God's intention. But he's triaging our behaviour and it's like that's what he seems to be doing here. Yeah. He's not chastised for it, that's for sure. Triaging is a good good way to put it. Yeah. And eventually word soon gets to to Saul that David has fled to Gath, Gath or however you say it. So he stops hunting for him. Yeah. So David, at this point, he he must think. I'm safe. I'm safe. Yes. My This is a, a successful move. Mm-hmm. Maybe God is even blessing me yep. with this. Yep. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, keep going. That's good. Keep okay. I'm tracking with you. I like this because I've not ever thought about the story the way you're presenting it here, but it's got some good... How have you thought about it? Not not to the d- depth where I'm thinking that you're thinking this is more of a trial of him des- doubting God or, or doubting the promises of God. I've not thought about it like that. I've always thought of it as though this is just a move to wait, wait out Saul, like get away oh. from Saul and wait him out. So I'm intrigued by how this is going to play out thinking through this thought process you've got of, is this him really wrestling with, do I trust God? Well, can you see at any point in this chapter where he, he seeks the Lord? 
Uh, no, in fact, it's going to be some time before he comes exactly. back to a point of strengthening himself in the Lord, which he does after the Amalekites come and raid Ziklag. Yeah. So that's probably coming up in a chapter or two. So, yeah, you're right. I, that's why I'm intrigued by it. So I want to just let you lead, lead me because I've not thought this through in this context before. <laughs> but I know this but, is a challenging time for him. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm intrigued to think what, what – I mean, it's been years yes, since right. his the, anointing. Yeah, that's right. He's been so, wandering in the desert. Yeah. He's been so, told he's going to be the king of everything. He's going to have palaces. Yeah. He's going to have wives. He's going to have yeah. money, concubines. And he's got exactly everything. nothing of that. He's got nothing. Yes. He's got the opposite. Yes, yeah, and that's right. And he does have the priest with him. Yep. But he just says, no, that's it. Saul's going to get me. Yeah. This is, this is the here. end. Yeah. So this is very much David's natural state. I, I like it. He's believing. Yep. He he takes himself. He puts himself He's, into his own hands. So you're saying even going to Zik, even going to Philistines is him operating out of his own strength. Like if he had a trusted in the Lord, he would have just stayed in Israelite territory and trusted God. Yes. Well, yeah, they I think that's the great. Thomas Land wasn't the Philistines. No, they it wasn't told the, to no, live that's in the right. Philistines. I'm tracking with you, Jeannie. <laughs> told to I live like in Judah. I've been a Christian. Know? I've been, you know, I've known this, these stories for a long time, and I've never thought about it this way. So keep going. You're teaching well, me. You're forcing me outside my own echo chamber of thought on this. It's good. Oh, well, now you're giving me a big head. <laughs> no, it's really helpful. <laughs> I feel very egotistical. No, uh, no, you've actually confused me because I just. All right. So my question, my what I, my question to myself is: Is this a crisis of faith for David? And I think the answer, taking your line of thought, is yes. This is the end. This is a crisis of his faith. Well, this is him being tried by the word of God. So there's a psalm, one something or other, talks about Joseph. Talks about Joseph in the prison, and it says the word of the Lord tried him, put him on trial. I think that's what David's going through—a trial of his faith and the promise of God. It's like this voice going, hey, "Trust me. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust the promise?" And I think this would show that. David probably isn't trusting the promise, not uh, certainly not exclusively or or comf or or, f- or fully at this time. We're going to see that while he's here, he goes on, he lies to King Ahab. That's Achish. later. Chapters. Oh, that's later. Chapters. Deal with this okay, one let's first. deal with this chapter. Yeah, but that's that's the whole thing. If he's trying to grasp at the kingdom his own way, by, yes, yes, I think that's what okay. he's trying to do. I think that you're on right. You're onto something here. So I think that when there's this crisis of faith, what happens afterwards? There's usually unbelief. And there's sort of a despondency as well yep. and where we often take things in our own hands and we make choices that we think might bring about God's plan. Yes. And God seems to be silent yep. here. Yep. So this is the point David's like, I'm I've got doubting to do it everything. This is like Abraham and Sarah going, I've got to do it ourselves. Got to do it ourselves. Yep. Yes. Yeah. But also it's not even going to come true. Yeah. What's the point? This what's isn't going to come true. I've got to do it my – well, actually it's not extra chapters. It's in verse 10 here. Akish says, where did you go raiding today? And he says, oh, we went raiding against the south of Judah, the Jeremelites and the Kenites. But actually he wasn't really raiding them. He was raiding Philistine camps yeah. as well. And when he's far from God, he becomes a false teller, he a false, falsehood. Yes. He's lying. He's, he's lying he through his teeth He turns into now. this liar. Yep. Yeah. And so, he's snatching at the kingdom himself. Yeah. So yep. he goes, so he moves here and Ashish, which is, um, n- might king. not be a name. It might, it could be the title. It, it could be a title because yep. there's a couple of them. Yep. And he says to David, uh, to Ashish, if it's all right with you, we'd oh, rather ish. live, we'd rather live in one of the country towns instead of here in the royal city. So Ashish gives him the town of Ziklag, which still belongs to Judah, at least in this point here. And they lived there for a year and four months. Yep. And an Australian from Macquarie University has just recently discovered Ziklag. 
Really? Yes, just in the last few years. Good name, Ziklag. Where are you Ziklag. from, Ziklag? Ziklag. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it's from Eastern Europe somewhere, doesn't it? Ziklag. Yeah. Okay, so here's David. He's in Ziklag. He's, yes. This is a home. He's been given this home. So he now then goes off and does raids and collects the goods from people. So he's building his own little kingdom yeah, He's building here. his own little kingdom here. He's getting his wealth yep. for himself. Yep. And he's trying to win favour with the Jews in the southern Israel, at the southern Judah at the same time. Is that in this chapter? Uh, don't worry about it. It'll come up. Okay. Yeah, it'll come up. All right. Yeah, he's, he's building his own empire. I think you're right. I think you're onto something. He's so doing this in his own strength. Doing this, yeah, in his own strength. He's mm. raiding them um, and the Amalekites. And here in verse 9, David did not leave one person alive in mm. the villages he attacked. He took the sheep, goats, cattle, and everything. Now, I just want to point out the Amalekites. Here's David despondent. Mm-hmm. Not feeling God's presence, um, but he's actually trying to to do what God has asked him to do. In this verse here, um, the Amalekites destroying them. That was actually what Saul, Saul was, was commanded to do. to do. Yes. So David is in his in in his weird ways, thinking he's doing what God yeah. asked him to. Yep. Right. Yeah. I think we do that. We do that sometimes. We twist misrepresent what the Lord has asked us to do and twist it and reason reason it in our own strength. Mm-hmm. I think you're on the right back track with these two different, you know, the spiritual man and the natural man. He's very much yeah. reasoning things in his own strength. Well, just like to... Abraham and Sarah going, oh, we'll do it our way. We know, we know we're promised a son, so let's just do it our way. I think that's what yeah. human behavior is all about. And isn't this as well, he's trying to abide by the letter of the law, do the thing that maybe Saul so, yeah. did, couldn't do, Yep. even though I my heart is far from Yes, you. maybe. This is like cheese. This is eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's going. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do the, try and do the right. What looks right for me. It might even be what I think God's told me to do. It could be the right thing for the wrong reason. Yeah. You know, we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. Yes. We can do the wrong thing for the right reason. There's all different ways. I think this is a case of potentially in his mind doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Yeah, I agree. And I've, somehow I've got here one kings. Why do I have one kings? How does that make sense? What's the scripture? Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. He killed all the prophets. So Jezebel sent a messenger, blah, blah. I don't know why I have that reference. Sometimes I write things and I think, Yeah, I'm not sure what the link is there. I don't know what the link is, but let me see. It might come back to me. Yep. Um, Sorry about that, people listening. That was a weird tangent. No, there has to be some point. Okay, so... David's planning here, it momentarily seems successful. Yes, it does. It seems right? like it's working. But it ultimately leads to sorrow and mm. the sin of deception. Mm-hmm. He becomes this liar, as you said before. What did he do here? He starts to, he's lying to Ashish. Yep. He's destroying the Amalekites, but he's saying. He's destroying the Jews. He's destroying the, the Jews. Yes. To, to basically make it to the point where. Akish says he believed David and thought to himself, by now the people of Israel must so hate him. Yeah. He's deceiving um, that he's going to be my servant forever because he can't go home now. And and Ashish knows who David is. Yeah. He knows that he, knows he is his source. the anointed. Yes. Uh, well, he's, does he? Yeah. Well, he knows, who, he knows he was Saul's number two, yeah. So what was that little um, song that you sung again? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands, yes. Yeah, so he would have known that. Ashish is a good guy, you think? He, he, the model, yeah, actually I've not thought about that, but yes, the way the character of Ashish, 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 whatever his name is, 
Akish is, is put forward in the narrative is that he is a man of integrity. Yeah, he, he does seem to be almost contrasted against David's lack of integrity. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And he's an enemy. I'm enjoying this, Jenny. With integrity. He's, a, he's, he's an enemy with integrity, yes. It's it's very similar to the Jonah narrative where the Ninevites who are the enemy seem to be given the story as the, the ones with, you know, the ones with integrity. And meanwhile, Jonah's got zero integrity. Yeah, it's very similar. I think that's that's intentional. It's been set up that way by, by the author. Good call. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Because all the way through, we're going to see it in the next chapter too, Akish is... He's quite noble. He's presented as, oh, he's been faithful to me, and you've all, and uh, you know, you should stick with me. Yeah. So he's being set up as the, as what David should be. And he calls David an angel of God. Yeah. Later on. Yes, he does. So, so what you're saying, correct me if I'm saying, is in the narrative, this is being set up to contrast. In this story, Akish is who David should have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. 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 Wow, that's good. I like it. So we're seeing this chapter is showing us how far he is from from yes who he should be. Yeah. Great. This, Never seen that before. This I like it. spiritual man is no longer no, David. No, he, he is now operating out of the flesh. And he's he's killing people. Yep. Taking Brutal, brutality. Brutality. No, no survivors. And part of that will be, you'll argue, is cultural and, you know, the, the, the culture of wartime. But I think even in that wartime, that whole concept of completely annihilating would be out of, out of character. Yeah. I was just trying to read my notes, trying to think why I – Went to Kings. I, I don't know. No, I'm not <laughs> sure. To pick up on the that. story of Ahab and Jezebel there. I'm not sure what the link would have been. It's top of my head, it's not not obvious. All right, because David is he's basically sought refuge here. That means later, on, um, if he's asked to, he's sort of expected to fight for them. Yes, that's right. right. If that's you seek refuge, you, you've joined with them. Yes, you should be expected to fight for them. Yep, definitely. Ashish would have thought this was a, a win for him. Massive win against his enemy, yeah. yeah. Against his enemy, Saul, definitely. To have Saul's number one guy on his side, it's like a politician having someone cross the floor. You know, it's pretty significant. Mm. I used to read, when I used to read it, when I would read David would go and kill these people, I used to think that that's what God would want. But now... I know to read these things differently. You, you read these differently. I know yeah. to look at it differently. Through a cultural lens. Yeah, and yeah. to ask questions and to go deeper. and So it's it change, every time you read it, you get something new. Yeah, that's right. You've got to read this through a cultural lens and recognise that war and this kind of taking over and obliteration of cities and all that sort of stuff was very much a cultural thing. Yep. So we get from this here, Ashish is confident in David's relationship. Yep. And that David is confident in um, undermining in, his relationship. His yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly. He he's actually deceived Akish as well as everybody else. He's but he thinks he's clever, doesn't he? He thinks. He, yeah, he thinks. I've he done thinks this my what life. I have done is going to save his life yeah. and maybe bring about his kingdom. He's yep. building his kingdom. Yep, it's manipulating the kingdom. It's manipulating in t- to get to get his, the kingdom into his own hands. Is what he's trying yeah. to do. Yeah, get his own kingdom. If I'm not going to have that kingdom of Israel, I'll build my own little kingdom here. Wow, what a man. All right, let's go to Acts 17. Acts 17. Quick, Jenny. I was flicking through my Bible. Acts 17. Got to get there. 17. Here we are. So this is Paul preaching at Thessalonica, correct? Yes, Thessalonica, Thessalonica. Thessalonica. So he's moved from where from was Philippi? He? Philippi to Thessalonica, which isn't isn't actually far. No, 
well, we drove through it, probably um, maybe 100 kilometres, maybe not 80 kilometres or something. Yeah. Thessalonica or Thess, whatever it's called now, um, is the second biggest town in city in Athens, in Greece today after Athens, yes. So, um, yes. So they go there and in verse 2, as was Paul's custom, which we already sort of talked about, he went to the synagogue service and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Mm -hmm. Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. It would have been By very, our standards, that sounds pretty good. It actually sounds great. The Holy Spirit's on the move. Yes. So for three Sabbaths in a row, he goes and he reasons with them, presumably before he gets any converts. Yeah, yeah. The he way has, that that he is has to argue with them about and discuss with them. Yeah. This would have been a very, very difficult thing to do because the Messiah that the Jewish people believe, there's a lot of differences between Jesus and... And what, and what they, they were thought for. the Messiah yes. was. They think the Messiah is going to be somebody like David. Yes. Not only in his family line, but – sorry, he's going to cough then. <laughs> Maybe I was going to say something great and cough over it. No, I don't know. Um, but David, he was this warrior that brought about this kingdom through blood. Yep. Yeah, military. Military. Military Messiah. Which Definitely. we haven't really talked about yet, but we'll no. get to in the yeah. next chapters. And the idea of the Messiah being a saviour didn't really no, exist. No, certainly not a saviour of all the peoples. They saw the Messiah would be the saviour of the Jews through military conquest. Uh, I think that's how they, the Jews would have seen it because they're under Roman occupation. Here, here they're in Philippi, they're in, a, they're in Thessalonica, they're in Rome, Roman territory. And, yeah, they're, they're looking for a Jewish saviour messiah who will do what the Maccabees had done 180 years before this and launch an independent state, Jewish state. So that's what they're looking for. And Paul's trying to say, no, no, that's not what this messiah was really all about. And they're looking for somebody who is alive and and very much human. Yes, correct. And he's reasoning with them, it says, from the scriptures, trying to prove this Jesus, the one you're looking for, he's Jesus. Yeah. What do you think it means, the word reason here? Uh, Good question. Um. I think that there's, knowing what I know of Jews, I think that there's, and he's talking to the Jews here, as is his custom, He, I think he's ha- he's entering into what I would consider fairly robust conversation with these people. These are Jews. Jews like to discuss, and that wasn't all bad. That's how they That's how they grew. Jews, you know, they say if you've got two Jews, you've got three opinions. That's the way they worked. They would talk together and reason things and discuss things. So I think Did you say that to me recently? Oh, or did, did maybe. I see? Heard it plenty. It's just an old saying. Maybe I said it to Might you Might have recently. been on something else maybe. I've seen. But that's what the Jews were like. So and that's not bad. I, I think that's actually a good thing. And so Paul would have entered into that kind of discourse with them, which would have been very, not, not um, hateful, but very earnest. Well, later on we learned that it wasn't hateful. It was actually respectful. Yes, I think that's the thing. And in today's culture where reasoning is cancelled, you cancel you if you if you have any earnest conversation. I think we should learn from the Jews here and have have reasoned, heartfelt conversation. Um, but isn't doesn't but it doesn't have to be hateful. It doesn't have to be cancel culture. Yeah, and 
in our cancel culture, you're cancelled immediately. But immediately. It, took, it took these guys three Sabbaths in a yeah. row to get around to that point. Yeah. Well, they didn't, yeah, they eventually got around to it when some Jews showed up from elsewhere. Yeah. In verse 5, some of the Jews were jealous, so they mm. gathered some troublemakers from a marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason. We don't really know much about this Jason, no. do we, other than he may have been a... Oh, no, no. I think Jason is probably a Greek name, not a Jewish name, I'm guessing, but I don't know. It sounds Greek. It does sound Greek, yeah. We've got Jason and the Argonauts, which is a Greek Greek mythological and character. He ho- he's host, yeah, okay. So but he's, he's hosting, hosting Paul and Silas, yeah. And so he's likely to be a believer. Yes, yeah, most, most likely Definitely. a believer, yeah. Okay. So they attack Jason's home searching for Paul and Silas, but they don't find them, and they drag Jason out and... <coughs> they took him before the city council and they say this, this is a funny statement. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they are here disturbing our city and this Jason has welcomed them to his home. They're guilty of treason against Caesar for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 What do you want you, me? No. <laughs> Spot thought, on. Keep going. I thought you were going to say something. No, no. I'm tracking with it. Okay. The people of the city as well as the city were thrown into turmoil by turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond and they released them. And that night they send Paul and Silas out of there. Yep. So this had become a very hostile situation. Yes. It got to the point where or it was untenable. Untenable. Yep. But Jason's okay. Supposedly, yeah. He's posted, he posted bond. He's bail. A bit, yeah. Maybe beaten up. Yep. <laughs> but you think at this point, if you were in the state of the natural man, you might give up. Yep. But verse 10 here, when they arrive in Berea, they head straight to the synagogue. Yeah, the they Jewish just go right back again, again, don't they? Yeah. They're like, tenacity. Yes, that's right. These people. This is, Paul was on a mission, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, he kept saying. And these people were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. Yes, I love this verse, Acts 17, 11. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were telling the truth. These are not the scriptures we're reading, right? These are the Old These Testament. These are the Jewish scriptures. The Jewish scriptures. The Old Testament. So this in, does this imply that Jesus is really in the Old Testament? Yeah, well, Paul, Paul is reasoning with them from the Old Testament all their prophecies about Messiah that they believe in from their Old Testament, and G- and Paul is using those Old Testament scriptures and prophecies about Messiah to show them that Christ is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah of the Old Testament, yes. I only say that because if you read the New Testament, and which I have, but sort of from a childish viewpoint, I didn't know really know that Jesus was supposed to be in or oh, suggested in the Old Testament. Right. Yeah. There was this distinction. Some people even said, don't bother don't reading bother read the, the Old Testament. Don't bother reading the Old Testament. Focus on the New Testament. On the New Testament yes. where Jesus shows up. Yeah. I, but, I think that's okay to a point, but there is a point in which you need to realize that Jesus is a Jew and he's speaking to a Jewish congregation, Jewish people first and foremost, and his worldview that he'd grown up in is Jewish and so therefore – to fully understand Jesus, you need to understand the Old Testament. And the links, look for the links yes, and connections. constant links all the way through. But you can miss it. Oh, right? yeah. I still see things or hear a preacher say something and I go, wow, I've never seen that one before. So they're, they're, those links are deeply rooted into the, the links between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're massive amount of links. 
And here they go. They're not reading any letter of Paul's. No. They're hearing Paul's preaching. We know that Paul does write letters around this time. But they're not reading any of that and they're not reading any of the Gospels because at this point possibly one of the Gospels was written down. Possibly Mark may have been by this point. But they probably wouldn't have been reading it here. No. But here they go. They comb the Scriptures day after day and as a result many Jews believed. Yeah. So they didn't just take Paul for his at his word. They went, no, 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 what you say, if you say it is true, we will find it in yes, the Scriptures. Yes, that's right. And they do. And that's why I love this attitude. I've said this before plenty of times. Acts 7 and 11, about the Bereans, it says they were open-minded, first of all. They were leaning in, second of all. they Compared to the Thessalonians who were trying to find fault with the message, these, these men and women were coming at a different perspective and saying, we want to believe. We're open-minded. Now we're going to delve into the scriptures to prove Paul true. There's a very significant difference between trying to prove a preacher false and trying to prove a preacher true. In both cases, it's critical and necessary to be critical-minded and and be have a degree of healthy skepticism. But one is it's the bent behind it. One is I'm going to prove you false and therefore I'll ignore all that's true. The other one is I want to believe and then let me prove it true. And that is that's what the Berean character was. And I encourage every person to approach a church service, a sermon, this podcast with the attitude. Have, have Don't just accept everything we say, but be open-minded and lean in. And there'll be things we'll say and you go, oh, I don't see that. I don't believe that. That's okay. You can let that pass through because we're not. none of us are perfect. We're all figuring things out. But there's a difference between that and coming with a heavy skeptical mindset going, I'm going to prove this preacher wrong. That's not healthy for anybody. I think we mostly do that these days, don't we? I'm going to prove them wrong. I think that's probably the the mindset of many people. And that's why I think Acts 7 and 11 should be a, a carrying cry to all of us to have that attitude. Yeah. Yes. And there's there's my question. So does sincere study of the Bible lead to Christ? Which you were yes, just saying. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it does. Yes. And it leads to discovery. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I would say sincere study means that it's okay to question. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to think, well, that doesn't seem to make Isn't sense. Isn't that why we're doing this That's podcast? why we're doing this podcast. That's right. Yep. It's not just for fun. No, we're doing it because we think we want it. We want people to wrestle with complicated stuff. And I think what, what you are saying there, and my note here says, faith results from personal conviction based on scriptures. So you go and study, that's your personal conviction rather than just taking us at face value, yes. taking... Yeah, just yep. summing that up. Yep, I don't that's know why good. I well needed said. to stay yeah, that's, that's say a good that summary. again. Yep, good summary. Okay, so verse 14. Why did I pick 14? Oh, the believers acted at once. Oh, no, when some of the Jews learned that Paul was preaching the yeah, word. they came oh, from in, Thessalonica. They ca- yeah. They, got, they were so bent out of shape that they headed down the road to He must have to really Berea. annoyed he, them. he upset those Thessalonians big time. Yeah, he did. So they yep. come down, they raise. They raise, it, they raise hell in yeah. Berea as well. But the believers here, they acted at once and they sent Paul on. Um, while Silas and Timothy remain, yep, they send Paul on for Paul's safety. Yes, they put Paul on a boat and send him down the Aegean all the way to Athens. It's a long trip, rather than going rather than going by land, which is a good from from Berea, which is near Thessalonica. It's probably a good ten hours drive. They put him in a boat and and send him straight to Athens. Yeah, and then he arrives in like the the thriving yep. intellectual capital capital. Of- the, the world, yes. Of the world. One of the, f- one of the big cities. It, at, the, at this time, we have, we have Rome going from around the Mediterranean. We have Rome, Athens, Ephesus, 
Antioch and Alexandria in Egypt are the five big cities. This is probably number two, I reckon. Number two. Number so two we- or number three of the biggest cities at the time. And where does he go when he's there? To the Straight synagogue. Straight to the synagogue again. <laughs> but he is deeply troubled by all the idols he yes. sees everywhere in the city. And he goes to the synagogue to reason with the Jews again and yep. the God-fearing Gentiles. So anybody could go to the synagogue, it seems. Uh, why do you say tra- that? Oh, because the God-fearing uh, Gentiles. I see. Uh, yes, God-fearing Gentiles aren't. Oh, no, and he spoke daily in the public square. He does both, yes. So God-fearing Gentiles, they, they were, what's the term for it, proselytes or something. So, yes, you've got you've got Gentiles who get circumcised and then you have other Gentiles who never went to all the way to circumcision but still were inclined that way. That's what the God-fearers were. So they probably, I'm assuming, they wouldn't have been allowed inside the synagogue because they weren't circumcised, but they were around the fringes of Judaism, yeah, but also in the public square. And, and look, I've been to the public square in Athens and um, what's left of it, and there's, you can see there's idols, there's temples all over the place. There's still a temple there today. So it's very much the heart of idolatry. You can see why Paul would have been frightened by the amount of idolatry or disturbed, it says, by the amount of idolatry that was going on there. And the public square, am I correct in assuming, in assuming this is a place where people would come to discuss, talk? Yes, this is the Agora. This is the central business district. All markets, all centre of, uh, of religi- Greco, Greek, Greek, Greek religious practices. Um, it's just like the coffee shops are there, people sitting around talking. That's what Paul's doing. Okay, and here he gets into a debate mm-hmm. with some of the Epicurean did and I say sto- that yep, right? Epicurean and Stoic, and Stoic philosophers. Philosophers. Now, Epicurean, I have... Did you look it up? Yeah, I did. Good. Go for it because I can't remember what they what they all are. Teaches that pleasure was the pleasure, chief aim right. in life. That's Epicurean, yep. Yep. And Stoic, they contend that a passionless, passionless acceptance of natural law was the highest wisdom and that such law was inexplorable, inexorable. So how do I say that? Inexorable? Yes, what does that mean? And merciless. Um, I think, so we say when someone's stoic, it means they're without emotion. So stoicism, I think from memory, is the, it's almost this hyper-naturalist view. They almost removed any emotion and spiritualism, like totally of the natural world. Everything mm-hmm. was natural, which is quite uncommon in a, re, a deeply religious society to not have anything, almost like pure humanism, everything at the humanistic level. I think that's what stoicism is. And Epicurean is like, whatever goes, whatever makes you feel good. So you're dealing with two worldviews here, which are predominant philosophy views at the time. So in this area, in this in this agora in Athens, philosophy was at its its height. This is where um, uh, Plato and Aris, what's his name? Aristophanes? Aristocracy, aristocracies, Ar- whatever These Aristotle? Aristotle, let's see. Plato's <laughs> Aristotle, and you yeah. would get there eventually. So Aristotle, I think, was Plato's disciple and he was right here in this place he spent most of his life right here where paul is spouting his philosophy so this is this is the heart of philosophy in the time of in the time of christ in the time of paul so conversation is encouraged here absolutely encouraged all different views are encouraged and they listen to them yep. so much so uh, they say when he's have this debate and he tells them about jesus and they say what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up uh, he seems to be preaching about something, and then they're like, "Come and come and tell us about this." Yeah. They say uh, they took him to the high council and say, "Just tell us about it." Yeah, 
Now, there's two prevailing views here. One is that, you know, they take him up onto Mars Hill, which is just above the, the marketplace. You've got the marketplace down on the ground. You've got Mars Hill sort of halfway up the hill, and then you've got the pant, the, the Parthen, Parthenon right up the very top, the Acropolis right up the top. And this was – so some people think he was just invited there for a conversation. I've heard NT Wright say it would be more than a conversation. He was basically being uh, put on trial, really, for his – by the, the by the philosophical and religious elite because of his teaching. So I'm when not you sure. say trial, you don't mean criminal trial. You just not mean a criminal. Although the trial. results of it may have ended up being NT writes says I think the, end, the results of it may have ended up being potentially a criminal trial. Um, but it's not. I've always read it as just oh let's just have a conversation. Let's invite you up and you just tell us what you think. It's the Supreme Court, right? It, that's exactly what NT writes says. It's actually more than just oh this is just a bunch of people in the marketplace. Now, this is the, this is the elite of the town calling him to account for his words and his teaching down on the, down the marketplace below. And, and he's not just teaching any people. He's actually teaching the most highly yes. cultivated. The Areopagus are the yeah, highest. And artistic people of this ancient yes. world. These yep. are the intellects. These are the smartest. These are the influences. Yes, absolutely. These are the, <laughs> these are the influences. I like that. And so, and art, I've got my notes here. Art and philosophy were sort of regarded as standards. Yes. In this, in these great centers of learning. For sure. But the thing is, they didn't know God. They were arguing um, uh, that Stoic and Epicurean, but they weren't really discussing God. There were many gods. Yes, all kinds of gods. Gods for everything. Yeah. Yep. They're discussing human thought, human reasoning. Yep. Human purpose. Yep. And, and in line with. The Greco religion gods. When I walked around the Agora, there, there's, stat- there's still statues they've uncovered to all the different gods. They're all over the place. Did you see the one to the unknown god? No, I didn't see that one. No, I didn't see that one. Because he's known now. Or? Because he's known now. <laughs> yeah, he probably got demolished. But there is they've uncovered lots of got lots of statues, and there's the massive uh, temples and all sorts of stuff there. Okay, yeah, you can't miss it. You no. cannot miss it in Athens. I've been to Athens. Yeah, Have you walked around this area. I have. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah you can't yeah. miss it. Did you walk through the Agora well, down below the Acropolis? I only spent one day. So, okay, yes. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was a layover, yeah. sadly. Yeah. I have to go back. Yeah. It wasn't enough, just mm-hmm. a taste. <laughs> so, okay. So, I love this verse here in <laughs> verse 21. It yep. sums it all up to me. And it's humorous. Here's the Bible being funny, at least I think. It should be explained that yes. all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. It's like Luke goes wink, wink. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, doesn't it, as he writes this. <laughs> yeah, you need to know, funny. listener, yeah. that, you know, these guys just spend all their time babbling. Yes, babbling and talking, <laughs> not working, you yeah, know, hanging right. around, exactly. putting on plays exactly. and all that stuff, writing their yep. poetry and their yep. theatre and everything. So, Well, there's this story of, I think it's Aristotle, I think it's this Aristotle when so this is before this time. This is during the time of Alexander the Great, I think it was, or earlier. One of the one of the kings came past him, rode his horse past him, and looked at him and stood stood there and said, "Oh, you're the great Aristotle. Give me, I'll give me. I say something like, you can have whatever you want. You're famous. Give, I'll grant you whatever you want.'" And he said, "Get out of my sunlight!" <laughs> told, told the king, to, told on his horse, "Get out of the way." So you know, this is the, this is the level of this deeply entrenched philosophy in this place. Worldviews. This was a forming. We cannot underestimate the forming in this city of most of our Western worldview started here in Athens. Yes, it did, and we're also seeing the start of the Christian Church. Yes, we are alongside this, this. and it's going to mix and blend. Yep. Yeah, yep. This is a pivotal time in history. Yes, it is. Yeah, and I need to learn more. I will it's say that I don't know much about Greek history, but yeah. I need to know more. Okay, so 
Going on, Paul stands before the council and he addresses them. Men of Athens, I notice you are very religious. For I was walking and I saw all your shrines, which Rowan did. He saw all those shrines and your altars. But there was one which took his eye. I'm abbreviating. Yes. yes. Yeah, don't read the whole story. It takes too long. (laughs) To an unknown God. This is what it said. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. So then he starts to, he preaches here and he gives a pretty good summary. Don't you think he's the God who made the world? He takes a statue of an unknown God and and uses it to preach about Jesus. Yep. Does he actually say Jesus? Uh, Well, probably not. Um, Suffice it to say this, this sermon doesn't work. Let's just put it no, that way. No, he doesn't mention Jesus at yeah, all by work. name. No. Because you th- you read and you, as you going along in the story, like, yeah, Paul's about to like do this yeah. amazing preach, but it just doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. Might have planted some seeds, but. Uh, well, no, you're supposed to see it as a failure and I'll show you why. Oh, why? Tell me now. Well, so Paul, Paul ends this great. Now you can go to seminary, you can learn pre- preachers, you got to they learn how to preach at seminary and Bible college. They'll use this sermon as a model sermon structure. And they'll say, you know, look how Paul reasoned an argument and did all this sort of stuff. But they neglect to say the problem was it didn't work. Yeah. Because in the end it says, verse 33, <laughs> that ended Paul's discussion with him. They said, oh, they said, oh, we want to hear some more later. Yeah, come back another day. Basically some laughed at content. So let's, verse, it says, verse 32, when, Paul, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. Then Paul... Paul's discussion with them, uh, ended his discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So that sounds promising by our standards. Hey, it's a great day. If I preach and I get a handful of people saved, that sounds fantastic. He, he got a few, but by Paul's standards, this sermon was a failure. So what we're going to see is that Paul will never go back to Athens again. That's what I was just going to say. That's what you're about to say. Yeah. Yep. This is a failure. Yeah. By Paul's standards. By Paul's standards. But also by our standards, reading it. We, yes. We want this it, to be you amazing. Want, this is the middle of, this could have been, this could have been uh, so much more because this is Athens. This is the heart of Greco-Roman thought. He could have won them all over in Absolutely. this minute. Absolutely. Yeah. But it, he doesn't. No. So Paul's going to leave here and we need to. Uh, is it 1 Corinthians 2? Let me see if it's 1 Corinthians 2. Yes, it is. Here we go. So Paul's going to leave here and he's going to go straight to Corinth. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and then we'll come, probably come to this in the next chapter. Paul's going to go to Corinth. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 2. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you of God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. Why did he do that? Because he's just preached in Athens up the road and done all those things. And it was a complete failure. Mm-hmm. And he comes with he, like the walk from Athens to Corinth was some deep soul searching for Paul. Yes. Okay. Because if you pull me up, if you like, right, Jeannie, you're going to go before these people at Athens, I would be feeling, my natural state would be like, I, I am going oh, to be amazing. Yes. This is my moment. This is my moment. I am going to bring about the entire conversion of Athens. Yes. So I'm walking in the natural state. Yes. That's what Paul's doing. Right? He's walking in the natural state here. <laughs> natural that's great. State. I, like, I like this analogy. Yeah. And he great, he gives a good speech, but you know what? 
all the people here are also in the natural state. Yes, that's right. They weren't ready to receive it. They're not looking for anything spiritual. He speaks of spiritual stuff, you know. And they can't receive God it. God overlooked people's ignorance. It sounds all high and saluting. Judging of and, the world. Yeah. yeah. No. It's all true. It's just it's it's operating out of his own oratory skills. And he's obviously a brilliant orator and he's leveraging that, but he's doing what David is doing back in Z- yeah. in Ziklag and operating in his own strength. Yeah. Yeah. This is not the crowning moment that Paul thought it was no, going to be. No, But it leads to a redemptive moment because he gets to Corinth and he's a changed man. Yes. Mm. So God uses these moments, these yes. when we're in our natural man state, yeah. natural person state. He's almost like God goes, okay, you can try. Give, give, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Have a go. Yeah. I'll wait. <laughs> but they weren't ready. The Athenians weren't ready. No. They were still trying, as we said, the Epicureans, the Stoic, they were trying to figure out their own. Yep natural ways, Yep. what what life means for the natural person. Yep. Yeah, and he comes anyway. So, yeah, you can see where I'm going. We're, yes, I don't need we think to... we're on track, yeah. And Paul, it's almost like Paul can never bring himself to go back to Athens again. No. Well, know, he, well we, we have no record of him going back to Athens ever again. He goes to Corinth a couple of times. He's around the place. He goes back up north a couple of times, but he never goes to Athens again. I wonder if he'd have thought of that when Jesus says, if they don't welcome you, Dust the. Uh, take I wonder, the dust but I think he feet. would. I think that doesn't seem to be what Paul's saying. It's not. It, it's probably more an awareness of his own failings, and maybe he couldn't bring himself to go back. Paul clearly had a vision to go to the big cities. He wanted to go to Athens. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Ephesus. He was in Antioch. He was in. He he definitely. He didn't get. We don't have any record of him going to Alexandria, but we have record of him going to Antioch. Ephesus, Athens, and Rome, four of the five big cities. So he had this sense of if I can go to these cities and win converts there, they will then take the gospel forward. So that was his intention. It's just that in Athens, it failed. Hmm. Yeah, big time. Big time. I've got a note to myself, but I'm going to ignore it. So let's just... (laughs) Okay. Are we moving on, are we? (laughs) Yeah, 1 Samuel 28. Okay, 1 Samuel 28. One Samuel twenty-eight, we hear uh, Saul seeks a medium, basically in this chapter, okay. and it starts off Ashish again, uh, who David has sought refuge with mm-hmm. in the Phil- uh, the Philistinic area. <laughs> the Philistinic area, yeah. Yep. Uh, he's confident of David's allegiance. So, uh, in verse one, about that time, the Philistines mustered their armies for another war with Israel. I mean, they're constantly back and forth. Back. This and forth. is just normal culture. They would go to war and then they'd come home and plant their crops and then springtime would come around and they would go back to war. That was just culture in the ancient world. But here, David, King Ashish tells David, you and your men will be expected to join with me in battle. And what does David say? Sure. Sure. I'll yep. go to war I'll against to war. the Lord's people. Yeah. Sure. And you will see, Ashish, what, what we I can, can really do. <laughs> what I can do. Deceptive, yes. deceptive, wink, wink. Yeah. Um, and Ashish says, I will make you my personal bodyguard for life. David has this, he's offered favour and position within the Philistines Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. So Ashish is appealing to this natural man, like you do this for me and I will, I will make you my personal bodyguard for life. Well, think about, he was Saul's personal bodyguard. Yes, he was. So he's being offered a shortcut. Yeah. Yep. 
got to, you've got to think that narrative through. This is what the writer wants you to be thinking about all the way through this story. Yes, you're right. And do you think here David is thinking, I'm going to be the king of the Philistines and Israel? Yeah, I, I don't know what David's thinking. It's possible. No, you, that, of course no, you don't, we don't know. know. Well, we, don't see, we don't know what he's thinking because we, he's obviously not going to get a chance to... But he doesn't know he's not going to get a chance. He doesn't know he's not going to get a chance. That's why I'm saying it's quite possible he thought, well, maybe I'll take out Akish and take out Saul and I'll take the whole lot. It's possible. We, we like Akish, Akish, whatever you say. He likes him. I think David, you think David likes him? Yeah, later on in chapters, which we will get to, uh, he wants to honour his family later on. That's him, right? He goes back. Yeah, he does. He goes, when David is king, he goes back and he wants to, sorry, this is in 2 Samuel. (laughs) You're talking about Mephibosheth? No, no, no. He goes back and says, I will honour your father for what he did with me, did, and they they ignore him. They're, uh, um, they don't ignore him. People say to the guy, to his son, say, no, 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 uh, David's actually coming to get you. Um, and then David destroys them, I think. Yeah, I know the story, but I didn't think that was it. Isn't think him? Isn't that? Yeah. Okay, maybe. I have to check. I always think that's someone over on the western, the eastern side of Akish, King of Gath is down on the Mediterranean coast, Philippine land. Philip, Philippine, Philistine land. <laughs> I didn't even pick up on the fact you said <laughs> the Philippines. <laughs> Philistine land. But I think that was the king of, uh, it's a different, oh, look, it might be right, but I think it's, I think it's a king in modern day Jordan. It's the other side. Oh, is it? Yeah. I don't think uh, it's Akish. Oh, look at that. See, I get things all backward and twisted. We, I, I'll have to check it. We'll check it in the next break. Before all right. We, yeah. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. Start again. <laughs> so anyway, aside from <laughs> okay. that, he, yeah, I don't think he's honoring Akish. I think he's deceiving Akish as much as he's. He's just living in his own world. I think I'm picking up on what you've been saying. I think he's doing everything in his own strength here. Yeah, and he is still in this wilderness and it's like the little voice of temptation comes in. Yep. Uh, here, you can be this king's servant, king, yep. <laughs> king's bodyguard. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right. This is a shortcut. Yeah, and remember um, Jesus is a, when he is tempted in the wilderness as well. Yeah, I he will give the, you a kingdom. Exactly. He has the yeah. same temptation. The same one. Rowan's typing. I'm going to find good. it out while you talk. I hope you're proving wrong. Mind. All right, okay. So meanwhile, we know that Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him in verse 3 and he was buried. And Saul had banned from the land of Israel all mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. Why did he ban them? Because that was part of the law. Because that was part of the law. Law? Yeah. All right. But he didn't remove them. He banned them, but he didn't remove them. Yes, I think so. Yeah. So he knows, even though he banned them, he knows they're operating still. It would seem so. Yeah. So he yeah. he goes. Well, does he does she say he's banished us from the land? Does she say that later on? Don't you know that Saul possibly Saul has banished us? Anyway, I'm we'll going to go back there. to this. It's King Nahash of the Amorites, Ammonites. Sorry, King Nahash of the Ammonites. So it's not King Akish of the Philistines. It's King Nahash. See how of the close that name is. It was Anna, Nahash and Akish, very similar. Okay. But no, different dude. Different dude. Yeah. All right. Nice Scrub try. that. Nice That's all right. try. Back to carry it. on with the story we're at hand. Are you sure? That's what it says. Second Kings ten second uh, Samuel ten five. Sometime after this, King Nahash of the Ammonites died and his son Hanun became king. David said, I'm going to show loyalty to Hanun just as his father Nahash has shown loyalty to me. When did his father show loyalty? loyalty well, to by him? this stage David has a kingdom that has, is ruling over a lot of the foreign nations, including the Ammonites nearby. So David so he, this he would have had this the Ammonites would have been um, an, a vassal kingdom at this time. All right, okay, okay, and so he'd probably so he'd send some loyalty, just like hire the king, hire the king of 
Hiram, the king of Tyre, had shown, shown loyalty as well. So the neighbouring – David's kingdom is expanding. By the, this is much later on. David's oh, kingdom is expanding. Right. And these this, are all vassal states. See, I have developed a romanticism for Ashish no, he's in not. this moment. He's definitely in this narrative he's supposed to be a like good guy. Him. You yeah. do. You do quite like him. I think yeah. you're supposed to like him. <laughs> yes, but no, it's a different dude. Oh, I think no, it's pro- that's probably more of a commentary against David than it is against Akish because David uses – Akish for his own benefit. Yes, but you know, it also shows me how I want David to redeem himself in that relationship. He doesn't. Because I wanted David to come back. I wanted that to be David. You wanted that to be David. No, David does not um, redeem himself in that situation. I want David to be more of a messiah than he is. Than he really is. Yep. Oh dear, such a shame. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Not in that context anyway. Boo hoo. Okay. Don't you... (laughs) <laughs> disappointed I hate that when the Bible disappoints yeah, you. Oh, no. <laughs> why can't it be the way I want why, it to be? Why is it so, Redemption the for the it. people I want to be redeemed. Anyway, yeah. all right, okay. Just stop taking me down. No, I took myself you down. You took that. yourself down that path. I had to straighten it out. All right. All right, back okay. to 1 Samuel 28. 1 Samuel 28. Saul is seeking a medium, okay? Yes, that's right. That's where we were. So because uh, when Saul sees the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. Now, chapter 28 and 29 should be read together. together. They happen at the yes, same they time. Do. All on the same so day. So you may think that David is fighting, going to fight David um, Saul, but read chapter 29 and he is not. So this happens. We're now reading the Israelites' side, side of, of the, the story. story. Yep. All right. So Saul, blah, 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 he's frantic. He asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots, the Urim and Thurim, yep. or by the prophets. So Saul then goes and seeks his advice. He goes elsewhere and says, find me a medium. Find a woman. So is he seeking, while well, he was seeking the heavenly, he's now seeking yeah, the demonic. Can we say it like that? Yeah, well, he, he, he would see that this was demonic. Yeah, I mean, the law strictly, this is one of the things the law strictly forbid was the consulting of mediums and spiritists. So he is so far gone now. He's so far gone. Yep. Remember, yep. he was God's chosen. He was God's chosen. And he and his zeal had tried to, like you said, ban them all. And now he's going back on his own zeal. All right. But his advisors actually know that there is a medium. There is a medium So they're not, they're not living by the Torah either. No. They know they haven't no. gotten rid of this person. Yep. By gotten rid of... I'm not saying killed or whatever. Well, it probably would have been, but yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a bit harsh. All yes, right. It is harsh, but so it's Saul disguises himself by wearing ordinary clothing and he goes down to this woman's home at night. Now, mm-hmm. you know if you're going anywhere at night, you don't ever want to be seen. Going to a woman's home. Well, yeah, particularly into a woman's home. But he is accompanied by two of his men. Yep. And I will have I have to talk to a man who has died, he says to her, to her, Will you call up this spirit for me? And she's like, Are you trying to get me killed? You know that Saul her Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? Then Saul replies, he takes an oath in the name of the Lord. Uh, isn't that weird? Yeah. As surely as the Lord lives. Oh, my goodness. Who is not talk talking about, to me, answering my No, it's yeah. right. It's, this is talk about ritual and you're missing the point. Nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. So he's trying to be trustworthy in the moment, but he's not at all a trustworthy person. And finally the woman says, well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? And Saul says, call up Samuel. Yep. When the woman saw Samuel, because Samuel appears in this moment, which is so strange to me. Yep. You've deceived me. You are Saul. Don't be afraid. The king tells her, what do you see? And then 
I see a God coming out of the earth. What does, oh, you don't have a Bible there. So what does your translation say? Mine says God too, but it's probably, I see Elohim, I would imagine. Or gods. Or gods, oh. Elohim. I see an Elohim coming out of the, the earth, which will be a spiritual being. I see a spiritual being coming out of the earth. So she's not saying God, the creator God. It's a spiritual well, the being. the word will be... El, the word will be Elohim, almost definitely. What, what I'm going to look it up in in uh, my Bible, my Strong's Concordance. Well, it's not capitals. So we're in 1 Samuel 28. What verse? 13. 13. But anyway, while you look yep. at that, this old man appears wrapped in a robe and Saul realizes it's Samuel and he falls to the ground. Before him. Yep. So the word is Elohim. Yep. That's, it is. Okay. So, so the word Elohim is the name of God. It's also a cl- plural name for all spiritual beings. I am on the end. So this is where there's confusion about how to translate this. And the Septuagint translates it certain ways. So the yeah, NLT says, I see a God coming out of the ground. The NLT will, the NIV will say, um, verse 13, you said, she said, I see a ghostly figure. I think the older versions used to say, I see a spirit coming out of the, the old NIV used to say, I see a spirit coming out of the ground. So there's a spiritual being of some kind that she sees. A spiritual being who happens to be happens to be Samuel. Samuel. Well, it would appear so, yeah. And why have you disturbed me, he says, by calling me back? And Saul replies, I'm deep in, I am in deep trouble. The Philistines are at war. God has left me, won't reply. So I've called you to tell me what to do. And Samuel replies, why ask me? Since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy. Yes. Why ask me? Why ask me? The Lord has done just as he said. He has torn the kingdom from you. So is Samuel responding here and reminding him of what he has yes. already be told, yeah. been told? Which yeah, scholar, was, yes. Which was what exactly? That the kingdom would be taken away from him and given to David. He has torn the kingdom from you and yep. given it to your rival David. Yep. Who at this point in his life doesn't believe it. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Who's struggling to believe in himself. Yes, that's yeah. right. The Lord has done this to you today because you refuse to carry out his fierce anger against the, the Amalekites. Amalekites. Which is right back at the beginning, early on in Saul's reign. Yeah, and David has been raiding the Amalekites. Amalekites. So David has been trying to bring about yep. what Saul did not bring yep. about and why yep. Saul lost his... Oh, I just thought, do you think David is trying to remind or prove to God why he should be the maybe king? Maybe so. So he goes out and kills yep. the Amalekites. Yeah, maybe so. Yep. Like, Lord, look at me. I'm doing what you wanted. Yep. Now, the Amalekites oh, okay. didn't have a land of their own. They were they were a nomadic tribe that would just basically go raiding through the land and um, <clears throat> basically find the find the the land that was in you know that was in harvest time, and they would just kill everyone and eat, and then move on to the next place. So that's what the Amalekites were. And they were like a nomadic people. Where is it in Numbers? Do you have that in Numbers where God actually says to do that? To do what? Kill the Amalekites? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the story of um, Aaron and her lifting up Joshua, fighting the Amalekites, and, and Moses lifting up his staff. That's the story where we see the Amalekites. God says, to, I will erase the Amalekites. From oh, the no, world. no, no, no. Where he actually says to Saul, go and destroy them. That's not numbers. That'll it's be. It's not? No. That'll, Why do I have numbers here? Because that's the story. Numbers is the story. You're talking. Okay, Moses that one. That. Right. Um, the story is in, it'll be in about First Samuel chapter, I'm going to guess seven, just as a guess, where Samuel says to Saul, the Lord is going to call the Amalekites for the way they call justice on the Amalekites for the way that they have treated the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. 
which is the numbers account. Go there for? Chapter 15, 1 to 3. Oh, it's further along than I thought. 15, yeah, there, there you go. go. <laughs> I thought it was much further earlier on than that. Chapter 15, 1 to 3. It was out by seven chapters, but that's okay. Yes. One day Samuel said to Saul, it is the Lord who called me to anoint you as king over the people of Israel. Now listen to the message of the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I've decided to settle accounts with the Amalekites for opposing Israel when they came out of Egypt. Go and completely destroy the Amalekite nation. And they refused. Saul kept back stuff for himself and... That was yep. the beginning of his downfall. All right. Yep. So it, it that is a direct order from God. That is one of the times in the Bible where we see that God is using a human for his justice. Yes, this, is, this seems to be one of those cases where the Amalekites, I think I probably talked about this with Jimmy, um, might have been current podcast, I think we, probably, we might have done this. this. This is one of those times when God is specifically um, yeah, calling them to account for just judging them for their wicked behavior. All right. Yeah. I just... <laughs> So the, the the story, the narrative is Saul didn't obey God and it cost him the kingdom. And then we in this story now and Samuel is risen from the dead and he appearing to Saul and he's reminding him the kingdom was taken away from you because you didn't obey God. Yeah. And Saul falls full length on the ground, paralyzed with fright because of Samuel's words. He was I would all, be too. Yep. And then he was faint with hunger. And then the woman here... Um, Feeds him. Saul refuses at first, but the, the, the woman... The men talk him into it and the woman yeah. talks him into it, yep. So he's there and he is fully aware of his natural state. Mm. He's hungry, he's yep. tired, and they give him his natural yes, needs. Yes, feed his natural needs. He's they, about to go to war. He needs to eat needs. something before he goes to war, yeah. Yeah, so Saul has completely given himself over to this natural yep. state. Yep, yep. This is his worst place. This is his lowest point. His yeah. lowest point. He's yeah. going to die the next day, but he gets up and he eats. Yep. Do you think he eats because to restore his strength? I know, speculating. But do you think he might have thought, or oh, maybe I can stop it? I can, can stop fight my, my death. way out of this, yeah. maybe. Because yeah. his whole existence before that has been trying to trying kill to save his own David yeah. to um, bring about the destruction of God's plan. Yes. Do you think maybe he can finally do it? Maybe. I'm going to eat and I'm going to get up and I'm going to go and kill maybe. David. Yeah, it's speculation. Speculation. It's a possibility. We don't know what's going through his mind at this point. I don't think it's – the. this is a good example of when it's good to speculate but don't form doctrine on it because the narrator doesn't want us to – doesn't tell us so it's obviously not an essential part of what they're trying to teach us. But we're thinking of people here, thinking of – and it's good to think of our own humanity. Oh, nothing wrong we, with what no. we would do. Yeah, think through what we would do. Why would we Why would we do those things? Yes, that's right. Nothing wrong with it. Just don't build doctrine on it. No, don't be – I'm not in building this, doctrine. No, I know you're not. But put yourself in the story and go, yeah, what would I do in that situation? Okay. Yeah. So here we have Saul. He's fallen on the ground. It says he's fallen on the ground twice and he gets up and he has, as we said, he's, he's eaten. He's still in his natural state. And this casts my mind forward to another Saul. Yep. Saul of ah, Tarsus, yes. he Fallen too on the ground. falls on the ground. Yep. But he doesn't get up and fulfill his or feed his natural state. Yeah, he gets up and he fasts. He fasts. Yes. And he prays. Yes, good. S- spiritual state. Well, <laughs> no that's wa- good. <laughs> no wonder why Saul Paul wanted to change his name. <laughs> ah, is that why he wanted to get away from the, his yeah. namesake, yeah. Saul? Yeah. Uh, well, I would say that's not the reason he got changed his name, but but there's definitely a parallel there. Yes, that he fell over and he got up and fasted rather than got up, fell over in fear and got up and ate. Yes, that's great. 
Yep, that deserves a round of applause. <laughs> but I haven't got my glasses on, so I can't <laughs> find the right button. I'll do it myself. Oh, there we go. Found it. Yeah. That's good. But both of them had been confronted. I'm still applauding. Still me. applauding. No, <laughs> both of them had been confronted by what they had done. Samuel yes. says, this is what you had done. Yes. And Saul, uh, Saul yeah, Jesus says, says Saul, Saul, Samuel. why are you Saul. persecuting me? Yep. Both confronted both by confronted what they've done. One the... is repentant, one is not. Great. One remains natural. One moves into the spiritual. Into Moves yep. into Christ's light, I have, yes. in his heart. Yep. He, uh, yes. Yeah. That's, that's good. I like it. I like the similarity there. The sim- <laughs> I did talk about some similarities between Saul and Saul of the Old Testament and Saul in the New Testament with Jimmy or Phil as well as we, in previous weeks. So I can't remember now. It was too long ago, but we did pick up on some other similarities. Yeah, it's good. But I don't think I'd thought of that one before. Oh, right. So <laughs> in this chapter we see David is in a false sense of self, false statehood. Yes. Were you going to say anything? No. No. Nope. Okay. Sometime. I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing. <laughs> agreeing. All right. Okay. So and he has been um, tempted yep. like Christ is tempted. Has been has tempted, been tempted yeah. to take for himself. Yes, yes, definitely. I'm just reminding people before we move on. Yep. Just showing you the this, there's so many so many more things in these things. In these yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm fascinated by the links between uh, First Samuel and Acts that you're bringing up here. That I, I didn't put those two passages together with that intentionality, but there's yeah. some great some great links in the story. Yeah, well, it's I mean, yes, obviously kingdom building, but um, a lot of other little things yes. along the way. Yeah. All right, let's go back to Acts. In that little music break there, um, Pastor Rowan was pointing out that this might be a long podcast again. And I'm, <laughs> why so there's a common denominator here, Jeannie. It's usually it's you. you. <laughs> no, it's I can you. pull off two and a half hour podcasts or two hour podcasts with everybody else, but not oh, with you, Jeannie. No, but see, like I'm dying to sit down and <laughs> yes, talk about the Bible with people. Yeah, because not you know, no one wants to yeah. really. This old dusty book, <laughs> blow it no, off. It's definitely you, Jeannie. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh, no. Verse 18, not verse, chapter 18. Paul labours with his hands and preaches at Corinth and he's encouraging a vision and the ministry of Apollos. That's what happened. Apollos. Yes, that's Apollos what happened. Yep. In here. So he's left Athens and uh, we know from our previous discussion that he's probably not in a good state of no, mind. No, he's not in a good state. No. He is probably rethinking like, oh, how did I get that wrong? What can I do? Mm-hmm. It could be. At least I would be doing that. Well, that's what he says in First Corinthians 2, as I read. He, he's saying, you know, what, by the time I get there, I'm just going to preach Jesus, him crucified, and I'm going to do it in the demonstration of the Spirit's power. I'm going to go and move in the Spirit. I'm not going to rely on my own strength. That's really clear. That's what he says. It's plain as day in First Corinthians 2. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'm glad you point that out, but I'm not going <laughs> to... Not gonna go I'm there. not going to go there. Because okay. the podcast is long enough. Yeah. All right. So here he goes into uh, Corinth and he becomes acquainted with Aquila. Yep. Who is a Jew who's been born somewhere else and who'd recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Mm-hmm. They'd left Italy when Claudius deported all the Jews from Rome, yep. which is true. He did. Yep. Historically, um, he did. Possibly because they were so there was such disruption between the Christians and the Jews at that point. It like, yep, it was both all of you out, out the whole lot done. of you out of here. <laughs> yeah, seems to be what he did. Would have been quite. Yeah, for some years, I think five years or something was it? Something like that, five seven years or something. There was a deportation. I'm not sure. Can't on remember the actual length. Yeah. No. So these guys are new to Corinth, Priscilla and Aquila. 
And they're tent makers. Yeah, just like Paul. Just as, so Paul finds like-minded people here. Mm-hmm. And I love how he's gone from this defeat in Athens and then the Lord brings him into a group of like-minded people yeah. and people who are searching Yep, and who who will sit and listen to Paul. And Paul probably, I think he would, he, he's building his argument with these people as they sit around and talk, as yeah. they're making tents, sewing so tents. That's, that's interesting. I, I, this, is a, this shows how you make assumptions. I have always assumed that when Paul first met Priscilla and Aquila that they were already believers. But what you just pointed out is that there's no indication that they were already believers. No. No. Jews. They were Jews. It didn't say fellow believers there. No, it doesn't. Mm, I just made an assumption there that they were. But whatever it is, Paul's encouraged, whoever they are. Yes, whoever they are, he's encouraged. He has a great relationship. Great relationship. But what your point is, is that maybe in the process of tent making, he discipled them into the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Working next alongside them. Yep. Speaking, talking. Yeah. 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 Great. Not out there preaching, but they're seeing him. In his daily life. Yeah, seeing his daily life, having conversations. Yep. Because I don't think if you'd have come back from this big thing in Athens, I think, notice here, it doesn't say he goes straight to the synagogue. No, he's, it's different, isn't it? Yeah. It's Otherwise different. he goes straight to the synagogue to argue yep. with the Jews. With here confidence he goes and, to work. Yep. Here, here is just like, I'm just showing up here and Lord, I'm just doing, I'm available for whatever you want. He says in First Corinthians 2, I came with fear and trembling. So he just shows up going, well, Lord, I've got nothing left of me. Whatever you want me to do. And a bit like the the disciples, when Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead, they back in Galilee, they go, well, all we know to do is to go back fishing again. Let's just go and do that. It's like Paul just goes back, oh, I'll just go back to tent, tent making, making and I'll, I'll trust God. It's almost like he spent years tent making in Tarsus in this period of time, 10 years or so from his first conversion to when Barnabas went and got him. It's just like, I'm just going to go back to the last thing I knew. Yeah. yeah. And and then at some point he actually does go back to the the synagogue. Yes, he in does. Verse four. Yep. Uh, he, and he again goes to try and convince the Jews and Greeks alike. Yep. And then um, Silas and Timothy return. Yep. They found it finally made their way down. Long trip. Long trip. And Paul now spends all his time preaching the word. So, so now he, they've arrived. He, it appears he now has resources. He doesn't need to work. So he's spending his time preaching. Yeah. Yep. And he's renewed, don't you think? Yes, this is a renewal phase for him. So God took him, I think, to a time of leading me. What is that? I'm going to forget Proverbs, not Psalm 23. I'm going to forget it. Lead you beside Besides waters. Still waters. Still waters. So he's been renewed and yes, rejuvenated. Yes, he's been renewed and rejuvenated. <laughs> Little does he know that this beautiful rejuvenation <laughs> time, these going to preach to these Corinth is not going to last long because no. this is going to become the church that gives him the most headaches later. Yes. And he's going to go through another time of depression and anxiety at the, at the expense of these very people. All yes. right. Okay. He's encouraged by his friends. Um, he's emboldened, I suppose. Yes. It's like so he's he got, goes in. He's got a, new, a fresh wind. A fresh wind. Yep. Um, the spiritual man is back. Yes. Goes in and uh, but straight away they oppose and they insult yeah. him. And then Paul shakes the dust from his clothes and he says, I love this, your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go preach to the Gentiles. Yep. So there's a, a wrestling of his spirit here, yeah. a frustration. Yep. yep. Yeah. I, now I'm done with you Jews. I'm going to the Gentiles. <coughs> I've done everything I can do. Now I'm going to go find the Gentiles. Yep. And he leaves and he goes to the home. So there's time passing. You can read this as just bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Time passing. Some, sometimes pass. That's right. A Gentile he goes to who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. 
So this guy is a Gentile who worship God. He's a God-fearer. So he's an uncircumcised Gentile who has some relationship with God. Obviously, he's living next door to the synagogue. So, yeah, he's obviously got some relationship there with Crispus. I like his name, Crispus. Yeah. And he's the leader of the synagogue. And here we have another Another household. Another household being saved. That's right. Everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard and Paul... Heard Paul and became believers and were baptized. Yep. I'm going to pause on that. I'm going to assume here Paul baptized Crispus, right? Uh, I think he baptized the household. D- what? Doesn't he argue that he only baptized a couple of people? Uh, he like- says, he says, I baptized. He says, I thank God that I did not. Ba-, he says at the Corinthians, I thank God that I did not baptize this. any of you. Oh, yeah, I baptized Chris. He says, I baptized Gaius. I got baptized. He goes, I baptized, was it Crispus? He says, beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anybody else because Christ didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to preach. So I think he mentions right. a few. The point being is he didn't spend his, all his time doing baptism is all Paul's saying. I think he does mention Crispus though, doesn't he? I think he does. Yes. I, look, I might be confused yeah. with this like I was in the other chapter. No, I think he mentions but... Crispus as one of the ones he's baptized. All right. Okay. Um, but if, whether I'd say he would have baptized the household. I think it was just that, that's the intention it seems to say is that this household got baptized. baptized. Now, now it's church historians have argued with that and go, well, did that mean children were baptized? Did that mean infants were baptized? And people have different perspectives on this. Oh, no, which could have been that the whole household were all old enough to receive Christ. Could have been that. It could, yeah, or it could have been with the one blood on the door. Yeah, exactly. One baptism is for, for the, whole the family. Household. Uh, yeah, it could have been. I don't know. I love it when you say, I don't know. I don't know, honestly. It makes don't know. me feel more confident. Okay. In fact, I know. <laughs> Or confident or less confident, either way. It's good well, to it's, hear. Well, it's good to not <laughs> be so emphatic about it, but be yeah. open to study. All right. So yep. one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. Don't be afraid. Paul, I'm going to, if the Holy Spirit says that to me, that's because I am afraid. Yes, he's feeling it. He's and he's come from it. that feeling of fear previously. And failure. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 14. I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. I mentioned those two. For no one can say that they were baptized into my name. Oh, yes. I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. Oh, I forgot the Stephanus. So he baptized the household of Stephanus. <laughs> yes. So he probably baptized Crispus's household as well. But, you know, that's that's the point. Wouldn't he state the household of Crispus? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Don't know. Right. Yep, okay. Possibly. Maybe it was just Crispus on his own. You know what? You looked that up. I actually had that written down. Did you really? Oh, no. Okay. So the Holy Spirit encourages him in a a dream. God was working before Paul got there, it seems. Yes. Preparing hearts. Preparing hearts. Because he says, for I am with you. No one will attack and harm you for many people in this city belong to me. Yep. So Paul had, God was preparing them to receive the message from Paul. I wonder if that's why he got kicked out of Athens. Well, didn't get kicked out, but well, that's redemptive. He didn't, yeah, he left there. But they weren't ready. To they hear. weren't ready to hear. Or Paul, maybe they were, but Paul failed. But this time around, Paul, Paul was ready, and so God's partnering with Paul and going, "Okay, I'm going to get the people ready for you." The question is, were people ready in Athens or not? That's the thing. If Paul had have preached in Athens the way he preached in Corinth, would it have worked in Athens? I suspect it would have. I don't know for sure, but that would be my. I suspect that. It's just that Paul took matters into his own hands in Athens, whereas here he's totally relying upon the Lord. I like that you say that because speaking of the spiritual 
person, Paul hasn't lost sight of the spiritual person or he, uh, the spiritual moment. Like he is in connection with the Lord, yes. whereas David, he loses that. He seems to lose it, yes. He seems to lose it. But even though um, Paul is in this spiritual moment, the Lord still comes in and strengthens him. Yeah. He comes in with a vision and a dream and a direct yep. word yep. that I I know you're still with me, but I'm going to give you more. So more the confidence, Lord provides more, more confidence. And I've had that in my life where I felt like, you know, God has, you know, I've had dreams and prophetic words over my life that have just been that thing to go, I've got you. You know, it might feel like it's out of control. It might feel like you, you, you don't know where you're going right now, but I've got you. And I've learned over time, it's easier for me to trust those words. Not It's not always easy, but it's easier to trust those words and that confidence now because I've seen God do it before. I trust he'll do it again. Prophetic call. David had the prophetic call to be king. Yes. And he doubted. Did Paul have a prophetic call to go to the Gentiles? Yeah, Jesus said that to him. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That he says here, from now on I'll go preach to the Gentiles. So was he was he seeking was he actually doing what God wanted? When he went to the Jews, you mean? Yeah. Um, that's actually, scholars argue about that one because he was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, but he always went to the Jews. And I think there's a glimmer of an understanding in that. Whether it's right or wrong, the Paul wanting to preach to the Jews, he makes it very clear in Romans. He says, I preached first to the Jew, then to the gospel is first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And he talks about this. He goes, I think it's Romans, he starts Romans 9. Romans 9, he says, um, I need to turn my heart. My heart is breaking for the Jewish people. I would that any of that they would be saved. I would give up my faith if I, they could be saved. Um, however, they have been not, they're not accepting of Christ. So whether or not it was just his own self desiring to reach the Jews and he was well, never going to have history, much. It's his history, isn't it? It's his history. So yeah. So his heart, that's exactly right. Yeah. So the, the scholars argue about whether they, exactly that point you're making is, should he have just bypassed the Jews because it wasn't his mission and gone to the Gentiles. Because years later, he's going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to, he's going to hang out with the disciples, with the apostles in Jerusalem. And they're going to say, he's going to say, oh, Peter and James and John, they agreed that I should go to the Gentiles just as they should go to the Jews. So he comes to that realization. But so the scholars will say, should he have just gone straight to the Gentiles and never preached to the Jews? And some will say, yeah, that's actually, it was actually his own self no, operating from his natural man that made him want yeah. to preach to the gent to the Jews. Others will say no, that would have been the biblical practice. So uh, he's just following the steps of Jesus, who said, "I was first sent to the lost sheep of Israel." Um, and scholars are divided on that. Where do I sit? Probably the first one. I think. I actually think maybe you should have just gone straight to the Gentiles. Well, yeah, I love that we said that. I have so many thoughts. Okay, okay, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so. This, I think his prophetic call or his ability to believe in the prophetic call is developing, that he is the spiritual man mostly. Yes. But he's, it's hard for him to believe that he would speak to the Gentiles, a group of people that he knows nothing about. Yeah. And so, and he's just seen it fail. Uh, hang on. So I wouldn't say he knows nothing about it. He's grown up in Tarsus, which is a Roman colony. Yeah, I think, okay. I think he I'll give would, you that. Yeah, I think he would know. The thing about Paul is he was deeply versed in Greco-Roman thought and Jewish thought. So it's not that he wouldn't have known anything. He seems to, he, he quotes back when he was in the Areopagus, we didn't quote it last chapter when we were here, but when he was preaching, when he was speaking before them, he quoted, um, you know, ancient philosophers to them. So he knew his Greco-Roman thought. I don't think that's the issue. I think what you're probably getting at is that he just, his heart was still Jewish. He still 
he couldn't escape the fact that he was entrenched in wanting to reach Jewish people. And maybe it's partly that he is not able to see himself the way that God sees him. He Yes, the, the struggling to see it that life. Here's what he says in it is Romans 9. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. Okay, so maybe this is why the scholars say it's it's actually, he is, does have a heart for the Jews. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if it would save some of them. They are the people of Israel chosen by God to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them the law. He gave them the privilege of worshipping him and receiving the wonderful promises. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules everything and is worthy of eternal praise. So then he's going to go on and argue about did God fail the Jews and so on. But he's making it very clear there. He's almost like... Do I really want to be Jews? Do I really want to be the apostle to the Gentiles? Why can't I be apostle to the Jews? I'm one of them, yeah. you know, which might be a little bit of this natural man thing. He's, yeah, he's wrestling with, so when you said, oh, he, he didn't feel confident to go to the Gentiles, I actually think maybe it was more that he, he wanted to go to the Jews. Yeah, I think he did. Mm. I think that there's a part of this here where he is actually not doing exactly what God has I wanted think that him might be, to do. That might be the case, yeah. And thus the failure in Athens might have been quite a learning a learning curve. Learning curve Having said that, him. I mean he's met Jews here. Okay. He still he stays with the Jews mostly than the Gentiles. Uh, at this point, yeah. in Corinth, yeah. Well, it does. With he starts with Aquila and Priscilla, but no, it 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 branches out. I mean, G- Corinth is probably the first place that gets a probably has the highest Gentile number of people in the church. It doesn't take long for it to get into the Gentiles in Corinth. But it certainly started with a Jewish mindset. Maybe this is the place where he really starts to settle down to this whole thing of I'm called to the Gentiles. Yeah, I'm so glad you say that because when I was reading, I thought this seems to be a shift. A shift, yes. Um, But also I can sense his frustration with the the Jewish people because he loves them. He loves them dearly and he wants them to become the people of God in this new way, this new living for Christ way, but they fail. <laughs> they refuse. They beat him. They do all of that. Yeah. And he still, he like, still wants just, to reach them. He wants to reach them. But then he finds these willing hearts, which would have been quite, um, I don't know if it would have been shocking, but it would have been surprising. It would yeah. have been confronting to him. Confronting. Even. Yes. Or even the, and he, he's still learning about God. Remember he had um, his Jewish mindset and he's moving that into the, that Redemption is for yes. all people. Yep. So there would have been that wrestle in his mind. Yep. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And we can see it here. So there, this, I don't, when he says this verse, this verse, because you speak verses, you speak, <laughs> I will go to the Jew, I will go to the Gentiles. That is so, to me, the It's like a shift man. for him going, right, that's it. Yeah, I'm done. That's it. I'm done with you lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's a shift in, yes, there's a bit of natural coming out, but maybe it's, that's a moment of revelation and go, I've been trying to preach to these Jews in my own strength. The doors are closing. Doors, now this is like, ah, oh, I finally get it now. I'm not called to these Jews. I'm called to the Gentiles. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe both. Oh, yeah. Maybe both, yep. Yes, and see, I could just gloss over that, but we need yeah. to read it. Yep. All right, so, but Paul stays there in this place for a year and a half yeah, yeah, teaching months. the word of yep. God. And then Galileo becomes, oh, sorry, not Galileo. Not Galileo. Galileo. <laughs> Galileo or Galileo yep. became governor of Achaia. 
some Jews rose up together against Paul and they brought him before the governor for judgment. Mm -hmm. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. But as Paul starts to make his defense, this guy Galileo turned to the accusers and he's like, listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing, I would, I have reasons, I would have reason to accept, but since it's merely a question of your Jewish laws, take care of it yourself. Mm-hmm. Out of this, so it really had nothing to do with Roman law. That seems like insignificant, but it's actually incredibly significant. Why is it significant? Because what Gallio basically did was because Gentiles were being converted to Christ, and Gentiles were not did not have the Jewish exemption not to worship uh, the Greek gods that Jews had. So Jews were allowed to not worship Greek gods, provided that they made offerings to Yahweh on behalf of Caesar. So by Gallio, with one stroke of a pen here, basically saying, oh, this Christian thing, it's all Jewish, it meant that all of these Gentiles were now exempted from worship, having to, these Gentile Christians were now exempted from having to worship the Greek gods, and they were classed as Jewish. So that gave them incredible freedom in this southern part of Greece that they would not have otherwise had. Had Gallio said, no, no, this is different. You guys, you Christian guys, you're not a Jewish sect and hadn't seen it as a Jewish sect, it would have been a lot harder for the church. They wouldn't have had the legal exemptions that they ended up getting. They were legally exempt from, uh, they they meant they could have Sabbath off, they could do all kinds of things that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. I didn't know that. Mm. So this had lasting ramifications for for this part of Greece. Well, I do know. I did look into who Galileo. Galileo. Not Galileo. Galileo. Galileo was. He's the brother of the famous philosopher Seneca. Ah, Seneca's brother, is he? Okay. Yes. And who was a great Stoic philosopher. Yes, he was Stoic, yep. And playwright. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and we have a lot of modern, well, modern-ish back then thought come from. From him. From him. And he describes his brother as being lovable. As Gallio describes Seneca as being no. lovable. Oh, Seneca does of Gallio. Yeah, Gallio. as okay. being lovable and right. a loving, lovable guy. Yeah, right. See, yeah, well, he seems very accommodating here. He's basically saying, this isn't my problem. Yeah, you know, you sort it out amongst yourselves. But I love how they're in this couple of verses here, it's steeped in, in deep history yes. of our world. Huge history here. Yeah, to bring Seneca into it, I mean, he's very well known among the philosophers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I just have to had to just point that out yeah. because it's worth yeah. pausing and, and thinking about who are these actually who, who are these, these people characters? in the story? Yeah. Who are they related to? Because yeah. Seneca also is uh at one point he is Nero's tutor. Is he? Yes. Wow. And Nero well, um Nero was bad news. Bad news. Well Nero makes Seneca kill himself. Does he? Yeah, and yeah. I read that it was also he made Galli- Galio Galio himself too. Yeah, that that sounds like Nero. Yeah. One of the most narcissistic people, people that's ever lived. See, yeah. look at that. Oh, it's just amazing. There's all this stuff. And, yeah. and then I've got here, while he's here at Corinth, Paul, um, this is where he writes the two epistles to the Thessalonians. Uh, yes, that's yeah. correct. Yep. You see that in these little verses, but yep. he's there writing these letters. Yep. And to the Corinthians as well. 
Right? Well, he's at, no, he's at Corinth. Oh, no, he's at Corinth. Yeah. Yeah, of course, okay. But he's the, writing back to, because he came from, remember, track back a couple of chapters, he was kicked out of Thessalonica. He only had a little bit of time there with him and he left. Yeah. He only had a couple of weeks with him before he got kicked out of town. So he's now writing back to them. But probably Barnabas, sorry, Silas and Timothy have arrived and given a bit of a report. They spent a bit more time there. So he's now writing back to them. And we get First and Second Thessalonians from that time. Why my notes say Corinthians letter here is because you can also read this and not realize that, Corinthians is written to the place he is at he, now. That's right. Corinthians, both Corinthians letters and probably yeah. the other two that we don't have are written to this place. Yes. To Worth this thinking about because yep. those letters, are he in the Corinthians, he writes about pagan practica, practices, yep. sexual immorality, misunderstandings, and he writes them about misunderstandings about key doctrine. Yes. And, he, and it's to these guys. To these guys. Love is patient. Yep. Love is kind. That's right. Okay. Corinth was a mixed up church. To give it some context of yep. what Paul's going through, this is he writes, love is patient, love is kind to these guys. To these guys, yep. yeah. All right, so he stays in Corinth for some time and then he leaves, yep. gets to another place. And here he does a strange thing. He shaves his head according to Jewish custom for a vow. So is this the Nazarite vow you think he's um, taking? Possibly. I don't know if it's an – yeah, well, that's part of shaving the head. Well, they shaved the head before the vow. I don't know. Does it say Nazareth vow? No. He yeah. shaved – the Nazarites never meant – the opposite. No, the Nazarites didn't shave their head. They never no, cut they their hair. No, they didn't cut their hair. That's the opposite. No, this was something else. Another, there is a vow. There is that in the Old Testament. But we don't know what that vow is. Yeah. No, it doesn't. I think it states what it was. Not here. Maybe you're supposed to know, but it doesn't state. And he takes his besties, Priscilla and Aquila, and they go for a sail to Syria. To Syria, yes. Yeah, so he sets sail for Syria. But they stop at Ephesus. Go Ephesus on the way. Yep. And while he was there, he goes to the, he goes to the synagogue to yep. reason with the Jews again. Yep. So Ephesus is one of the big five. Yep. That's right. Yes. Yep. And they ask him to stay, but he declines. Not this time, he says. Yep. This is the second time he's been to Ephesus. Uh, no, I think this or is, is this the, the first, first time he's been to Ephesus. He'll come back there, but I don't think he's been there before. Even because he was oh, going right, to go towards Ephesus, yeah. He was going to go towards Eph- He was headed towards Ephesus when the spirit wouldn't enable him to go and to go to Macedonia. I think his intention was probably to go to Ephesus. He was in. He wanted to head towards Galatia, and yeah. he was heading to Ephesus. Is on the western coast of Turkey, right against opposite Greece on the Aegean. He wanted to go. It's very clear to me what's where he wanted to go because it's a big city. But the Lord wouldn't let him go there. He ended up going to Macedonia up north and then down to Athens, and now he's Corinth, and now he's coming back to Ephesus, but once again, he's not going there this time around. He goes to, from there to Caesarea, he goes back to Jerusalem Jerusalem. and then back to Antioch. Yep. The Galatia again, Phrygia. So he's doing such a a lot of travel. He's doing a lot of ministry work. Visiting and strengthening all the believers. He's going back through, chatting with all the old churches and encouraging them. Yep. Okay. So meanwhile, the Holy Spirit moves in in a different person. In a different person. Named Apollos. Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well. And this person had arrived at Ephesus. Good thing he left Priscilla and Aquila behind because Priscilla and Aquila. they were there to do it, to help him out. Yeah. They teach him. Yep. Uh, now this is interesting. This Apollos guy is the first one and the only one in the, know in the Bible from the New Testament that comes from Alexandria. The only one that's mentioned from the other, the fifth city in the big five. Oh, does it? Oh, yeah. I didn't even pick up on yes. that. Alexandria in Egypt. He's an Egyptian. Uh, he's no? a Greek, but you got to, yeah, he's a, it says, I've been well a Jew. Sorry, he's a, he's a Jew. He's, he's a Jew. Jew. He's oh, a Jew. a Jew named Apollos, Apollos from yes. Egypt. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, I, th- I suspect Apollos is a Greek name. Yes. Named after the Greek god Apollo. So it's probably his Greek name, but he's a Jew. Yeah. He might have been a very secular Jew. He might have been a very Hellenistic Jew. 
um, probably was a Hellenistic Jew, but he'd come from Alexandria. What do we know of Alexandria? Well, where do we start? What, 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 what do you know of Alexandria? Oh, man, don't ask me to go down there. Um, I've been there. You've been to Alexandria, yeah. yeah. So you've seen <laughs> – there's not much left now, but – no, no, well, it's a very – it's a modern city now. It's a modern now. city now. Yeah. Most of the ruins are under port. there. Yeah, it was yes, a big port. It was a big yep. port at the time. Yep. And there were Jews that did go there. Yep. Well, I'm not sure your context. What, no, do, you, what well, do you want just, me to say? Just, to, just give some context to Alexandria for our listeners. Okay. So, and Paul did not go there. Paul didn't go to Alexandria, no. <laughs> one of the big five, as you've he, said. He's the only one he didn't really get to, yep. So Alexandria, the Great Library of Alexandria was there. So this was uh, regarded as probably one of the, the, the greatest library of the ancient world. And it was destroyed in a fire. Was it? Yep. Okay. Or destroyed. Somehow they, they think it's a fire, but it was destroyed. And they, they, they had a goal to get one of the books of every piece of writing that had ever been written into the Library of Alexandria. So Alexandria was named after, guess who? No. Who? Alexander the Great. He named it after himself. Yes, of course. He, so he established this city yeah. and he had named it after himself when he his Greek empire ruled in Egypt. So it had been a, a, a prominent city for 300 years by this time. Big city. And, and, and it will come, even though it's not mentioned, the reason I'm bringing it up now is it's not mentioned, other than this time, it's not mentioned in the New Testament, I don't think. Um, but this is Queen Cleopatra came from this part of the world. So um, it has a long history prior to the New Testament. And other than Apollos, it disappears from the biblical record, but it will come up very quickly in the New Testament in the first and second century. In fact, um, by the time we get to the second century, Alexandria and Antioch will be the two prominent uh, centers of Christian teaching and thought. Jerusalem is no longer. Alexandria and Antioch are the two big ones by the second century. Well, the temple at Jerusalem is destroyed. Destroyed, that's right. So there's <laughs> yeah. nothing left in Jerusalem. Nothing there. The Jews nope. so all leave. So it's Antioch yeah. and Alexandria will become in the early church. They will be the two big ones. Yeah, all right. Okay. Anyway, just a bit of history there to fill no, it in. No, it's good. Yeah. It's good. But when you asked me, I was like, well, what, what's the context where? of Alexandria? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but it's so, it's, I'm, okay, it's a prominent that's great. city. A prominent this time. city. All yeah. right. So this guy, he comes and he's teaching others um, with Jesus, about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. But he doesn't know everything. No, he's got it all figured out. And Priscilla and Aquila, when they hear him preaching, he's taken it upon himself to go preach. Yeah. They take him in the synagogue again and they explain the way of God even more accurately. So he only knew about John's baptism. He didn't know anything about the Pentecost. And Yeah, it seems like that's what he didn't know. He didn't understand the fullness of the Spirit. He didn't, he didn't understand that aspect. So he had some elementary knowledge, but not. it doesn't exactly say what he did and didn't know. Um, but hey, whatever he was doing, he's doing it wholeheartedly. Yeah, wholeheartedly. And um, what am I going to say? He, oh, I love this. When he arrives there, he proves to be of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. And here we go again. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Yes. So the Holy Spirit has been talking to this guy and then he appears from nowhere. Yep. And there's not much of him, actually. There's not much of him, except you see what he's doing. So he's come from Alexandria out of nowhere. We have no record. There could have been some Christian influence. Maybe some of the other disciples had gone down that way, but we have no record of it. He's come out of there. He's crossed from one side, the south of the Mediterranean, from Egypt to the north. He appears in Ephesus. Meanwhile, Paul's in Jerusalem and he appears in Ephesus. Here's the gospel more adequately. And he goes back to Corinth. The very place Paul had left, Archaea, is Corinth. Oh, 
Oh, is it? So okay. he's gone yep. back to Corinth. It's like yep. it's God's showing how he's got the whole thing figured out. Even though Paul's not there, he Paul's not the, the linchpin that everything rides and falls on. God's still got a bigger plan. Paul's part of that plan, but he's going to use an anonymous Jew from Apollos to do from <laughs> Alexandria to do his work. So it wasn't just Paul who built no. the church. There were no, other there people. There were others. And there may actually be people we don't even read about. There, there probably very likely was. Yeah, and we don't know very we very very know very little about what happened with any of the other apostles. Philip, they think, went to India. Yes, I do. So know you that. know, so we don't know, but they all spread out. They mm. spread out. Mm. So my my question here is: Paul preaching the building of the church here, or is he more focusing on focused on reasoning with the Jews? We sort of talked about We that. sort of have talked about that. Yeah. I think he came to a point where he was realising that reasoning with the Jews was not his primary focus, yes. but building the church was. Yeah, I think we touched on that. And his travel and his meeting people, <coughs> does this really bring about the idea of the church as the mystery? These are just questions that okay. I had. The mystery that Paul, I think, seems to talk about is Christ in you, the hope of glory, he says in Colossians. Paul's message was that the mystery was that the message of the gospel was not for Jews only but for Gentiles and that God was building a new body of believers, Jew and Gentile, together. That was the mystery. So not the mystery is this church. The mystery is the church but a multi-ethnic church. Multi-ethnic church. That was Paul's mystery. Christ in the Gentiles, the hope of glory. That it wasn't, you didn't have to be Jewish to be in God's okay. family. That's the mystery. That oh, was I love hidden. how passionate you got oh, there. I'm passionate about that one because <laughs> that's that's the mystery. And no doubt about it in my mind, Paul, I may be wrong, but in my mind, no doubt about it, that the mystery was that Gentiles were allowed into the house family of God without becoming Jewish. We have a lot of um, spoken word by Paul here, but there's also a lot of I can imagine there's a lot of conversations going on between the Lord and Paul behind the scene that get to these points. Yeah. So have we got the best of it? I hope so. We've got what we need, Jeannie. We've got what we need. The Lord has given us in his word what we need. Yeah. Yeah. I should believe that. I we do. need to trust that and we need <laughs> to go, well, Lord, if it's in there, I need yeah. to know it. And if it's not in there, I don't need to know it. But I can I'm, think about yeah. it, but I don't need to know it. But I read this and I'm like, oh, there's so much yeah. more I would like well, to know. Well, that's what NT writes is we listen to the Paul's letters and we've got one side of a phone conversation. We don't really know what's going on that's the other right. side. We have to piece it together. But that's when it comes to faith and go, well, God's given us the word we need. So we'll trust that. Trust it. All right. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to move on. Okay. We're moving back to 1 Samuel. Yes. One Samuel twenty nine. This is where David, who has been in refuge in the Philistine area, not the Philippine area, not the, <laughs> uh, the Philistine area, he has sought refuge in there. And as being a refugee, he's, it's sort of like he's given allegiance, giving his allegiance to the kings of yep. the land. Yep. And here, these kings of the land and the princes and all the Philistines are rallying to go and fight against Israel mm-hmm. to fight against Saul. Mm-hmm. And David says he's going to go with yes, them. He'll go with him. Akish asked him and he said, okay. Now you can read this chapter as on face value and read it that David is, he, David agrees. But I think that the, it, there would be people who would want to read it and say, no, no, David's still pretending. He's never really going to go yeah. and battle them. But I'm going to read this in, I think we should read it f- for what it says. Which is that he says he'll go with him. Which is that it yes. says he's going to go with yeah. him. Yeah. 
That's what we, uh, you asked me before. What was his motive? I said, oh, we're speculating because it's not going to happen. But I think he's going to go with them. Whether he's going to switch sides, I don't know. But he definitely seems like he's going to go with Akish. Akish. I love how you say that. It makes me hungry for Akish. Akish. <laughs> oh, so they all come together, the Philistine commanders, and they demand what – then they see David and they're like, what? Who are these Hebrews here? And Ashish, Akish vouches for David. He says, this is, this is David, the servant of king of Saul of Israel. That's what he was. But he's been with me for years and I have never found a single fault in him from the day he arrived until today because David's been lying. That's right. He didn't look very hard. No. Because yeah, he'd been killing everybody off but convincing Akish that he was loyal. So Akish is fully convinced that David is going to go and fight for them. But the Philistine commanders, they're like, wait a minute, isn't this the guy that they used to sing that Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands? Uh, no matter what you say about him, he's not going to come and fight with us. Sure. Wisely so. So sadly, Akish is Ashish. <laughs> he's like, but Anytime I you see sp- CH, it'll yeah. be... So it's Ach- like, wouldn't it be more like Achish? Achish. Achish. Okay, I won't yeah. keep doing that. That's how it would be. And he says to David, he's like, I swear by the Lord that you have been a trustworthy ally. Another um, translation says an angel of the Lord that I read. Yes, it does. Yep. I think you should go with me into battle for I've never found a single flaw, but the other Philistine rulers won't hear of it. So don't be upset with me, but go home quietly. And David's like, what? What have I done to deserve this treatment? What have you ever found in me that I can't go and fight the enemies of my Lord, the King? <laughs> my Lord, the King, not my Lord, the God. Yep. So yeah. I think he's re- fully prepared to go and fight David. Uh, sorry, so Saul f- at this point. Fight Saul? Yeah, okay. Well, well here he says he's an angel God. And, and yeah, you've like, been like no, an angel no, of God. You're, per- uh, you're as perfect as an angel of God. Get up on, in the, early in the morning and go back um, as soon as it gets light. This might actually be the same night that Saul is seeking the meeting. I think it is. Yes, I think it. That's the point. Is it's the day before the battle, and this is all happening. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah, it's the same. I think night. the two stories have been played off against each other. And here is David. I think this is at his lowest, most wretched point. Yeah, where he's going to go and fight the battle against his God. It get, uh, yes, against <laughs> the, the people, people, the people of, of God. God. Yeah, let's. Just, if, if you assume that's what he was going to do. Um, then yes, whether or not he'd given up, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to draw the conclusion that he had given up completely on his dream. Um, it's still possible that he was going to switch back, that the, what the Philistines were worried about was going to happen. But, you know, wouldn't he become king? Couldn't he become king of Israel if he went in and conquered them? Could the yeah, could, yeah. might he be thinking this is a way to make this the promises is a way to God make it come about? Come yep, about. Yep. And, and I'll get the Philistines in the process. Yes, it's possible. He's so duplicitous, isn't he, in his relationship yep. with Akish, and I think also duplicitous in his relationship with his people and with yeah. his own faith and with yeah. God. In this I think moment. the thing that comes into mind that questions that for me is that he's. You'll see a little bit later on. He's trying to win favor with the curry favor with the southern. Israelite tribes, his own tribe, the people living in the Negev in the desert. That's a bit later. That's a little bit later. So I think he's still got this thing of currying favour with them. Um, That's definitely in there a little bit. No, not in this chapter. No, not in this chapter. Definitely later on. Yeah, later on maybe. I think we have to read it as he is ready to to go and fight. Israel. Yeah. He may think that this is, he's going to, maybe this is how God is going to make it happen. Yeah, maybe so. Um, because he has seen some successes 
Yep. Which might confirm for him yep. in his mind. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a good I'm call. protected as a refugee. I have been out doing God's will, destroying yep. the Amalekites. And maybe this is the way I'm going to actually get in there, defeat Saul, and then I'll flip sides and take the kingdom back. I don't know. Yeah. 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 And this would be the third This is the sort time. of thing that the Jewish rabbis would speculate about ad nauseum to try and figure out what was going oh, on here. I'd love to hear that so, conversation. Yeah, it would be a fascinating conversation. But it's beyond the context of the scripture to know what was going on inside his heart. But that's a what, you, you, what you're proposing makes sense. This is his natural state, I think, trying to become a spiritual state. Yeah, he's state. trying to take for himself. He's yep. trying to take for himself. Yep, yep, I agree. Yeah. And it's like you say, it's about to be his lowest point. It is his lowest point. Yeah, well, it's going to get low when he heads back to Ziklag and finds in yeah. the next chapter that yes, um, but the, the well, result no. of this being the lowest point is going to be that all his family have scattered and Yes, that's back a, the, the result of that. But I would say yeah. this is his personal lowest point because yeah. in the next chapter, which we'll get to, he's strengthened in the Lord. Yes. Here he doesn't it, seek the Lord. He doesn't. No, there's, there's, no, there's no the Lord. Th- that's been probably the eye-opener to me in this conversation today has been that in this period of time, there's no mention of his relationship with the Lord. That's no. been an eye-opener to me. I've not seen that before, Jeannie, so thank you. That this is a time when he <laughs> seems welcome. to be operating <laughs> seems to be operating in his own strength. Yeah. yeah. Leaning into the natural man. And it's the question is like, how deeply can we fall from God when we lean upon our own hand? Yes. Yep. And yep. but we don't even realize it. We don't even well, we can deceive ourselves into thinking we're still acting for God when we're actually we've convinced ourselves, like you said, we've convinced ourselves that well, this is God's will. We're just doing it our way. We're bringing about God's will rather than trusting that he will bring it about when he's ready. And I would say as well that he's become quite weary in his faith. Yeah, it would seem so, wouldn't he's, it? And these promises. He's been waiting for so long. Yeah. And then he's like, in my weariness, I can do this. I, I think can... scholars saying it's probably like 14 years, I think, from memory. 14 years. 14 years from the time he receives a promise till the time he gets the kingdom. And how long has he been in the wilderness? Should I guess seven? <laughs> seven, yeah. I'm not, no, I don't know. Let me seven see. Seven perfect years. How long from the time oh, David... Oh, You know what? Receives... You know what I love about you, Pastor Rowan? What's that? Is that you just put so much... Um, Belief into chat GTP. You believe everything on the internet. No, I don't. I don't believe anything. No, I don't trust don't chat GTP oh, I will for a veri- second. I will verify anything before I produce it. Oh. But here's what chat GTP is. Like um, if I was going to do this, this, friends, if I was going to do this I'd, before I taught in a sermon, I'd be verifying it. But here's what it says. Unverified. Bi- <laughs> unverified. Okay. The Bible doesn't provide an exact timeline for the uh, time, exact timeline for the years between David's anointing and when he becomes king. However, scholars estimate that it could have been anywhere from several years to roughly a decade. David was anointed by the prophet Samuel while Saul was still king and it took a considerable amount of time marked by various events, including David's service to Saul in time of exile, Saul's eventual death and David ascending to the throne. I would be surprised if that's accurate. I reckon it's more than a decade. But I may be wrong here, but I would suspect... So I'm not going to I'm not going to trust JGPT without further research on that either. I would oh, think good for you. I would yeah. think that it, I, I have a gut feeling it's probably more like 14, 15 years or something. Because my question is, who feeds those ChatGPT? Who's giving the information? Well, that, that? information is coming out of all the other Wikipedia. No, nah, much more than Wikipedia. <laughs> all the all the scholars out there, all basically all the content on the internet. Oh dear, another no. So I, I would verify that one elsewhere. But you may be right. It might be only be a decade because I know it's true. It doesn't doesn't say how long, but I thought it was longer than that. All right. Okay. So I just want to 
It's a long time. Let's just say that. It's a long time. So it's a long time. So how much doubt, this is questions I don't expect any answer, just to think about how much doubt is in his heart. Was he angry? Was he crying out for God to move? Was he not? I I think he's not calling out to God because yeah, it would seem that you don't read that he's calling out to God. So it would appear the scholars, the 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 authors don't want want you to see that he's not. Yes, you're right. And David was called for glorious work to be a king of God's glorious kingdom, but here he is, and how dreadful I think it would have been if he'd actually gone to fight Saul. Yes, yeah. There's no glory in that. No, no, that would have been that would have been a mess. It was probably God's grace that the Philistine commanders. It is God said, rescues him, rescued him. He yeah, said don't him let him go in such a loving way because God, understanding the human heart, I don't think it would have been easy for David to establish his kingdom if he had conquered his kingdom, if he had conquered Israel. I don't think they would have been as willing, not Israel. Uh, sorry, Judah. Judah. No, we're talking about Israel Jude, here. We're talking about Israel. But if he'd have come in as this. If he'd have killed his own blood, it would have been very hard for them to. Um, don't you think, as humans, wouldn't you be somebody out there be like wanting to kill David? No, I think what it would have done is it would have set up what we see later um, in the northern kingdom of Israel, where it's quite common that a military leader would rise up, kill off the king, and become the king themselves. That was that was the, you read the book of First Kings and Second Kings all the way through the northern kingdom, you see that Omri raises up and kills off Zimri and then they become king and then he lasts like a month and then someone else comes along. So I think that, that and historically that would not uncommon, that that basically coups, this, the, all the Caesars, that's how they came to power. Julius Caesar came to power because he kicked out. Um, and this is probably what David is thinking. This is what David's thinking. This is the standard way to become king is through military conquest. So all that stuff, you, your point is all that stuff before where he was going, we're not going to touch the Lord's anointed. It's like he's left that behind now. He's going, well, maybe I have to touch the Lord's anointing. Maybe I'm called to do that. And so, yeah, that's a yeah. valid call. That maybe he was going to try and take the kingdom rather than have the kingdom given to him. And it's the grace of God that he didn't get the opportunity to take the kingdom. That's right, yeah. Because had he done, he may well have come face to face with Jonathan as well. Yes, that would have been hard. Which would have been hard because Jonathan's going to die the next day. Yeah, I know. On the mountain it's right a beside. Sad part of the story. A sad part of the story. I like Jonathan. Yeah. Well, Jonathan just made one mistake. He stuck by his father. He should have stuck by David, I think. Yes. So, um, yeah, so maybe it's the grace of God that all of this worked out the way it well, did. Well, God completely rescues David here. And I love in this, you see God reminding David twice who he is. Well, in the conversation, In I the suppose. conversation, yes. Uh, Saul, remember, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And then they even, at the beginning, they ask the question, isn't he the, the servant of King Saul? Yeah. So he's shown, ah, God shows him. It's like, like the narrative is trying to say, hey, Dave, remember who you really remember are? Remember who you are. Yeah. yeah who great. you are. And also remember. You got all this on your first reading through this? Yes. Very impressive, Jeannie. Very impressive. I've read these stories for 30 years and I've never seen this stuff. This is good. And here, okay, twice David decides he's not going to kill Saul. Yep. Third time, I believe he was going to go kill Saul. He was going to go kill Saul. That makes sense. And God's like, no, No. I'm not going to let you. Yeah, that's right. So by his grace and his mercy, even though- He protects him from himself. Yes. Well, I wonder how many times the Lord's protected me from myself. Too many times to count. (laughs) Probably. Oh, yeah, I know. I can think of a few of myself already. (laughs) Yep. So there is such love and compassion from God here. Yeah, sure. He turns David completely around. The Holy Spirit acts in this moment Mm, and takes him back to his temporary home. Yeah, and it's going to, yeah, we're going to see it in the next chapter that it's going to be that low point that is going to turn him back 
And okay. I like here you, um, in our conversation about sin, when you say see, want, take or desire, see, desire, take, David has seen the promise. Yep. Um, he has desired the promise. Yeah, and he's ready to take it. And now he's ready to take it. Yep. And God's circumvented the whole process and said, I'm going to show my grace towards you and prevent you. Not by might, but by, by uh, the will. It's that song, but not, by the mighty power but, of God, will yeah. you get your throne, David? Yeah, that's right. And David is relying on himself for his kingdom and he yep. needs to go back and learn, no, no, you need to be the spiritual man. Yep. I'm going, what me. I want to do when I get home is to read some commentaries through this lens that you're proposing today and see, because I'm amazed I've never seen this before. So I'm going to read some commentaries and see. I think you could come back and go, go, go Jenny, you're, you're so Jenny, you missed the point. But no, but it, it doesn't mean that. But no, it's it, it's, it's a making perfect sense to me, but I've never seen it this way before. Some of you out there will go, yeah, of course she's she's right. But I, I, I definitely, it makes sense to me, but I've never seen it. Even in all my studies I've done on David, I don't think I remember this. So it may have, I may have read it and just hasn't sunk in, but today it has sunk in. So thank you. You're welcome. Let's quit now. Okay. Ta-da. We're going to go on to Acts, Acts 19. You're in. You're at Acts 19. Acts 19, Paul is at Ephesus and the Holy Spirit is given by the laying hand, laying on of Paul's hands. And again, the Jews did not believe. That's what we're going to read. Okay. I was just <laughs> summing up. That's what we're going to read. That's what we're going to read. Okay. So this is Paul's third missionary journey. Yep. Apollos is at Corinth. Paul travels back through the interior regions, which says, and he goes back to Ephesus on the coast. Yep. So he's now going back to where... He wanted to go at the beginning of his second missionary journey, but got waylaid into Macedonia instead. And here, yeah, and he says to the believers there that he finds, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" And they're like, "No, we haven't. Even, we don't even know that there's a Holy Spirit." And he's like, "What baptism did you experience?" And they say, "The baptism of John." And Paul says, "John's baptism called for repentance of sin, but John himself told the Bible, sorry, told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus." As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. And then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. Paul did not baptize them, but he laid his hands, his hands on, on them, them. the yep. Holy Spirit. Yep. And they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Do you have anything to say about that? I think we talked on that when we did the Holy Spirit podcast back in about May. So uh, several months ago we did the, the special one. We referred to that. This, um, this seems to be Paul, um, you know, making the gospel clearer to them and they get filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues and prophesy and do miracles. So this was the birth of the of Paul's ministry work in Ephesus. Remember he came through in the last chapter and then left and come back mm-hmm. again? Yep. So he begins his process with these 12 men in all, um, but he's, he gets them filled with the Holy Spirit. And it seems that the the faith or the way is spreading because these people, he, he just finds these believers. Yes, that's right. And well, they remember, know part of the story. Well, just don't forget that while Paul's been over Apollos. in Jerusalem, yep. Apollos has been here and Priscilla and Aquila have been here too, right? They stayed here. Yep. So isn't that right? Priscilla and Aquila stayed in Ephesus. They went to Ephesus with Paul and yes, stayed there, they're didn't still they? In, yes. Yes. And yep. then Apollos comes to Ephesus. Then Apollos goes to, to Corinth, to Archaea. Yeah. So Priscilla and Aquila have still been at work in Ephesus as well. So yes, it's growing even without Paul there. Oh, you know what I meant to say in the last chapter? What's that? When it says, in the last chapter of Acts, when it, it says um, Priscilla and Aquila, they teach Apollos. Yes. 
Okay, that implies that because Priscilla, her, fame, her name is, her name first. is first, yes. that means she does the leading. Yes, She's correct. the lead teacher. Yep. But you know what? In my New King James Version and other versions, they've switched the names around. They haven't, have they? They have. I did not know that. Yes, they put um, I learned in Bible college and that Pris- Priscilla. I learned in Bible college that um, with the exception of the very first time they meet, which we read, uh, with the exception of the very first time where where Paul meets Aquila and then with his wife Priscilla every other time. Aquila, Aquila. Aquila, Aquila, whatever. Yeah. Um, every other time Priscilla is mentioned first. So I'm surprised that they changed around. I didn't know they that. They did. Right. Which leads me to think, and that's another conversation that I want to have, is when people create the translations. They bring is bias. There, yeah. Is there are. a bias and agenda? Yes. And I know that the King James Version particularly was written with a bias of um, confirming and affirming that uh, kings have a special power on yeah. the earth. So it's just interesting that, so that they come switched out. that. So the King patriarchal. James the First of England did that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, they, um, so I was talking to someone in our church yesterday about this. Um, we all have a bias. Anytime we read anything, write anything, translate anything, we have a bias. Good Bibles will tell you what those biases are at the beginning. So if you read the beginning of your translation, they'll tell you these are the biases, these are the values that we stick by. Uh, the problem is we don't know what we don't know. We don't see our blind spots. So, yeah, there's lots of that sort of thing. So that's a new one to me. But no doubt about it, Priscilla is the mentioned first. Okay. Yep. All right. So glad you said that. Anyway, yep. so in this chapter we really see the Holy Spirit, the workings of the Holy Spirit. We see some strange miracles going on. And so when Paul lays his hands on them, uh, they receive the Holy Spirit. So do you, should baptism of – and they speak in – Speaking tongues and prophesy, tongues, yep. Yeah, should baptism of the Spirit look like this for everyone? Um, we should go back to our previous conversation on that. Uh, Which conversation? We have a lot. Our, no, our, our panel that we did panel. on the Holy All Spirit right. panel where you quizzed Jeff, Amanda, and myself on that. Um, I'd like to do that again. I have further questions. Further questions. Your Honour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I – don't think we should form up patterns. I think this is descriptive, not prescriptive. You can't put the Holy Spirit in a box and say, if you do this, this will happen. I think this is an explanation of what happened in this case and pieced together with other things. Supernatural things do happen when they lay hands on people. Something transa- transacts and takes place that's obvious. In this case, it was tongues and prophecy. So something supernatural happens. Um, but to say that if you do this, this will be the result is probably a bit too uh, structured and formulaic for my liking these days. Okay. And you yeah, No, that's so? fine. Yeah. Uh, and I have questions around baptism, but I think we're running out of time to get into them. Like, where did it start? Why is it John's baptism? Why is it Paul's oh, baptism? Okay. There's all of these things that um, I would... Yeah, we oversimplify baptism. Maybe let's we need to talk, leave that for... Let's leave baptism for a separate conversation because we do we do oversimplify baptism. Yeah, so yep. just put a pause on that. Uh, yep. And I have many, many questions about on baptism. water baptism you're talking about. Water baptism? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, sure. Yes. All right. Okay, great. I can't we'll wait to get time. stuck into that. Okay. Oh, good. Phew. I was so excited. <laughs> yeah, no, we won't go there today. <laughs> All right. So Paul is back again in the synagogue here and he's preaching boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively That's this time. That's not bad. He got three months in the synagogue yeah. in Ephesus. Yes. Yep. yep. He's bit persuasive, but some become, set, some become stubborn, rejecting. And, and here's this mention of they reject the way. The way. way. Yep. This is the first time we see this I think word. this is the first time the it's way. used. The way. Yep. So if it's going to be called the way here, should I assume it's the the way, the cause, the faith is is gaining some notoriety? Yes. It's gaining it seems followers, to be getting its own terminology. It's gaining steam. Yep. Uh, it's in the conscious, 
consciousness of people, yes. collective thought, there's conversations. All right. Yep, definitely. And he left the synagogue, but he takes the believers with him. Yep. And then there's daily discussions at yep. the lecture hall. Of Tyrannus, yep. So where he wanted to have the discussions in Athens, he's having them here in yep. Ephesus. Yep. Ah, and it, for two years. Yep, he stays for two years. And this is the weird, strange part. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed. Mm-hmm. Sorry, what? Wait? What? 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 Wait, Wait, what? what? Strange, do you? <laughs> it's really strange. This is the heart. This is Ephesus. This is the heart of occultic practice. Ah. This is the heart of, of Greek, Greek occult right here in Ephesus. So they're trying to explain that Paul too, not... Paul comes Paul, into this place and the Holy Spirit does supernatural things that are exactly opposite of what Ephesus is known for. And what's Ephesus known for? The One of the great seven wonders of the ancient world, which is nothing nothing left of it, the great temple <laughs> to Artemis, Artemis the Greek goddess. Um, there's nothing left of it. Uh, but it was known for that. It was no, People would travel from all over the empire to come here to have people place curses on people they wanted cursed. It was, we're going to see that there's a great revival Don't here. Do you mean Demetrius? No, 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 sorry. Not, oh, yeah, Artemis, sorry. Artemis. Yeah, that's Artemis the, is the Greek goddess. Yeah, okay, that's going to come right, up in a That's going to come up in a minute. Yeah. So this, Ephesus is a heart of occult. People people come in for curses. It was all kinds of uh, dark religious practices take place in Ephesus. And it's not, so it's a little wonder. People would be cursing one another for sicknesses. And along comes Paul and his miracles are actually doing the opposite, reversing curses, healing sick people. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the point that is being made here. So it's like the supernatural is, this is a clash of the darkness and light. And Paul is so, Paul's work here is so significant that it's pushing back the powers of darkness. Uh, that's so good that you say that and um, illuminate me on that because here in this next verse 13, they tried to use the name of the Lord in their incantation. So then there's other people that try to get yeah. Paul's power to do what he's to doing. To do what they're doing. These yeah. are Jews, Jews going doing around. That. Yeah. All right. And they try to do it, you know, trying to cast out demons. Seven sons of a Jewish leading priest try to do this. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches about. And the demon jumps on them and says, we know about Jesus and we know about Paul, but who do, th- who do you think you are? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so if we go continuing on this natural man, spiritual man, if this is indeed true that Paul just by his touch or whatever, these miracles being performed, should I then think that this is Paul in the height of his spiritual self? Uh, yes, I think you should deeply think Deeply connected this to is, God. Yep. Deeply connected to the Holy Spirit. Yep. And this is what is the outpouring of that. Yep. So when he left Athens, he did it in his own strength. He goes to Corinth and he does it in weakness and trembling. He obviously did some some supernatural stuff, although it's not recorded there because he said, I came with this demonstration of the Spirit's power. He gets to... He gets to um, Ephesus later on when he gets finally gets back to Ephesus, the next big city, sometimes past, but here he is in his highlight moment. And he doesn't have to do anything. No, no, he's doesn't have to no, preach, teach. He's just he's just <laughs> he doing, touch his yeah. hanky. But all's not well. <laughs> it looks so good at the moment, but it's oh about no. to come crashing down pretty quickly. When other people's hankies are touching, other people's skins. hankies are touching his skin. Yeah, <laughs> that is such a funny word, hanky. Yeah, hankies. Oh, yeah, no. but look, this this practice. I walked. You walk into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in in Jerusalem. This is 
you get Orthodox and Catholics, they, they find the stone, the traditional stone of the where Jesus is supposed to have been laid out. It's right in front of the front door when you walk in and you'll see a lot of Orthodox Catholic people putting handkerchiefs on the on the stone and then oh. taking it away and praying for their loved ones all over the world. So this is a very common practice that comes from this. You know what? I apparently stood in front of King David's tomb. Have you done that? King David's, David's tomb. It's meant to be his coffin. Did you do yes, it? Yes, I've been there. Yeah, okay, in, in I this, don't remember anybody the, touching his, his, his coffin with hankies. Yeah, yeah. We, well, the thing is, it's not. It's not. It's only Jesus. <laughs> but this isn't that. By the way, that King David's tomb isn't. David's of course, tomb. of course, it's, it's not. not. No, but I'm making the point that. He was the natural man. Natural no one's man. reaching, no out. One's reaching I, out and I, touching I t- him. I did t- touch that. I was like, I don't believe this is yeah. it. But I'm still- Well, for a long time they thought it was. They thought that was the traditional site, but they now know it couldn't be there. It has to be further over. Okay. Um, yes, but they, for a long, long time they believed that was David's tomb. All right. In the synagogue. <laughs> okay. Yep. We've been talking for a while. I'm starting to get yeah, loopy, it's starting I to get think. crazy. That's all right. Okay. So here, on. yes, as you said before, um, I, uh, these people, they try to cast out the demon and they're like, I know Jesus, but I don't know you. Who yes. I know Jesus and I know Paul. Imagine being in the same sentence as that. Yeah, that's I right. Know I Jesus know Jesus and, and I, know I know Paul about. Yeah, imagine no. that. Yeah, I know Rowan. No, I don't think any demons ever. I have actually heard Pastor Ken Chance say many years ago, he's a Bible college lecturer in the early days, and he said he was going to pray for someone and uh, he didn't know, but he was showing up to pray for a, a young girl and, and uh, who was – obviously demon possessed and Ken wasn't big on all this sort of stuff, but he said this girl was screaming out saying, Ken Chance coming to get me. Don't let him near me. Ken Chance coming to get me. Don't let him near me. So he was just going, he had been asked by the family to come and pray. And somehow or other this demon knew that Ken was coming to pray him out. This is just like the story we heard it's before. Just like that. They've cut, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember That's that from Pastor Ken Chant from probably 30 years ago. He told that story and it stuck with me. That's creepy. But you know, sometimes I hear a negative story, this demon attacks someone, but that story spreads through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike, right? Yeah. So, and a yep. solemn fear descended on the yes. city and the name of the Lord Jesus was it's greatly honoured. Yeah, that's right. Now, what's that song? What the devil meant to harm me, the Lord, Lord turns for good. Something. Yeah, you turn it around. It's based turn on it jo- it's based yes. on Joseph's okay. words. Yeah, he'll turn it around. Yep. All right, and then many who became believers confessed their sinful practices, um, and this is a shift in the sorcery, which you're talking yes, which about. Yes, which is what I'm talking they, about. All these they turn books. around. Yep. Yeah, they burn the book. Yep. Burn the books. Million dollars here. It says. Yep. So you can see why I'm saying this is a significant revival. This town is known for its black arts, dark arts, is being turned through a revival. <sighs> so in this revival, we have. Paul has come. There seems to be willing hearts. There's changes, and then yep. there's this out. There's the spiritual man deeply connect, connected to God. There's healings and strange yes. miracles go on, and then there's this the revival. Yes, the change. Yes, and then what? It's Paul. about it's about to turn into major persecution. Oh yeah, the riot. The riot. Yeah, okay, and then <laughs> yes. there is yes. yes. But this is almost when I read before what happened. Oh, no, don't worry about that. Forget about that. Uh, okay. So the message about the Lord spreads widely, widely and had a powerful effect. And then uh, Paul's like, I must go to Rome. Yep. To go, the Gentiles. Yep. After Paul felt compelled to go to Macedonia and Archaea before going to Jerusalem, then I must go to Rome. Then I must yes. go to Rome. Okay. And about this time, the same time, serious trouble develops in Ephesus concerning the way. And it begins with um, selling items about this the Greek goddess Greek Artemis, goddess Artemis. Yep. Yeah, which you discussed yep. before. 
And so a lot of people made their money off selling these items, which were also believed believed to be gods. And yes, they were little idols. Yeah, little idols, little, little and little they had spiritual powers, and they could make yep. their houses, uh, little bless their houses that's and right. stuff. Yep. Okay, and well, you look like you're going to nope. say something. No, nope, not going to say anything. Okay. Keep going. So uh, people, is they call along someone. <laughs> You know that our wealth um, comes from this business, but have you seen and heard this man? Paul has persuaded many people that they aren't gods at all, and he's done this not only here in Ephesus but throughout the entire province. Sounds like a good idea for Paul to get out of there Yeah, at this yeah, point. it does. But he's um, too late. He's not going to get out of there. Yeah, and they're concerned that Ephesus is known for the goddess Art- Artemis, that it would lose its influence in the world, and this magnificent goddess worship throughout the province um, will be robbed of her great prestige. Yep. And anger boils. Great as Artemis of the Ephesians. It's amazing what a good whipping up of the crowd can do. Yeah, you're going to see it in a minute because most of them don't even know why they're there. No. There's a whole city. They have this big riot. They rush to the amphitheater. And this amphitheater is still there. This is still there, this amphitheater in Ephesus. You can go there. Oh, it's massive. Wow. Yep, you can still go there, that very theatre. And Paul, yes, so there's all going in. And Paul wants to go in. Yeah, he wants to go and speak to (laughs) them. He wants to go in and speak to them. (laughs) And and then wisely they um, tell Paul not to go. They beg him not to go. And they're all shouting. They're, and they don't even know what they're shouting for. No. There's just confusion. They're yep. just like a mob just enjoying being a mob. Exactly. Yep. Loving just the moment. Just for a couple of hours, just hyped up now. Hyped up. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They keep crying out. Look at this, this natural man here. We don't even know what we're doing sometimes. Yeah, we're, we're just, just like just going along, along for the, the ride. Yep. Yeah. Enjoying the moment. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> Who can we lynch? Yeah. Which is probably what it was. It was like a lynch mob. Yeah, and uh, here um, we, everyone, they, uh, the mayor comes along. Yeah, he's, he's like, everyone knows Ephesus is the official guardian, guardian of the place. But since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything. You've brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken out against our goddesses, goddess. So... In all of the conversations and all of the preaching that goes on, it seems that they have not disrespected the major beliefs Correct. of the area. That should tell you something right there. He tell found me what? A, yeah. the way he the way he preached was to honour Jesus without being deliberately antagonistic against the other gods they worshipped. He's looking for points of commonality. He's looking for points where he can see Christ. Christ's power in their lives, bringing healing and all that sort of stuff. He didn't make the main focus of his teaching preaching against something. He made the main focus of his preaching what it was for because the mayor stands up and says, hey, this guy hasn't gone around bad-mouthing Artemis. He hasn't spent all his time bad-mouthing the foreign gods. So Paul has made his focus what he's for, not what he's against. And he's also had that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So yeah. Paul was preaching, but the Holy Spirit is healing. Yes, that's right. They're working together. He's, yes, he's right. The, the, it says at the end of the book of Luke, uh, the book of Luke, that you know the holy the disciples went out and the Holy Spirit confirmed through works that they did through miracles the, the preaching. So this is what's happening here. It's the Spirit working in conjunction with Paul's preaching. Paul is preaching the power of Christ, Him crucified. That's bringing people. He's not going around bad. Even in Athens, even when we had that failed sermon in Athens, he didn't go around bad-mouthing all their foreign gods. He's still trying to point them to Jesus even there. We can just mention Jesus, but point them to, to God. I think that's. I think some Christians could learn from that today, to be honest. I think a few of us spend too much time preaching about what we're against rather than what we're for. Yeah, and see here the spiritual man person is gentle Yep. and healer. 
yep. and encourager yep. and quiet, mm-hmm. whereas this natural man gets whipped into a frenzy, yeah, ready right. to draw blood, Dr- yep. Yep, send them to, to prison, to yep. lynch, to kill, and all of that. Look at the contradiction. Yes. Look at the, the difference. The difference between the two. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's right. So he's going to get out of there by the skin of his teeth. And uh, I know we've had this conversation before. N.T. Wright is going to say that between this chapter and the next chapter, when Paul goes to Athens, goes to Macedonia and Greece, N.T. Wright is going to say that this here, um, he's going to believe that following on from this riot, Paul, even though it's not mentioned here, he's built, he's going to build an argument to say this is where Paul spent time in prison. He was imprisoned as a result of this riot. Doesn't really? say it. Yeah. And that from it's from here that he wrote, all the prison letters from being in prison in Ephesus, not prison in Rome. It's right at this oh, point yes, between chapter 19 that. and chapter 20 that N.T. Wright builds, which is, in my opinion, is a, at first glance you think, well, it doesn't say that, but he addresses why it doesn't say that, and he builds a very convincing argument. In my mind, it's more convincing than Paul preaching it in Rome. That he oh. pre- Between chapter 19 and Acts chapter 20, Paul is imprisoned here and uh, has a very dark time. You can make that argument based on verse 39, and if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in legal yep, assembly. you could. Yeah, that's a good so, point. Which sounds like he could, he could take Paul, He could Paul, still be in legal prison. Legal, yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. I love how they're afraid of the Romans as well. Yeah, that's right. They're going to get charged with writing. Yep, yep. that's right. Some no cause through. for this commotion. Yep. Oh, there's, um, there's a lot of stuff in this. There's a lot of stuff in it. So revival's great until challenges come. Mm. So, yeah, it doesn't mean that just because you're working in the will, the will of God that everything's always rosy. Big heights of faith and then Challenging times. And what N.T. Wright will say is that Paul will go into prison and it, he, he he has this highlight moment, like this Elijah moment on Mount Carmel and, you know, defeat, this is like his defeat the prophets of Baal moment. I mean, he's people are burning books, for goodness sake. I mean, it's revival. Paul's thinking he made it. Made it, yeah. And he ends up in prison. And not only does he end up in prison in Ephesus, but he gets reports from Corinth about how things messed up, things are over there as well. And it sends him into a dark time. And later on, he'll talk about, uh, he'll write to, uh, in 2 Corinthians, and he'll talk about how I despaired even of life. Just going to say that. I can see from all of this why he would write, why he would be despaired of life. Yes. Like hitting his head. Like what have, yeah, what have I done? What's gone yeah. wrong here? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so... Very quickly, we can have these spiritual highs and then our own doubts just creep in, don't they? Yeah. Our and you were talking worries. about that earlier on in this episode when you were talking about Elisha and Ahab and all that sort of stuff. You were, no, I was trying to go trying there. You were trying to remember what it was. Yes. You couldn't remember, but you in a break, you mentioned it. That what it was was this whole thing of coming from a high to a low. Yes, Elijah, yes. And yes. he goes running off into the desert and yep. he's like, Lord, kill me now. I yep. don't want to have anything to do with them. He had this huge moment where yep. he had – was a. The, he defeated the prophets of Baal. Defeated the prophets, seeing God Carmel. walk, and then he's doubting and fear. Yeah. And the next day, Jezebel's saying, "That's it. He's dead, and he's running that's away." Right. Yes, yep. that's right. And that's what we think Paul went through here. He goes from a high moment to a low moment. I knew there was a reason. There was why a reason I why it happened. At that. Here it comes out today in Acts nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So don't give up. <laughs> don't give up. No, don't, <laughs> don't give up. And don't, and look, after you've had a spiritual high, just from a psychological perspective too, be aware that at the, the times when you've had a spiritual high, you've seen a breakthrough, it's very often, not always the devil attacking, it can be, but sometimes it can just be emotion and physiology in your body, but be aware that you can actually come off that and feel quite flat for a day or so. And you've got to give yourself grace for that. You know, Charles Spurgeon used to say, uh, I think it was Spurgeon, he'd feel quite down and flat after he'd preached all day Sunday. So that's not 
think more than down and flat. I think he's probably quite despairing of life at times. So yeah, I've heard a few pastors yeah, say that. Yeah. So yeah. Monday every, morning. Mon- like, yeah. Most pastors want to resign on Monday morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I come to work Monday. So I don't have to think about resigning. <laughs> I'll have a Tuesday <laughs> off. But yeah, so that's a, quite a common thing. So um, that's what we see probably happen here as well. So be kind to yourself after a high time. Be aware that you might have a bit of a low time. That's okay. Yeah. It just makes me think that when you have those highs, those spiritual highs, and that's a sort of a funny way to say it, yeah. but I mean um, like a high where you feel like you're connected with God and you've seen him move and you've seen miracles and things, but then the physical natural body gives way. That's what you're saying. Yes. To some degree that may be the case. Yeah. And when your physical body gives way and that moment is over, you just start to c- crumble yeah. in your mind. Yeah, and I don't know how much of it's psychological, spiritual, physiological. I just needed to put that in my own yes, words to really yeah. grasp what you were saying there. Yep, I think that, just be aware of it anyway. Yep. And also, look, it's in the Bible. It's there multiple in the Bible multiple times. times. Yes, multiple that's right. Times. Yep. And we're going to see it. We go back to David now. We're Let's see, go back to David. We're going to see Good it there Dave. for him too. Let's go there. All right. Home stretch. Two to go. Two to go. All right, here we go. Two to go. My natural man right now is like, can we just give this up? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, we can hang in there. We can keep going. All right, 1 Samuel 30. Here we have David's conflict with the Amalekites. Um, Basically, so when David is off pledging allegiance and going to uh, join up and fight fight with the Philistines Philistines against against Israel, uh, his home. Yep. Ziklag is raided yep. by the Amalekites and they take the women and children. Yep. Right? And this chapter is David chases them down. Yep. Yep. Uh, this, yeah, and this is David's renewal. Yeah. Yes. It's renewal. So yep. taking advantage of them being away when the with the Philistines, the Amalekites invade and they burn the place down. So David's Supposed new home, possibly where he thinks he might start his kingdom, is yep. actually burned yeah, good point. to the ground. Yep. It is gone. Ziklag is And his family, burned. his children, all so, his men's family and children are all gone. And it actually takes three days later, three days later when it's happened, David and his men arrive at their town of Ziklag and they find that um, it has been raided, burned to the ground. They carry off the men, the women and children, but they don't kill anyone. And when David and his men saw the ruins and they realised what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's wives were taken. And in verse 6 we read that David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk of stoning him. Stoning him. So here's this guy. He's been with them for – that. they've been with him for years. Yep. And they get to this point where they feel they've been wanderers as well yep. and they've got this home, they've established families and um, now they're going to – they want to stone David because David agreed to go fight the Philistines Yep. and uh, they're blaming David for this moment. Yes. And this is where – this is the worst moment for him. This is it. He's I mean, had yeah. this wretched moment where he has agreed to fight against his people yep. And he comes back and everything is taken from yep. him. But what does he do? He strengthens himself in the Lord his God. Finally. Finally. 
What did it, it take? It took him to, to lose everything here. to get to that point. He lost everything and he strengthens yep. himself in the Lord. He calls in Abithi, Abathia, Abiathar, the, priest, the priest, Yep, and he seeks guidance. And this is the first time that we read that he actually seeks guidance in many chapters. Yeah, so this is a long time between drinks for him seeking guidance. That's really good, good revelation there, Jeannie. Yep. <laughs> so bring the bring me the effort. effort. Abiathar's probably going. Finally, finally. <laughs> and David asked the Lord. He asks the Lord a question: Should I chase after the band of raiders? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I did not read. Should I leave and go to the Philistines? Should I yes. chase down Saul? Should yes. I do this? Should I do that? Yep. This is the first time. This is the time where he's laying all that aside and going. Suddenly, my family's the most important thing. But he knows enough about God. It's not just his family. It's that they want to stone him. They want him. to stone him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's, he's, it's just him left. There's no one else around. No one's on his side anymore. It's no just one. him and God now. So he's got nothing he can trust in. No people, no kingdom, no. him and God yep, alone. That's right. It's like, uh, it's like Jacob when he sends everyone across the river and then he wrestles with God on his own. It's that, that moment of just, it's just me and God now. It is a shame that the natural man has to come to his knees. Yeah. It really is because there's a lot of loss before yeah. the natural man finally says, well, I better connect with my spiritual but self, seek my God. I think these things are God. written so that we can hopefully avoid Yes, of going. course. I mean, yeah. there'll be, I think there will always be something because of human nature where we'll have to go to this point. But the idea is that we would recognize this before we get to this point. We would listen to the wisdom and counsel of others, have people in our world who can see when our natural man is ruling and, and try and say, hey, come on, get back on track. Yeah, well, we should read this and go, whoa, 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 whoa I'm not going to get to that point. I don't point. want to get to that point. That's I'm what gonna, we should read it as. I'm going to ask a question to the Lord long before. Long before I get to this point. Yes, that's <laughs> one, right. One would hope. Where am I going astray here, Lord? But it's not like David has forgotten who God really is. He Because he asks a direct question. He knows enough about God yeah. to expect a direct answer. Yep. And the Lord answers him. Yep. Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So they go out and they um, set out to chase these guys down, but then 200 of them become exhausted. So David leaves them at this yep. brook. But along the way they find an Egyptian man in a field and they bring him to David and they feed him, give him some water and stuff. And then David and then this Egyptian guy says that he was the slave of an Amalekite and he basically tells David. Tells him where to go. Where yep, to go. Where to find them. And they then go and chase him, chase them down, right? Yep. Before, Dave, before this, um, the man asks David not to kill him. I w if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me, I then I will you guide down. you. I yep. will lead you down. So he led them and they found the Amalekites. And here we have God bringing about the destruction of the Amalekites. It would seem so, wouldn't it? Finally. <laughs> finally. Yeah, that they're finally being judged. Where David tried to, and, you know, he yep. chipped away at them. Yep. So, it sounds so terrible. Chipped away, took a few, yeah. but here in, so God has used David's meandering and wandering to finally bring about his yep. purpose. And by destroying the Amalekites, he answers the problem of Saul. Yeah. On the very day that Saul is going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not three days later, actually. So no, it's not. It's after Saul is already dead. But, but yeah, he's finishing off what Saul failed to do. Yep. Yeah. At the same day as as David returns is what you're saying. Returns to God. Yeah. Yep. That's good. He goes and does it, and by God's power, <coughs> he does everything. Um, he 
gets back everything. The Amalekites are taken. He gets his wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, um, nor anything else had been taken. He brings everything back. He recovers all the flocks and herds and everything and blah, blah, blah. And they're really excited about all this. Yeah. All right. So they, where they wanted to stone him. Now he's their best mate. Now in the power of God connected to the spiritual self, he is their great warrior conqueror who Good. brings everything, everything back, back yep. to Good. them. I like it, Jeannie. You like it? Yep. Well, I'm going to give you something more here. Yeah, can I, tell me more. <laughs> and so I've been thinking a lot about how Jesus is meant to be – Jesus. there are similarities between Jesus and David. Yes, yep, definitely. Right? And we have not seen anything – from David. Not in up. some time that's been Jesus related. Yep. Yeah. Until this point when he meets the Egyptian man. Yep. Can you see where I'm going? Not yet. <laughs> Just, Other than the fact he shows him compassion. He showed, yeah. Is that what you mean? Yes. I think this is the first time that we see David as a representative of Christ. Right. Because he gives grace to the Egyptian. Yes. And it, it is like a, it's a picture of love because mm-hmm. this man is lost in the desert. He's lost and he's dying, but Jesus comes to save the lost and the yep. dying. Yep. And even though this guy was an enemy of David, he was an Egyptian. He was an is, Egyptian, yep, who uh, Israel's sworn enemy, yeah. yep. Uh, but um, he's brought and he's brought to David's feet and David has a compassion on him mm-hmm. and he, he feeds him bread, water, figs and raisins, mm-hmm. which if you read later on you can see that in – I think in the epistles, um, did I say epistles right? Yeah. I'm losing my mind. Life, strength, health, and joy from bread, water, figs, and raisins. In the epistles, the New Testament letters. Yeah. Not sure where the sim- where the joy and raisins thing comes from. Wine. <laughs> and joy. Wine is joy. Wine, yeah. Bread, bread life, bread, water. Bread, life. And yeah. bread of life, the water is the strength. Yep. Wine would be it would be synonymous with joy in the Israelite thinking. I don't know about the New Testament epistles, but definitely probably is there somewhere. But yes, well, they were Jewish. They were they Jewish. Were That's correct. These yes, things. yes. Yeah, and the, and just and the, the raisins was what do you say? Uh, joy. Joy. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I've not thought about. It. I have to th- th- dig into it more. Well, I'm more thinking about whether or not it's the first time David is typing Christ or Well, in not. these chapters. In these, in these chapters, chapters yes. that we've gone yeah. through. Yes, yes, certainly. certainly not, it's first time in a long back. time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's probably stuff back when he was yes. still serving Saul yeah. and Goliath and all that. But, yes, this for some time, this is the first time he's imaging Christ. Yes, he's typing Christ in, in the way he lives and conducts himself. Yeah, he's showing compassion. Yeah, it's good. He's showing compassion. And, and it's almost like he gets himself back on track here, which is where you were talking about, because this is where he starts to send gifts. So yep. he's now going yep. to go – Okay, that my way wasn't going to work. Maybe this is time for me to try God's way. And yep. he's going to offer gifts to these towns. Well, we've seen him taking. We've seen him yes. taking and stealing yes. and lying and And trying deceiving. to get the kingdom that way. Now he's going to do it through gift giving, through giving and being yep. generous. And he gives salvation to this Egyptian yes. guy and new life yep. and freedom. Uh, he has He's freedom from his old master and this Egyptian comes to work in the house yep. of David and receives glory. Yes. The great does. victory yeah. that David has. Yeah. And so you can see that David gives those things to this guy and Christ gives the exact same things to us. Yep. Yes, this yep. is a good analogy. Yep. The difference is now David has turned a corner. He has put back on his new man, his spiritual man. Spiritual, and what does it say what a spiritual man should be? 
A giver. Yes. Yeah. A giver of new life. Yep. Freedom. All the things we were saying about Paul before when he was in jail in Philippi and he operating out of his spiritual man didn't didn't take. He didn't take what he was he gave freely for others. And that's what David seems to be doing here. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And not only that, there's this all the people that we said before that the ones that stayed behind and didn't fight. There were two hundred of those, and the rest go yes. to war. And then there's this argument between them. The other six, the other four hundred go. Well, how come we, they get their their stuff? Yeah. And they get the spoils. And so they don't want, look at their natural man. Yeah, here. their natural They're man's keeping operating. the spoils. But David goes, no, 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 no. no. I am changed at this point. Yeah. I've been connected yep. to God. Those two hundred looked after the spoils. They get the same spoils. They that, get the same. same. And then he writes this into his becomes. Part of statue, Jew- yeah, exactly. Statue, becomes part of Jew- Jewish law, yeah. Yeah, yep, that's right. So yeah. where you don't, res- where you, uh, this is the mercy of Christ. You don't, res- you don't deserve his yes. um, gifts. He yep. is still going to give you. He's still going to give. This is almost like David's a little bit like uh, Jesus saying the one, the parable of the one who's worked for an hour gets the same as everybody else. He's going, no, no, the people who stayed behind and looked, they were tired, they were hungry, but they. They still did something. They looked after the supplies that we had, the few supplies we had. They are worthy of this. We're all part of a team. We're part yeah. of a community. And then he goes further. The very people that he was probably going to fight if he went to fight yep. and God has rescued him from that fighting, yep. turned his heart around. He's back in the spiritual yep. self. He then goes and gifts them bunches of the spoils. Yep. So natural man takes, spiritual man gives, gives above and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And he wins the hearts of all of these yeah. These southern diff- tribes. Yeah, he won cities. their hearts by giving. Yep. But he was, before this, he was he trying, trying to, to win take... their <laughs> allegiance by conquering yes, them. Yes, exactly. He was going to try and get their allegiance purely through conquering them. Look at the grace here yeah. versus the it's warrior. <laughs> That's a oh, turning point. I'm glad that you've brought this up because this is a really good character study on took a long time for David to... It's taking a long time to get through get this to, too. <laughs> to David to get back to where he was. That's really good. Well, the next chapter we're not going to do, but the next chapter is King Saul's death. So we're not going to do that in this study. Yeah. And then he realized, I think David realizes he needs to wait. Yep. And he, he waits another, he gets, he gets he the knows. kingdom of, he gets the kingdom of uh, Judah. But he has to wait another Israel. seven years to get the whole kingdom. Yeah. Yep. It's a slow burn into his kingdom. Yes, at it this is. Point yep. Because... There's so many things that God wants him to teach, wants to teach him along the yeah. way. It's so many tests, yep. and David fails many tests. But once David is connected to that spiritual, his spiritual self in connection with God, it, it flies. Yes, finally, it's like God says, "Okay, you've done your dash. You've exhausted everything. Now let me have a go. Yeah, <laughs> let me show you what I can do. Yeah, yeah. And totally. God changes his heart because yeah. I think when he was in the wilderness, when he was questioning and doubting. He couldn't give anything. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. He was he was taking, building yeah, his own Yeah, he was land. trying to build his own empire. And here he is, a changed man. Amen. A representative of Christ. That's excellent. Well, that's the end of David. We're going to go back to Acts for one more? Yeah. All right, Bye-bye, David. I'll miss you. See you in a couple <laughs> of weeks. Twenty journeys in Greece. Yes, journeys in Greece <laughs> and Macedonia. And Macedonia. Paul does go to Macedonia. Not um, to be confused with modern day Macedonia. What's the difference? Modern day Macedonia is a country north of this Macedonia. This Macedonia is the province of Macedonia, which is, happens to be part of modern Greece today. 
So ancient Greece was down south of the Greek peninsula. Ancient Macedonia was what is just northern Greece today. So we've talked about Macedonia in this podcast. Yes. Why are you only mentioning that now? Oh, sorry. I just <laughs> just occurred to me. Yeah. So, yes, Thessalonica yeah. and uh, Berea and all those towns in the north, they were all in Macedonia, but it's actually part of Greece. Alexander the Great was from Macedonia. He was His father was Philip of Macedon, and he united all the Greeks. But modern day, if you look at a map today, modern day Macedonia is further north. It's actually up in the Baltics, um, further okay. north of this area. So yeah, you just got to know that Ma- ancient Macedonia is not the same as today's Macedonia. It's all Greece today. It's all Greece. It's all Greek to me. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, he celebrates the Lord's Supper and he preaches and we have this guy raised to life and Paul's charge to the elders in Ephesus and then he basically gives his goodbye testimony. Yes. That's what happens in, that's this, what happens chapter. in this chapter. Yep. That's the chapter in a quick run yep. through. Right, that's it. We're done there. <laughs> so f- from 1 Corinthians 16, 8, we actually learn that Paul departs after Pentecost. Yes. Okay. Yep. And so let's assume that the Holy Spirit would be more outpouring there, which we know, which we just read that the outpouring had happened, but he waited for Pentecost for some reason. So then he goes to Greece for three months and the Jews plot against him. Surprise, surprise. Uh, so he goes back to Macedonia. <laughs> and uh, this is about this time where he writes two Corinthians I've written here. Do you agree yeah, with that? Yeah, he's around that time, yes. And possibly Romans. Um, yeah, I can't remember where Romans fit. I'm going off the NT right timeline. I can't remember where Romans fits into the equation. Um, Second Corinthians seems to be during this time, definitely. Okay. Yeah. All right, and people are joining the cause. They're coming, yep. joining the way. Yes. I wish we'd still had it. The way. The way. <laughs> churches call themselves the way. Yeah. I love it in The Chosen. They say the way. The way, yep. Yeah. If you don't know The Chosen, that's a TV show. Yeah. Jenny's wearing a chosen jumper at the moment. I am, actually. That's my way to support them, but they don't need my money They don't anymore. need your money. Not after Sounds of Freedom. No. no. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Where was I? Uh, he travelled to Greece. I already said that. There was, And then there's a lot of mention of... Lots of people here. A lot of mention of lots of people. Yep. Since my language. They went ahead and they, he's gone to Troas, right? Yes. But he's got several people from all over that area. So he's got, you know, people from Berea and Thessalonica and it's all growing. Yeah, he's, all got, growing. he's got them all gathered around him. So they gather on the first day of the week. They gather with the local believers in, in verse 7 to share in the Lord's Supper. Yep. Paul was preaching to them. And since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. That's a long sermon. Yeah. It's a bit like this podcast, actually. Yeah, I think, actually, we I think we could give, give, we could give Paul a run for his money. Yeah. yeah. It's always sitting down. We avoid windows. We might fall out. And yeah. Fall. <laughs> and so this guy, this poor guy falls out the window. Uh, <laughs> Paul spoke on and on. on at, it's a bit like Rowan and Jeannie. <laughs> so it says, as Paul spoke on and on, a young man sitting on the windowsill became very drowsy. What riveting conversation. Yes, yes. Finally, he fell. <laughs> it's funny that it says finally. Finally. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to a death, his death below. Paul goes down, bends over him and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he's alive. This reminds me of... In my in another translation, it says he he falls on top of him. His entire body's over him. Yeah. Was that Elijah? Yes, it was, similar to what Elijah did. There was the small or, boy who was yes. sick, and he. It sounds creepy to say he lay down. Yes, on but it was the sense <laughs> no. of his. It was it was acting out, transferring his life force into him. This sort of picture. Yeah. So this is like a, the second time we're reading this sort of. Yes. It's the same sort of yep. story. Yep. And he yeah, and he says he's alive. 
It's a miracle. How many people does Paul bring back from the dead? Paul? Um, I'm going to say just this one. I don't think there's any others that are recorded. Peter, Tabitha. Peter brings Tabitha back to life. I don't think there's any others. Am I right? I think I think you're right. I think yeah, this is the I one. I think this is the one. He's alive, he shouts. They all go back upstairs. And have the Lord's Supper. And ate together. And then they talked until dawn. Yeah, they just kept going all night long. Well, I reckon after you'd seen that, you probably would have a fresh lot of lot of energy to talk, keep yeah, talking, wouldn't you? you would. Yep. There's a lot of people connected here to the spiritual self here. Like yeah. Pressing in, yep. leaning, learning. Yep. And then this massive miracle. Yes, that's right. They're all like, hanging around. Like if you didn't believe before in the first 20 hours of conversation, you're going you to after believe midnight. Now. That's right. You've got a new lease on life of energy to keep going. Yeah. And the man was taken home unhurt and everyone was greatly relieved. Yep. That's such a funny little chapter of verses. Yeah, little story in there. Don't you think? Yep. All right, okay. And then there's lots of sailing going on here. It yeah, they're cutting across, around. back and forward across the Aegean at this point. So he's really picked up his st- – like he's in his stride. Yes. After having NT rights, after that dark time, he's journeyed through that. Once again, he's come out the other side and he's hit his straps again. Okay, so by this point, can you go through what letters he's written again? I would the say Thessalonians by this written. point he's written Thessalonians, he's written all the prison letters. So he's written Philippians, Colossians, Philippines. Philippians, <laughs> it again. Philippians, Colossians, at uh, least first and second Corinthians first and second Corinthians. He's written well, he will have written Galatians a long time before this, and he will have also written Philemon and Ephesians. And Ephesians, I was yeah. gonna say, but he decides to sail on past Ephesians. He yes. sent them that letter. Yep. yep. Well, yeah. he actually—they think he wrote. N.T. Wright says he wrote the letter to the the letter of Ephesians when he was in jail in Ephesus. What N.T. Wright says, and it wasn't written to the Ephesians; it was probably written to oh, that's what the Laodiceans. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Yep. Okay, but he's hurrying to hurrying, hurrying, hurrying to, to get, get to, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yep, in that's time right. for the festival of Pentecost. Yep, he's on a mission. Uh, th- then he calls the church at Ephesus and he asks them to come to him. To come to him, yep. and then he delivers this. Heartbreaking speech. Yeah, I mean, he he says to them, "From the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I've done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came from the plots of the Jews." <laughs> I don't know why I laugh. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear publicly on your homes. It's basically a goodbye letter. It is because he's got no chance to write emails. No. Yep, this no, is it. This is no the last tweets. time you'll see them. No tweets, nothing or, like that coming. No exes. I was going to say, are they exes now? Yep. Uh, <laughs> hey, I broke up with Twitter. I'm now with my ex. Yeah, that's right. No, I don't know. Yeah. And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tills me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. He knows what's coming, but he still goes. He's still going, yep. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned for me. All of these trials and tribulations, and he still says, my life is worth nothing yep. unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me. Yep. It's There's this deep compelling. Mm. So like, should I assume that the more connected you are to Christ, to your spiritual connection to him, and I hope people don't confuse when I say spiritual. We're talking about walking in the spirit. Is Paul's own spirit. language. Okay. Yes, he'll use that language, yeah. walking in the spirit. It's like you're compelled. Yes. No matter what you think is ahead of you, you just you You're actually just can't keep going stop running. Because you keep you going. You know the reward is worth it. You know that the pleasure and 
signing, finishing the work Christ has given you to do. So he must have seen lives transformed. Yeah, that was his greatest joy. Yes. He saw lots of lives transformed. Yep. The work of telling others is, it's, it means so much to him. Yep. The, The wonderful grace of God he teaches them. Yep. And he declares he's been faithful. He says, I've preached and uh, I've never held back. And if anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. I've done everything I can do. I've never shrunk back. Never shrunk back. No. And I mentioned in the last um, chapter, the last day when David was like Christ. Here I'm seeing Paul like Christ. Yeah, giving up everything. Yeah, and... um, let me explain this in the sense, and I have read a little co- bit of commentary here, so some of this language is not exactly my own. Um, but he claims that his ener- his ministry was energetic and as and incessant, that's not my word, as in all seasons. Yes. He's loyal and serving. Yep. You know, God's Faithfully will. He's not self-willed. Yep. Um, he does things with all humility. He's affectionate when, um, you know, the many tears. He's cried, he's cried many tears over people. Yep. Jesus cried tears. Yep. And um, Jesus was not held in prison, but we know that he suffered greatly at the end. Um, so, And Paul here with bonds and afflictions and the scourging that we talked about, he remained honest and he was thorough. He was evangelical, as in he was um, repenting while he was preaching the faith. Jesus did not repent, but he was always, he didn't need to. He, but was, he was preaching a message preaching of repentance. Message, yeah. Yes. He was wholehearted, instructive, and he didn't cease to warn people yep. about things. And here's an interesting thing, which he says, he's disinterested in worldly possessions. Yeah. So much of that is Christ. Yes, for sure. And so much, that is exactly how the spiritual man Yes, yeah, how we live. We live, for live. Eter- with eternity in mind. Yep. And yeah. And doing, looking through, looking towards God and looking through everything to God. Yep. So through all the pain and problems that we go, we're looking through to God. And Christ did all of those things. Yep. Yeah, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, Hebrews tells us. And Paul is saying that same thing here. I laid down my life. I've given it all for Christ. And if I don't go any further, I've done it all. Of course, he's going to go on for a lot further yet. Yeah, but <laughs> He does. But it's not quite the goodbye that he thinks. He's still got some time left. Yeah, well, he doesn't yeah. get back to Ephesus again. No, well, actually, doesn't. I think there might be some... Scholars, you think he may have gone back much, much later, but I don't think there's enough evidence for that. Mm. But when we say that one of our our purpose in life is for our character to become more like Christ, and you walk away and you go, "What does that mean? What does that actually mean?" But you there's read a this pattern of what it looks like. Yeah, yes, you read his letter, and he's he, Paul is saying, "This is what it looks this is like. what it looks like to for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, and that's what it is. It's this whole wholehearted focus on expanding his kingdom." laying down our lives, giving up his rights, all that stuff. That's what Paul is describing as kingdom life. Yeah, it's yeah. great, Jeannie. So he's so Christ-like. Yeah. Here. And if we go back to David and David and the the Jews want the Messiah to be like David. And here we – and David is the most – he's their best leader, their best example he's the of best what example. the Messiah is. We can – can Christians almost say the same thing about Paul? He is the best example that we have of – a Christian, uh, I see what you're saying. Most more Christ-like than others. I don't know. It's just a um, thought. Well, I just, I, yeah, I think you can, doesn't mean Paul was perfect, but you can learn a lot from Paul. Uh, Paul's, Paul, Paul's certainly able, not perfect. Paul, Paul's able to say in Philippians, whatever you have seen in me or heard in me, put it into practice. 
So he obviously was confident enough to be able to say, I've lived the, exactly what he says to the Ephesians here. I've lived this life. You can, you can mimic this. If you do the, if you do what I do, you're in good company. So he's, comf- he's humble. It sounds like it could be an arrogant thing, but it's not. It's a humble thing, but he is encouraging us. He says elsewhere, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So yes, we could use him in that way. It's a good thought. Yeah. Im- imitate me as I imitate, imitate Christ. Imitate him. Yeah. <clears throat> so I love how, I don't know how I've, come about this in my own mind, but this the spiritual and the natural has really played out for me in this It's very much played out in this episode today, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yes. And uh, in here, verse 28, um, guard yourself um, and God's people feed and shepherd. So Paul knows that he is going to this inevitable end, but he is so confident in the Holy Spirit and confident in the people that he has been working with that they are going to carry that they'll on. they'll carry on. The way is going yes. to grow. Yep. Despite the fact he's going to go on and say, but I know even among some of you, there's going to be some false teachers arise. Yeah, what he, well, he warns. He warns them. Yep. Some vicious wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Mm. But mm. keep coming back. Uh, yep. he, he entrusts them to God and yep. that this um, the message of his grace is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he's set apart from himself. I wish someone would write me a letter like that. <laughs> like it's so eloquent. Yes, it is very eloquent, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, he's got a real way with words, Paul. Yeah, and I've never coveted anyone's silver. And this is what I said before. He's disinterested in yep. worldly possessions. Yep, I didn't go after it for the money. And you know these hands of mine have worked to supply my yep. own needs and I even the needs of those who are with me. Yeah, and I have, a, I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the works of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than receive. It is more blessed to give than receive. Did we just see David do that? Yeah, we saw David do that. Yeah. Yep. So and David realized that. Yes, David did that. So these words are in your, have you got a red letter Bible there? Jesus didn't say those words. It's not recorded anywhere. It's that not Jesus recorded. Said these. No, that's what I was Yeah, I know. Yeah. I knew that. Well, answer. Jesus said it, obviously, but it was not recorded in the Gospels no. anywhere. But it was so such a part of Jesus' teaching that it was obviously as, recorded as though Jesus said it. Paul says that Jesus said these words. Unless it's actually something that Jesus in his private Paul, conversations yeah, maybe with Paul so. Maybe said. so. It's yeah, part of his right. revelation. It's not recorded in the Gospel, but it's but, more blessed to give. Yeah. Mm, and yet it's written, you know, yeah, yeah, it's a biblical principle. You couldn't argue with it. It's all, all through the Bible. Like you said, David sees it. Proverbs talks about it. It's all there. It's the gospel in a nutshell. You're going to get a blessing from giving. It is. And I think, it, I wonder if it was one of those verses or one of those, not verses, but thoughts that David, David, Paul used to reason with, to point back to the scriptures yes. and say, this is, maybe so. Christ is in these because yes. this is, Idea. This is, whole concept is, is is riddled throughout the scriptures. Yes. It's all there. Yes, that's and it right. Comes to fulfillment. Oh, yep. in Christ. Yep. Yeah, I just said because I microphone. just punched the microphone in my enthusiasm. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. And when they finished speak, when he had finished speaking, he knelt and they and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad mostly because he, they he said never see them again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. Yeah, it would have been a hard day for them all. Hey, <laughs> would have been a hard day, a really yep. hard day. And then he heads off to Jerusalem. But I love that how his leadership, he's willing to hand his leadership over. Yes. Trust there. Yeah. Yep. He's, he's going to hand it over to another generation. Yep. And all of us should be thinking about that in life. We we are stewards for a period of time. We've been entrusted for this season, but we need to be thinking about whatever arena of life it is. How are we going to hand it over to another generation to keep things flowing forward? 
And we we also stand here because other generations have done that. That's they right. Others have done that. that. We're sitting in a room here at C3 all because generations have gone before us and sown into the kingdom. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And we're sitting here in a world that was built, these Western ideals that we were talking about and this growth of the church, yep. growth of the Western uh, thought. Yep. We're in benefit of that. We are. We are mm. done, Jeannie. Oh, my Thank goodness. You. We're not going to go to midnight. We're not going to go to midnight. We're not going to fall out the window. <laughs> but it's good. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Thank and you. There's some great us, wisdom yeah. in there. Send some questions for us. Yes, yeah, send us questions, folks. Wonderful. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next time. All right. God bless.